Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory, and True History Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings to one and all. We're going to go into our heart center and begin with our opening meditation. So take that journey to your own heart portal, which is the portal to all that is. And as you go within, see that precious threefold flame that represents the divinity of who you are. See fully activated on the right, the sapphire blue ray, the flame of divine will, divine power, divine strength, divine truth. On the left, the rose pink ray of divine love, of infinite comprehensive love and reverence for all life. And top center, the yellow golden ray and flame of divine wisdom illumination, enlightenment, and Christ consciousness. See them burning evenly within you. And see those three flames flooding your entire being and filling your mighty pillar of light, which is anchored directly from source into the crystalline heart of Mother Gaia. In this way, we we recommit ourselves to being that bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. We give thanks for this ability to serve at this time. We welcome everyone across the planet to join us in our process of creating heaven on earth. So please join me in saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. And thus, we ask for the full emergence and integration of our soul, higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence, all of our multidimensional being, our angelic presence, our archangelic presence, our galactic presence, our universal presence, all of our divine presence, our God presence, goddess presence, calling in everyone to do the same seeing them all in their pillar of light with that threefold flame activated, one and all. As we work in unity consciousness, as we connect heart to heart, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart, all connecting with the cosmic heart of all that is. Feel that unity consciousness as we proceed and call in for everyone 
all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome as well for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome in all of the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels, through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams. We welcome our friends from the, from the ascended master realm, our brothers and sisters from the Brotherhood of Light the Sisterhood of the Raisin Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, and all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. We welcome our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and their Healing Teams, especially those that we work so closely with from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, and from Lyra, and all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do, and magnify, magnify, magnify it individually and collectively in divine order, as we humbly request that our work here today be magnified 999 billion times 999 billion times in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation. We ask that it be received through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of a work field multidimensionally on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level. All in divine order, the maximum that we can receive. And we ask that with all that we do, with every energy and frequency, every prayer and evocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, that we easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody these frequencies, these blessings, these graces, and do so with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, 
without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. And take a nice deep breath as we feel the magnification of all that we do taking place. We call in everyone from our circle of support from the very first name that created us to every man, woman, and child, every family member and loved one, every friend, every neighbor, every pet, every animal, all the members of our communities, and every group and every organization, every institution, every nation, every military, every government, every aspect of the legislative branch of each government, our U.S. Senate, our House of Representatives, every Congress, every Parliament, every law-creating body, every state legislature, every city council, every school board, every body that is creating rules and laws in each community and throughout the world. And we call forth the Our Lady of uh, Liberty. We call forth the Goddess of Justice to overlay all of this work to ensure that every law being created and enacted is only for the highest and best of all concerned and an aspect of divine government right here and right now. We call them for it to overlight the executive aspect of each government. Every president, every prime minister, every head of state, every decision maker, every cabinet post and here in the U.S., our Department of State, our Department of Justice, and all the cabinets, all of the members of the cabinet, and in every cabinet position across the planet. And we call for it that only the highest and best decisions take place <clears throat> under the guidance of Lady Liberty and Lady Justice. We call them for it to overlight the judicial aspect of each government. the Supreme Court here, the highest court of the land in each and every nation. And every judge, every court, every jury, every grand jury, every prosecutor, every case, every defendant, each and every judicial decision and court case and asking that only the highest and best decisions take place on a judicial level, individually and collectively for the highest good of all. We blaze a vial of flame through everyone and everything in our circle of support. And all of the extreme weather patterns be it the heat, the drought, the flooding, 
the landslide, the rainfall, the storms, asking again only the highest and best take place with little to no loss of life, including for the wildfire. And everything else that's in our circle of support. If we hold in the circle anything that is less than perfection, anything less than it is love and the divine blueprint individually and collectively for this planet. And so we call forth all of the energy. We just had Bastille Day yesterday in France. We had the 4th of July, we had Canada Day, we have all these national holidays, and everything around the full moon, the new moon coming up on the 17th, the energy around the 777 portals, uh, which Patty had explained to us was not just the 777 day, July 7th, but also the 16th and the 25th of this month also come to 777. So we get to magnify that energy. And so all of the energy around this month, including our galactic day out of time on the 25th and the galactic new year on the 26th, we call in all of the focus on those events, as well as our the focus going toward everything going on in the world. We call forth everyone's energy across the planet into our collective cup of consciousness to transform humanity once and for all, to remind them of their divinity and to bring heaven on earth. And we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her work sealed multidimensionally, through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grid, the unity grid, all of the multidimensional grid system. Through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire. Through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power. Every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up this amazing spiral of evolution along with Mother Gaia. And she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. So working in unison with the company of heaven, we do the following decrees. Connect your heart with mine as I speak this for us all. Beloved mighty, I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved Elohim, by Kapia and Aloha, Virginia. Dissolve and consume the cause, effect, record, and memory of all that interferes with humankind's perfect sight and their ability to hold the majesty, beauty, and perfection of their own glorious God self, the angels, the beings of the elements, the ascended masters, and all divine activities of the light. I am the law of love from the great central sun, dissolving and consuming all obstruction to our own perfect sight in commanding the full restoration of our divine wisdom. 
please join me in saying, Ascended Master Vision, I am. Ascended Master Vision, I am. Ascended Master Vision, I am. Beloved Mighty, I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved brothers and sisters of the golden and rosen robes of the physical sun, we demand and command the full restoration of the minor elemental rays pouring from the physical sun into the powers of nature, the forces of the elements, and all kingdoms of life, so that they may once again receive such spiritual nutrition. As I make the call for the planet, I also give the command for you to release the elemental rays into the elements of my physical body, the elements of which my physical body is composed, compelling such all Christ's light, love, balance, beauty, strength, and joy within every cell. And we give thanks for this as we say, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Mighty I am Christ's presence within and above, beloved goddess of liberty. Beloved Saint Germain, mighty victory, Archangel Michael, and all the ascended and angelic hosts. We call forth oceans and oceans and oceans of your ascended master's sacred fire protection around the children and youth of America and the world. We command your ascended master walls of invisibility invincibility, and invulnerability placed around all children's nurseries and daycare centers, around all shopping centers, music concerts, festivals, youth gatherings, schools, colleges, universities, and campuses that prevents, prevents, prevents all inharmonious activities. Blaze the golden sun's fiery presence around all children's daycare centers and all centers of education, and send your legions of angels to protect the children and youth of America and the world. Hold thy sacred fire guarding presence into and around them that they may fulfill the divine plan for this embodiment. And we give thanks for this as we say, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. My beloved, I am Christ's presence within and above, beloved Lord Mahakohan, great gods in the mountains, beloved Helios, mighty Aries, Neptune, Virgo, and all the beings of the elements. I command and demand divine intervention from the great central sun that forces the lifting and raising of the vibratory action of all the elements that are given and used to nourish the physical bodies of the people of the world. I demand and I am the instantaneous removal of all that harms the physical bodies of humankind by the mightiest sacred purifying love in the universe. I demand and I am the ascended master's desires charging through the feeling bodies of the people of the world to stand invincible against negative influences and the ignorance in the world 
which only wants to destroy their physical bodies. I am the Ascended Master's divine desires, angered, charged, and sustained within the feeling world of all people that makes it impossible for the sinister force to harm their physical bodies. It also assists the people in putting into their bodies only that which gives them the strongest, purest, luminous physical garments this world has ever seen, fulfilling the divine plan that brings them and the world the greatest peace, purity, harmony, happiness, and freedom forever. So be it, and so it is. We give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, as we say, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Beloved, mighty, I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved gods of the mountain, with all the love of my heart, I command and demand that you direct the great mountain strength of light into the base of my spine and draw forth the electronic force of the mountains up and around me that repels all evil and dissolves and consumes all evil that ever tries to reach or touch my life everywhere forever. I acknowledge, accept, and adore the mighty electronic force of the great mountain ranges and structures of earth. I call upon all the gods of the mountains to create, maintain, and sustain a constant stream of the great strength of the light of the mountains, the electronic force from the mountains, directly into the base of my spine, and maintain it through, throughout all my life, even unto my ascension. I will consciously quiet and still myself, connect my heart flame, and feel the inner roar of the electronic force of the mountain ranges and structures of Earth. As I call this forth for myself, I call this forth for all in divine order. Mountain of light, I am. Mountain of light, I am. Mountain of light, I am. Beloved, I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved Archangel Jophiel and Archi Christine. And beloved angels, I know you are real. And I command and demand that you bring your angels' love into my life and fill and charge and saturate my home, my personal and business activities, my life, my means of transportation, all my tomorrows and all my opportunities with your sacred fire love and mastery and power in all its ongoing victorious action. I call into my life the sacred fire of the angel's cosmic Christ love in all its purity, power, and mastery to just drench my life and world with this continuous victorious action. I am ready to experience the angels here and now. We give thanks for this as we say, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am.
we call for it, the goddess of harmony and her cosmic flame of immortal harmony and happiness. I am the law, charging all the energy in my being and world with the immortal harmony, the immortal purity, and the immortal power of the victorious Christ, and therefore supply without end automatically floods to me from everywhere. I am the law of immortal harmony and happiness that forbids the appearances of limitation, lack, problems, or discord of any kind. I am the law of the victorious Christ above me and within me, producing perfection without limit everywhere forever. Let me live this day in the greater immortal harmony and greater illumination of the Ascended Master's way to live life. And make me feel that. Make me the immortal harmony and illumination that enables me to bring greater blessings to all life in my everyday activity. I am the law of the victorious Christ that issues the command that forbids the existence of anything discordant ever touching me, my loved ones, my nations, and world. Thank you, beloved goddess of harmony. And we say, immortal harmony and happiness I am. Immortal harmony and happiness I am. Immortal harmony and happiness I am. Mighty I am God presence within and above, beloved Lord Maha Kohan, God and Goddess of Purity. Beloved seven mighty Elohim and seven majestic Eloah, beloved mighty Victory, Archangel Michael, all the ascended and angelic host of our planetary and solar hierarchy, great cosmic beings of light from the great central sun. We command and demand every power and force of the sacred fire come forth and blaze through the minds, feelings, bodies of all the people on earth to purify and remove all greed and selfishness and hatred as well. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations to purify and illumine the people of earth. Almighty God, I am. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations to purify and illumine the people of earth by God's own hand. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations to purify and illumine the people of earth, the ascended master's way. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, Release new dispensations to purify and illumine the people of earth and do it today, do it to stay. Enforce the purification, force the purification, force the purification of all selfishness, greed, and hatred in this world. Force the purification, force the purification, force the purification of all selfishness, greed, and hatred in this world. 
force of purification, force of purification, force of purification of all selfishness, greed, and hatred in this world. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. We demand every power and force of the sacred fire come forth and do its perfect work. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations that bless, heal, and protect Mother Nature. Almighty God, I am. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations that bless, heal, and protect Mother Nature by God's own hand. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations that bless, heal, and protect Mother Nature, the Ascended Master's way. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations, that bless, heal, and protect Mother Nature, and do it today, do it to stay, and compel, 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 the eternal blessing, healing, and protection of Mother Nature. Compel, 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 the eternal blessing, healing, and protection of Mother Nature. Compel, 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 the eternal blessing, healing, and protection of Mother Nature. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. We demand every power and force of the sacred fire come forth and be visible to the outer physical side of all humankind. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations to advance this world into Christ consciousness, Almighty God, I am. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations to advance this world into Christ consciousness by God's own hand. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations to advance this world into Christ consciousness, the Ascended Master's way. Release new dispensations, release new dispensations, release new dispensations to advance this world into Christ consciousness and do it today, do it to stay. And advance, advance, advance this world into Christ consciousness. Advance, advance, advance this world into Christ consciousness. Advance, advance, advance this world into Christ consciousness. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. By the cosmic Christ, blue lightning, power, and victory. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. 
with oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. With oceans of the great central sun, sacred fire, purity. And we seal this by saying, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Mighty Christ, I am within and above. Mighty I am God, presence of all the people of earth, great ascended host and great cosmic beings from the great central sun. We demand and command in the name of beloved Mother Akasha, Father of Son, the Christ, beloved Saint Germain, the Director Logos, the mightiest divine intervention and assistance from the great central sun's heart flame, and the great, great silence that opens the way for every ascended master sponsor of every nation in the world to be given greater authority, power, and influence to help every nation fulfill their divine plan and destiny as harmoniously, peacefully, and perfectly as the ascended masters do it, and as quick as a flash as the ascended masters see it. Beloved Ascended Master Sponsors of all the nations of the world, drive and drive, drive your sacred fire, love, purity, and power through every leader and every person of every nation that compels them to fulfill the will of God's divine plan. So be it and so it is. Almighty Rose Christ, I am. Almighty Rose Christ, I am. Almighty Rose Christ, I am. Beloved Mighty I am Christ, presence within and above. Beloved Elohim Cassiopeia and Aloha Lumina. Dissolve and consume the cause, effect, record, and memory of all that interferes with humankind's perfect brain structure and their ability to behold the majesty, beauty, and perfection of their own glorious God, Goddess Self, the angels, the beings of the elements, the ascended masters, and all divine activities of the light. I am the cosmic law of love from the great central sun, dissolving and consuming all obstruction to our own perfect brain structure and commanding the full restoration of our divine wisdom, infinite knowledge, enlightenment, and illumination of all we desire and require to know in order to fulfill the destinies of our lives on earth in this seventh golden crystal permanent age. God loves your divine assistance, beloved Cassiopeia, and Aloha Illumina. Illumina. All Christ illumination I am. All Christ illumination I am. All Christ illumination I am. My beloved I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved I am Christ's presence of all the people of earth. Beloved goddesses, peace, purity, harmony. Mother Akasha and their legions of angels come forth into action right now and release oceans and oceans and oceans of your sacred fire, love, peace, purity, and harmony into the atmosphere of Earth and saturate it. Then drive, drive, drive your sacred fire, love, peace, purity, and harmony 
to the mental and feeling world of all humankind, the powers of nature, the forces of the elements, and all kingdoms of life. Make us feel the power and mastery of your sacred fire love, peace, purity, and harmony over all conditions in this world and raise us into your ascended master's heart flame perfection forever. So be it, and so it is, and we give thanks for this, thanks for this, thanks for this, as we seal this by saying, join me in saying, Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am. And so it is. Can we ask this to be magnified the maximum that we can receive individually and collectively? Throughout everyone and everything in this world, and in divine order, 999 billion times, 999 billion times, and everything else that we may need at this time to create heaven on earth. Take a nice deep breath as we call forth Gaia and Sandalphon to assist us to easily and effortlessly anchor all that we've done. And so at this time, I thank you for your divine service. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us, joining us in these heartfelt prayers. I invite you to further divine service each and every Sunday and Monday evening where I lead the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls. We begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greeting. After that, Tar and Rama come in with a brief update. And then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we begin our work in earnest. Again, bringing in heaven on earth with our decrees, our prayers, our invocations, our music, our updates, our visualizations, our activations. So please become a regular every Sunday and Monday evening. This is a teleconference call through free conference. So let me give you the main number. Area code 480-660-2224. Area code 480-660-2224. That's one of the clearest lines that you can use. The access code is the same for every every phone number that you might try. Um, it's 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. If you have any difficulties with that number or you want to try something locally, I have local numbers. I have numbers across the nation. I have international numbers. There is an app, and you can get on through the computer as well, freeconference.com. And so we welcome you every Sunday and Monday evening. Please become a regular of our family of light and identify where you're calling from. 
We love to hear from everybody and connect heart to heart and voice to voice. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your service here today. We want to thank our um, host and hostess, Rama and Tara, for their divine service for all these many years. And we, as always, will thank Rainbird for her service as well. And I trust I'm passing this talking stick to Rainbird. It's filled with the threefold flame, filled with the violet flame each and every time, every ray, every flame, every ascension wave, every frequency. So much ascension light. And all of our wonderful beings from every single realm that have joined us in this invocation work here today. So with much love and gratitude, I pass the talking stick. Oh, and with much love and gratitude, right back at you, Cheryl. Thank you so much for your divine service. Rainbow? Yes. Um, We called you twice, too, today, and you never answered. So I just want to tell you, don't mention any names when you talk today about, uh, you know, paying people back, just family members we need to pay back, okay? Oh, absolutely. That's my MO anyway. So, And I'm sorry um, my phone was not behaving itself when you tried calling me earlier. Um, I was waiting on the call. <laughs> I know. We listened to Don call you twice, too. Yeah, he said that, and I and I just don't know what happened. So um, it's a mystery. Yeah, so that I just wanted to make sure before you get on the air and talk, because yesterday you you mentioned names because I did, but I just don't want you to do that today. No, I'm I'm not intending on doing I, that. I'm going to interrupt my beloved friends by by noting that I have experienced umpteen examples of Mercury retrograde, and Mercury retrograde does not start until August 23rd. <laughs> so, oh, so there's a lot of mystery going on in 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 our communications here. So um, we'll just uh, blaze a violet flame through all communications. All right. Love you guys. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you. Have a glorious. <laughs> I'm wishing everybody a glorious week, and I'll, uh, I'll mute out again. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. That, somehow that was very encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I know that it's last Super, super mysterious. It's been every example imaginable and new ones all the time, too. Okay. Much yeah. love, everybody. Well, we live in a magical universe, and I'm grateful for this magical day, and I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that make it happen, and um, so here we are. (laughs) We need um, money each week for BBS radio, usually around $300, and it varies a little bit according to the month. So this week we need $305 to cover our expenses, and that's what we needed last week. We need all that. Um, 
Yeah, as as you as you know, we are paying for a car. So however that happens, we're we're putting what we can into the car, but we need to put it into the radio. And here's how you make a donation to the radio to our account at BBS Radio Station Two. You want to go to bbsradio.com and click on Radio Station Two, and then your schedule will be there for. Radio Station 2 on Saturdays at the 3.30 hour, and that's the central time. And it's the true history, history, and the Theranite Galactic Origins. And we have two locations on Radio Station 1 on Thursdays at the 8 o'clock hour. It's a night at the round table with the panel, and you can click on that icon to access our account. And then for Friday nights at the 8 o'clock hour, it's the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Lala on Radio Station 1. So that um, there's all three of those locations, you can access that account by clicking on the icon. And there, once there, you can use your bank card to, to uh, make that donation in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. Thank you for your generosity, and thank you for all the ways you show up in your lives. We're so grateful for you. Uh, so that takes care of the radio. We are also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week, they don't need anything for a bill. So that's a good thing. They do need $200 to cover their living expenses. And um, and we're asking for $1,200 to be sent to PayPal for helping to cover the um, the cost of the car. And we also have a GoFundMe for that with We'd like to have some of those funds to come in at the PayPal account. So here's the information on how to access Ronald's PayPal account. You want to go to rainbowroundtable.net. And then on the home page, click on the menu grid. You'll see a menu drop down of everything that's on that site. And near the bottom of that list is a donate link. And click on that, and that takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal site. And you can make that donation in any amount. And as you do that with friends and family, you need this email to put in for gifting. And that email for, is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. So there you go. That's all the information you need. Either way is perfect. We're so grateful for your donations. And uh, we're so grateful for all that Tyron Rama do and lots of gratitude for the consistency and regularity. They show up every time they're there. And so lots of gratitude for all of us for making it work for them in the good way. So um, thank you again for showing up that way. As you're sending something to Tyron Rama, you, to the PayPal would be good to... Uh, let them know that you sent something, and that R- Rama's uh, email for that is Koran K O R A N nine 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 at Comcast dot net. <clears throat> and then, as you need it, the mailing address for Rama is Ram D Berkowitz R A M D Berkowitz B E R K O W I T Z. Post Office Box two eighty. And that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. And I'll say it again, Rama Berkowitz, 
Post Office Box 280, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information that you need. Uh, <clears throat> and let's see, what else? Oh, there is a GoFundMe account that's raising money for Rama to pay for a new car or a used, used car repair and a new car. And that's how it's listed. GoFundMe dot com forward slash F forward slash F as in Frank and forward slash um for Rama to get to to pay for car repair and buy a new car. And they do have a new car now and we're grateful for that and we just need to make sure that all the funds are there to cover all that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for participating in all that and all the ways that you show up, like I said <laughs> already, we're grateful for you. So 13 tankies, honey in the heart, and I've got a talking stick here that has all the rays of the rainbow and has all the energies that were invoked in the invocation today and the, the violet flame and all the flames, and it's just packed with amazing energy. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Greetings. Greetings. Are you commanders, eagles, and angels? And thank you, Cheryl. And thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, everyone. Happy new moon in Cancer coming up. Yes, that's on Monday, everyone. Yeah. And that's the Divine Mother energy, yes. And Mother Sekhmet has a aspect of herself that we call Bast, I believe. Yeah, Bast. Lady Master Bast. She's like the domestic version of Mother. <laughs> yes. A big domestic version. <laughs> a big cat, but very gentle, very kind, very yeah. loving. Yeah. And, uh, just to remind everybody, we have already won. That's the message from the Faction Three White Knights. That being said, they've always said that accountability comes first before the money, honey. And Aurora Ray is teaching us and many other folks that have shown up on the scene from all kinds of dimensions to let us know we have won. These guys are playing out. Their final nanoseconds so like I keep saying the time is now Aurora Ray is saying the time is now and it is about using the magic that we have been taught called the siddhas the Jedi abilities and it's real I don't know any other way how to describe it you have to just Trust the force. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you saw what Luke did. I don't have to say anymore. What did you get for a message today, Rama? I got a message from Mr. X. And he's over there in the Middle East. And Mr. Yahoo is, uh, was in the hospital, is... I'm not sure about it. 
feeling unwell. Well, he put a message out that he feels good. <laughs> uh, what Mr. X said is that... you got to remember that's already a hologram. So whatever ended up in the hospital and got back up is just that. A glitch in the machine. <laughs> and Mr. X said that there are more solar flares coming in. And with this 11-year solar cycle, uh, the best is yet to come. But it's not about extinction-level events or kill shots. <laughs> <coughs> kill shots. Like the big meteor that hit the planet in the Gulf of Mexico and supposedly created such a big tsunami that the dinosaurs went over the rainbow and um, the galactics are here. They're not going to let that kind of stuff happen. Yet at the same time, we are the ones to let folks know that the gig is up, the lies of the matrix got to end. It starts with us believing in the magic. I saw Grandmother Beatrice today and she said the Rainbow Nation is already being made manifest on this planet. It starts with the Crystal Children Generation Z. They don't got any issues and they talk that way. They don't got any issues about Anybody, whether they're blue or green or yellow or <laughs> I'm from Mars and I have antennas. <laughs> and, you know, the things that are being. Well, they tend to manifest looking like us so that we don't get. Yeah. Absolutely and I have sat at galactic solar tribunal councils and other councils around our solar system. People have purple hair blue hair, green hair, and silver, white, all the colors of the rainbow. And it's just like, you know, maybe going to the United Nations on Earth. And this is a huge deal, as we can fully comprehend, Becoming members of this intergalactic confederation is huge. And it takes everyone. Right? Pass the talking stick. Who are you passing it to? Mr. X, you know, basically just said, you know, work with the energy. Watch the solar flares. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to get started. This is a long one. Our Dr. Greer, he's back. And on the Sean Ryan show. Who's Sean Ryan? I don't exactly know. You just know that he's being interviewed by this guy. Yes, and it's. He's going into all the stories. I mean, Stargate, Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, you know, all these adventures that, you know, Hollywood, right now, Hollywood is kind of basically on strike. 
and it's deeper because all the issues got to end about the idea of slavery. I'll just leave it there. Just remember, this type of child slavery is a $150 billion profit business per year. And that is obscene. And for <coughs> any other reason, uh, this would be the one for the Galactics to intervene. It is that atrocious. Yes, Mother has said in many messages across the decades that she is here to free all the slaves. <laughs> so I'll just read this real quick. Dr. Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer is back in episode 65, number 65, to discuss a wealth of groundbreaking science and discovery. First, he outlines new realizations around zero-point energy and how this, this supposed newfound technology is as old as time. Greer also covers how this technology has been hidden away from the public for decades by the military-industrial complex and corporate interests. Why? Because it could change the balance of power globally. It already has, everybody. This episode uncovers who these corporate entities are and how you can get involved to secure an abundant future for you on the page here and your family. Okay, so the Sean Ryan show links. That's, okay, let's start, Rama. Let's start. Okay. Gentlemen, my next guest needs no introduction. He's been on the show before and he has one of the top episodes that we have ever produced here at SRS. I'm talking about Dr. Stephen Greer. He's back. This time we're talking about zero-point energy, and we're talking about technologies that have been hidden from us and the U.S. government by companies such as Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, Raytheon, Boeing, Northrop Grumman. And if you think this is a little out there, think again, because the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress are both digging into this subject matter to get to the bottom of it. Next week, we have three of the five whistleblowers that Dr. Greer brought in front of Congress to testify about these technologies that they have had firsthand accounts seeing. They're going to be right here on SRS to give those exact same testimonies. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the show, if you like the information we're putting out, please go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, Leave us a review, and I see a lot of you have been out there making content, ripping our content off and putting it out on the Internet. I love it. Looks amazing. We made it super easy for you. We put a ton of raw reels, links in the description. Take them, make content, produce badass stuff. If we like it, we'll share it, monetize it, make money off of it. All we ask is that you please just tag our show in it. That's all we ask. Anyways, love you all. This is an awesome episode. It has a ton of information in it. In the next two weeks, is all this subject. Love you all. Enjoy the show. Cheers.
Dr. Greer, welcome back to the Sean Ryan Show. I'm glad to be here. It's always good to see you. We've been seeing a lot of each other. So I just got back from your whistleblower conference and the premiere of your new documentary in the National Press Club event. Uh, a ton of good information came out of that stuff right. that nobody's ever heard. Yeah. Uh, extremely well put together event, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, all so volunteers. Was it really? 100% volunteers. Incredible event, yeah. uh, from start to finish. Me and, and, uh, my friend Carter, who, who was the one to connect us, uh, right. we just had a fantastic time and, and learned so much. And so we got a lot to talk about today. Um, diving into some of the whistleblower stuff. Yes. We're actually getting a handful of the whistleblowers that, that, uh, I think they came out of this show with your first interview. Is that correct? Some of them had been, had contacted me and been involved before some cool. sense. And of course, once that law got passed, uh, allowing a pathway for them to testify about what they knew, uh, notwithstanding their non-disclosure agreements, that sort of opened up a whole, uh, new, tranche of people willing to come forward and that process i i think we're having a couple of new uh, whistleblowers uh, every week now oh that's amazing per week yeah well we're going to dive into all of that and um and uh thank you for connecting me with them by the way so let me give you a proper introduction here even though you don't need one but Dr. Stephen Greer, you just came out with a new documentary, The Lost Century, which is number one on iTunes, number one on Amazon, number one on anything else? Google Play, all the sites. Everything. Number one documentary release. Retired emergency doctor, founder of the Disclosure Project, documentarian, author, and leading authority on UFO, UAP intelligence. You've briefed multiple presidents, you've briefed the agency, you've briefed Congress, I believe. Uh, recently, you presented evidence of the illegal black budget projects related to UFO UAP operations by the U.S. government. And you have 33 years experience working in the UFO UAP arena. Right. Am I missing anything? That's good enough. <laughs> but... um we got a lot to cover. Like I said, we got to cover. We need to cover the Disclosure Project. We need to cover the Lost Century documentary. A little bit of the whistleblower, a little bit of the whistleblower stuff. Um, your documentary, all about zero point energy, fascinating stuff. What I'd like to do is, I'm not a hundred percent spun up on some of the things that you were talking about. Okay. Um, that I think a lot of the the rest of the audience was pretty spun up about, and. I don't think my audience is 100% spun up on all of these topics either. Right. So I just want to go through um, some basic stuff to help me and the audience understand what we're about to talk about a little bit more when it comes to the black budgets and stuff like that. So uh, a lot of these companies that, you know, are part of the military industrial complex, if you will, I've had a lot of experience with Lockheed, with Raytheon, with these types of companies when it comes to field operations and, 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 and kind of the stuff that I was doing in my arena as a special operator. I don't know about what they're doing and how they play in with this black budget stuff. And so I'd like to go through a couple of the companies and just, um, 
have you just educate me and the audience about it. Right. And let's let's start with Lockheed Skunk Works. Well, of course, the Skunk Works you know dates back to the fifties and sixties. Kelly Johnson, uh, whose by the way UFO encounter report we have is given to us by Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, uh, who knew him, who was really? our U-2 spy plane witness who in- encountered these objects uh, as a U-2 pilot. But uh, And then, of course, Ben Rich. Ben Rich uh, was the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works and acknowledged towards the end of his r- period there um, that they had uh, technologies that could, quote, take T- E.T. home. He also stated there were no private conversations anywhere on the earth true, mm-hmm. no matter what your encryption is. And also he said that anything you imagine, we can, we have already done at the Skunk Works. Now there's the Skunk Works that would deal with a conventional jet, rocket, you know, ramjet type classified aircraft, right? But then there's another division that is the deep black. I want to make a distinction between the black budget and highly classified legally overseen projects mm-hmm. here i'm talking about you know there's a guy i'm working with now who literally oversees the black budget of the united states he was never read in on the ufo or uap issue and when he tried to find out he went out to the lockheed skunk works he was told showing a bunch of these conventional propulsion systems he was not shown the ones that are the man-made ufos that are the electrogravitics the things that float boom hundred thousand miles per hour so I think that that's one of the problems is that there's almost two parallel systems and there's very little points of intersection between the two. What I call the constitutional government of the United States is called the USG, the U.S. government, legal. And then there's the illegal secret government projects, okay, the ISG. So there are compartmented operations at the Lockheed Skunk Works dealing very specifically with this area of technology which has nothing to do with rockets, jets, conventional aerodynamics. And it has to deal with electrogravitics, which is the ability to create a very high voltage system that causes a electromagnetic field propulsion. So there's almost like an electromagnetic field bubble around an object. It can levitate, lift, and it can go, you know, Mach 300 and never have a sonic boom and no heat on the on the outer section of it. These are very advanced technologies. Now, those began to be studied back long before I was born, and I turned 68 this week, so you can imagine how long we've had these these things. Uh, we actually mastered gravity control in October 1954. One of the members of my team for many years was in the vault. Uh, okay. He was the top scientist at the Naval Research Labs, the very large Department of Defense lab. Uh, in D.C. there. Um, I've been in there and he saw the documentation for this. So uh, and I think what the public and, the, and this is true of the senators and the congressmen in the White House, they are not read in to these other projects. They simply aren't. You know, I had a, a friend of Trump's tell me uh, over this past weekend uh, that, that that he said we just, they just don't tell us much or anything or very little. Uh, so I think that these sort of operations, as Eisenhower warned, you know, have just gotten out of constitutional legal oversight. So I call those the illegal secret government projects. But those are in the Lockheed Skunk Corps. So there's facilities out in the desert 
Uh, if you go out to the Mojave Desert, there's an, uh, a facility and an underground opening. So the really sensitive uh, facilities are all in uh, uh, underground skiffs or, or dumps, deep underground military base facilities. And that whole area of California is like a beehive connected underneath with tunnels. Okay. I know where they are. I know people who've worked in them. Now, remember, those have, are, are those all Lockheed? No, because those are actually built by Bechtel Corporation or HIT Construction. There are a few contractors who build these underground connectors. Um, and for years, they used a nuclear-powered tunneling device that would go through bedrock and just classify it. So you'd have a connecting tunnel between, say, Edwards Air Force Base and Nellis Range, and you never have to go above the surface. So I'm very familiar with these and where they're located, and I've debriefed a number of guys who've been on them. So it's all part of a, let's call it a, a coalition of operations that are corporate, contractor, and governmental, but governmental as in off the reservation of legal oversight and, and constitutional re- requirements. This is why the Senate and the House are moving quickly to get this under control because about a year and a half ago, we were providing enough information that they now realize that this is real, that the UAPs, UFOs are real, and they're beginning to realize that a bunch of them are ours, but they're being used in deceptive indications and warnings, meaning false flag operations. So this, of course, is the the topic that I brought up to the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, General Patrick Hughes, way back in the late 90s. I said, look, you know, you guys are being completely zoomed and uh, deceived by some of these objects you think might be extraterrestrial, but they're ours. So Lockheed has some of those. Lockheed has. Let's talk about Raytheon has a very... Uh, a, a certain type of them, usually they're trapezoidal or triangular. Uh, my uncle worked for his whole career at Northrop Grumman. They have ones that are uh, large, triangular, and um, other shapes. But So many of these objects that people think they see a, a UFO, well, it's a UFO to them because they don't know how to identify it. So one of the things we were, we're doing is juxtaposing an interstellar vehicle, an extraterrestrial vehicle with a man-made one. And what are the characteristics and differences? Because operationally and tactically, the Pentagon and the White House and Congress need to know this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're sitting ducks to be deceived by all manner of nonsense. Who who are the other players? So we got Lockheed, Skunk Works, we got Raytheon, we got Northrop Grumman. Is Boeing involved in this? Yes, there's a division of Boeing that absolutely is involved. Um, General Motors has traditionally and Ford. And General Electric, for sure, and EGNG. EGNG is a major player in this space, uh, as well as uh, Raytheon and TRW. Um, Booz Allen Hamilton has an, an aspect that deals with this uh, problem. So, are these? And then there was the construction company who's building these underground facilities. The Bechtel Corporation and Hit uh, uh, Construction. So, are these companies competing with each other? They do get into competing bids. It's a very interesting story. One of my whistleblowers who's still too afraid to come forward that I've dealt with for about seven years was 10 years in the Pentagon and worked in a very classified uh, operation deep underneath the Pentagon. Uh, And he was read in across 18 
of these uh, unacknowledged SAPs, uh, unacknowledged special access projects, dealing with this issue. And one of the things that happened there, there was a three-star general that was brought into uh, near Fort Sill, uh, Oklahoma, at Walton. And there was a skiff, an underground facility where we had downed an extraterrestrial vehicle. And this general brought an unauthorized person who was his girlfriend, who was a Booz Allen Hamilton executive, so that she could see what they were studying. So her group would get a leg up on the competing contract to study how those objects cloak or disappear and reappear. And, uh, you know, he was actually CID. Criminal Investigative Division after having been a main, mainline military. And uh, <clears throat> I know the general's name. We have all this. It's been handed over to the investigators for the uh, U.S. government. But uh, he ended up being demoted a star, but he was never prosecuted because the Department of Justice was blocked from being able to gain access to what it was that he did because the projects don't exist. I mean, this is very, gets into very, very complicated legal and SecOps, um, you know, the whole of security around these these operations. But because of the extreme level of secrecy, <clears throat> the, the big problem with the public and the media is they think you're president, you're chair of this Senate committee and what have you, and that there's this vast conspiracy of these kind of people lying to the American public. It's the opposite. They're actually victims, most of them. Now, there are a few devils. I'll be quite blunt. I'm not going to name them. There are a few devils in the government. We know who they are who are sort of embedded operatives to basically gaslight and deceive members of Congress or people in the White House or what have you. Um, And because they have sort of an all-access pass, they can put themselves in positions of authority, but their authority is based on deceiving the constitutional leadership of the U.S. government. I know I am not the only one out there that struggles with sleep. I had a major problem sleeping. In fact, I didn't sleep much at all. I wake up in the middle of the night with a sore back, a sore neck, sweating, because I, oh. for some reason I sleep hot. And then on top of that, when you do wake up in the morning, because you always get like that last Uh-oh. 45 minutes before you know you got to wake up, right? And, and you're, it's like the race against the clock to try to get a little bit of sleep. Then you get the sleep. Then you got to spend, at least I did, my first 45 minutes of the day stretching, wandering around the house and all kinds of weird positions just to try to loosen my back up so I could put my shoes on to go to work. Well, then I started going to mattress stores and, and you know, you guys get it. You go to the mattress store and you get like, 20 different sales pitches on why you need to buy the $6,000 mattress. Well, I had a friend tell me about this company, Helix Mattresses. So I went to the website. They got 20-something mattresses to choose from. They're all memory foam. They have cooling technology that keeps your body cool at night. That way you're not waking up sweating like I am. And the cool thing is they actually have a test. Don't worry. You're not going to fail it. But uh, they... It's just a questionnaire, and they ask you a little bit about your sleep routine, what positions you're sleeping in, and then they make a recommendation on what they think the best mattress is for you. On top of that, they have a 100-day test period where you can sleep on the mattresses. If you don't like them, you can return them, exchange them, whatever you want to do. I'm telling you, Helix was a game changer for me. Now, 
I don't have to wake up and wander around the house and do all my stretching. It just, look, I don't even know what it does. It just works. Don't just take my word for it, guys. GQ and Wired Magazine have named Helix their number one mattress. Like I said, just go online, go to helixsleep.com slash SRS, take the quiz. It only takes you two minutes. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash SRS. This is their best offer yet, and it's not going to last long. Go with Helix. Better sleep starts right now. I want to tell you a little bit about my morning routine. So it used to be I'd wake up, and it was pills galore. Have my multivitamin, have my probiotic, have my greens replacement, had a bunch of other stuff that my multivitamin didn't cover. And then I found out about these guys, AG1. This is one of their travel packs. AG1 has 75 vitamins and minerals packed in here, and they're all whole food sourced ingredients, the good stuff, right? So basically dump this travel pack or this other stuff right here, the home pack, I guess you would call it. Just take a scoop, dump it into some water. Guys, it helps you with gut health, helps you with energy. It's a total greens replacement. There's tons of good stuff in here. I recommend taking it every morning, and it actually tastes pretty good, too. If you want to take ownership in your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash SRS. That's drinkag1.com slash SRS. Check it out. I'd like to get into that as well. Back to back to the military industrial complex mm-hmm. companies, Raytheon, mm-hmm. Lockheed Martin, Scott all these. How many people do you estimate are on these programs within these different companies? Well, there are thousands. There are thousands at each company? Not at each company. Well, the bigger ones, very likely. Now, remember, you can have, because of top secret special compartmented information protocols you're gonna have a guy at this desk in a cubicle working something he'll have no idea what this one's working on so you have basically an enterprise of people that are all working on one project not realizing what that project is correct they wouldn't know now at the more senior management and coordination they would obviously Mm -hmm. but the, the it's called the pieces out there you know, they would have one piece of it. But those can be very valuable uh, sources of intelligence that I've been meeting with for decades uh, because they may know just one area. They may have this one sliver of information. I feel like my job has been to do the whole comprehensive intelligence assessment from thousands of pieces from credible people inside these corporations and in government programs and put them together into uh, it's like the, a scattered puzzle with a thousand pieces. So you got to eventually put it together into the picture. And so sort of one of my tasks has been is to make that picture come together based on specific evidence, whistleblower testimony, documents, everything, um, which has really been my whole uh, project. I mean, since 92, 93, 
when I briefed the CIA director in 93, we had a comprehensive, comprehensive assessment of the situation. And that's evolved in 30 years, obviously, because we keep getting more granular detail uh, and specific intelligence. And this is what we've been handing over to the U.S. government since they passed the law. Uh, a couple of years ago, ordering the director of national intelligence and the Pentagon to report on this. Now, the problem is the people who are put in charge of that, to be quite blunt, couldn't find their ass in a well-lighted room with both hands. Uh, and sorry, my old Southern expression, but they absolutely had no idea, you know, about the issue. And you saw last spring, there was a couple of those guys, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick and an ONI guy, there before Congress, members of Congress who'd looked at our disclosure project content prior uh, about the Maelstrom Air Force Base, Minot, North Dakota case, where there was a intercontinental intercontinental ballistic missiles taken offline. Uh, eight, I think it was eighteen of them, something like that. And they asked Dr. Kirkpatrick and uh, the other gentleman from uh, Naval Intelligence, and they go, "Well, we've never heard of that." Well, anyone who would have read the disclosure book that came out in 2001, we have the documents. We have the government official documents. We have the NORAD documents. We have the two witnesses, one who is in NORAD and one who is in the silo, all on the record. Right? Wow. Firsthand. So now we have a 100 of those that we've already brought out. Go to my YouTube channel. You'll see 70 of them up there yeah. or 80. The problem is, is that when you're first trying to find out about this, the amount of information, like we're sitting on eight, nine, ten terabytes of data in my archive that we're trying to organize. We call it the D- Disclosure Project Intelligence Archive, the DPIA. And that's what we're putting in organizing and handing off. As soon as we get it to any state and new information, I hand off another hard drive to these top secret guys who, who are trying to find out. But... uh we need to pick up the pace, obviously, because there's a clock. We'll talk about this. There's a clock now been set on this. Well, we will get into all that. Um, another, th- when you're talking about these disinformation agents, these mm-hmm. knocks, mm-hmm. I have somebody that comes to mind, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about him at lunch. Mm-hmm. Lou Elizondo. Mm-hmm. Is he one of them? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, as soon as he emerged on the stage, I had a very senior guy, CIA, who's worked this issue since 1979, uh, contact me about that problem. Um, but remember, uh, the only way that you can control at this point all this coming out because of what we have and what we're pushing forward through media uh, is to uh, control the narrative, the mm-hmm. spin so the people coming forward who get an all-access pass on the, say, 60 Minutes or something like that are people cleared by this same illegal, corrupt organization because they'll tell the public, yes, the UAPs are real, but we don't know what they are. Well, this is an absolute lie. We absolutely know what they are. Some of them are ours, man-made, and are confused quite frequently with the others, which are of extraterrestrial origin or ETVs, extraterrestrial vehicles. And those uh, operatives are, are taught very well to take a, an issue, grab it, capture it, and then spin it in the direction that they want. Now, the direction they want is endless ambiguity. Gee, we don't know what they are. We don't know what they are. It's nonsense. We've proven what they are. Well, you know, I have 755 whistleblowers. You have 755 whistleblowers? Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it, this archive is unbelievable. You you had mentioned that you would want to debate Lou Elizondo. Oh, I'd be happy to. I mean, someone brought that up a couple of years ago. Um, I don't have any animus towards him personally. I just know what his role and function is because I was I was given a heads up on it as soon as he emerged out of the Pentagon uh, and stood up his operation with this young guy I used to hang with, uh, uh, Tom DeLong of Blink-182. <clears throat> he stayed at my house in Virginia. But um, what you expect uh, counterintelligence and, and disinformation agents to do is to do exactly that. Now, remember, all that happened when our documentary, Unacknowledged, which you can still see on Amazon Prime and everywhere, reached about 750 million viewers. At that point, they said, "This we need to take this narrative, acknowledge that these are real, but then change the narrative from the truth, which is what we're putting out, to sort of a fantasy or, or, or sort of a, a diversion. And then those folks like Chris Mellon and Nick Pope and Elizondo would go up on Capitol Hill, whisper into the ears of folks like uh, Senator Rubio of, of the Intelligence Committee and others, basically telling them false information. But the false information works when you can put it around something real. Now, what was the real thing? The tic-tac, you know, the, the F-18 Hornets chasing off the coast of California. Those events that happened that the, the footage was leaked, it was a vehicle for them to attach that false narrative to it. Okay. So you have to understand how uh, counterintelligence and psychological warfare operations are designed. It's very effective. I mean, you know, it is very effective. Um, I would say 90 percent of people who study UFOs got gaslit. Certainly the U.S. Congress and the media did. So. It's they're very good at doing it. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's right, but I'd be very happy to go tete a tete on that with anybody. Let's talk about. Well, I'd love to host that, by the way. Great, so do if, it. Uh, yeah, maybe we can get something going. Um, Although I have to tell you, he he he's called me a terrorist, which I find really funny. Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Um, hey, I've had 30 years of defamation of my character, so I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sort of bulletproof from it. You know, so. Yeah, the Stargate program. Mm-hmm. I, during your last interview, I saw a lot of comment. There's two programs mm-hmm. that I would like you to explain before mm-hmm. we dive into the mm-hmm. uh, to the nuts and bolts of what we're going mm-hmm. to. Um, a lot of questions about the Stargate program. Can you enlighten us? Well, you'd have to describe it. That name is not a code word that I've been introduced to from a reliable inside source person who knows. Okay. So here's just to give you an idea of my discipline. Well, I appreciate the honesty. Thank you. So if somebody has told me about an operation, whether it's a code word, code numbered, or just a general project that I know has the credentials and we know he was involved directly firsthand, not second, third, fourth hand gossip over the internet. Uh, then I will speak to that. But now they, you, if you describe to me what people think Stargate is, I can comment on whether it's got any legitimacy. Well, from what I've read, uh, People are saying that the Stargate program is doing some kind of experimentation with kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I mean, that's it has a different name, but absolutely, that's true. Um, and as you know, <clears throat> Mr. Herrera, the Marine who was at our conference, who I think you'll be speaking with soon, uh, 
he came across such an operation. He initially thought they were transporting in this man-made UFO uh, drugs. They certainly had weapons, illegal weapons that they were distrib- dis- distributing. But those crates that our forensic aerospace artist drew, or we had a, a knock who was there who had been involved in an operation after that. And those were transporting children and uh, women and certain men who had certain capabilities that would be used in experimental projects um, here and in other countries. It's a monstrous pro- program. There's a man who lives right near here who was a, a CIA operative and was very young, was one of these victims of, of this. And he wants to come forward, but he's quite frightened. Um, he's already signed affidavits about it. Um, but there's, there's a CIA black site 160, uh, not far from Nashville that was involved in some of these operations, mostly drugs and drug running, but also trafficking. So it's a human trafficking operation is part of Stargate. Yeah. But you have to understand what it's for. It's not for, you know, shits and giggles, excuse me. It's, uh, there, it's rather, I have to say some of these projects, I mean, they're very disturbing. And I don't know how much people want to hear this, but oh, they want it, to hear it. it will keep you awake at night. I mean, if you have children like I do and but they're used in very specific operations and they were so they're selected for certain capabilities, particularly side capabilities. OK, um, and those are used in projects that these illegal projects are running for the purpose of um, communication. So what's coming to my mind right now is remote viewing. Yes. Is that involved in this? It's but in a very high-tech way, technologically. Most of the subjects die as a consequence of what they're made to do, but they have certain aptitudes and abilities for which they are screened, and then they are abducted and taken. Now, keep in mind, this is also, um, there are a lot of, of operations that have related to this. Um, you know, recently there was a whistleblower came out talking about the aliens murdering humans. And he was referring to a case that I know for a fact were our uh, operations, these illegal secret government operations that were down in South America. And they've done it in Africa also, where they have killed innocent people in villages to make it look like an alien attack. Now that information is being now provided to Congressman Tim Burchett and the Senate Intelligence Committee as if those were extraterrestrial events. They have no idea it's our guys doing it. I'm humans. trying to, I'm trying to get Tim on the show. No, he's great. I've met with him. He's, he's, he's in this heart and soul. Here's the risk though. And, and if anyone in Congress is watching, I, I, I want to word this very carefully. A little knowledge is a f- extremely dangerous thing here because this is a, a hall of smoke and mirrors and deception. And you have to then wind this back. What would a clandestine operation have if unsupervised since the late 1950s, where they've had the most, some of the most brilliant scientific minds I've ever met working these pro- projects? They've had almost an infinite amount of money, trillions of dollars that have gone into the R&D, studying both human breakthroughs and also extraterrestrial vehicles, 
propulsion systems, communication systems, material science, what things are made of, how they're made. Well, you figure after 80 years of that and trillions of dollars, you're going to have some payoffs. And these payoffs are in the form of advanced AT, advanced technologies and ARVs, alien reproduction vehicles that are the man-made ones. But also this whole area of nanobiotechnology, uh, consciousness and mind interface technologies, all manner of weapon systems that are what are called scalar or longitudinal, go faster than the speed of light. It's like an EMP, but on steroids, it has, uh, uh, instead of a wave like this for electromagnetic, it's a straight line that goes out longitudinally called okay. scalar. And those are faster than the speed of light. And they can be used for interstellar communications, but they can also be weaponized. They've been weaponized. So there are all manner. There's a whole constellation, again, of sciences and technologies and, the, you know, the CIA science and technology guys, I've met with some of them, that are so far beyond what, let's call it the, the white world, the, the legal government, uh, including Lockheed, Northrop Grumman. My, my uncle never worked on this stuff. He worked on the lunar module, landed on the moon the first time. It was my mom's oldest brother. And his whole career was with Northrop Grumman. He was never read in to this other end of it. Mm-hmm. So that one of the things people have to keep in mind most of the people in the military, CIA, special operations, uh, corporate, what have you, who work in that world are not part of some vast uh, conspiracy. It's incredibly tightly held. But that's her, that's, in my view, that's her Achilles heel. By definition, it has to be kept pretty small, pretty tight, which makes them vulnerable if we'll get to this later. If the U.S. government actually has the will to go the distance to get this under control and if they need to get it under control fairly quickly because it's getting out of hand. Let's talk about Project Bluebeam. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what that is? Well, that's another subculture term that's been attached to a series of projects that involve uh, what the Pentagon what they call a deceptive indication and warning or a false INW, which is a false flag. And it's the ability to stage through very advanced technologies, an alien attack or an alien event. And it's a whole series of them. Now, what most people don't know about since 19 late fifties, early sixties, like the Barney Hill case and all that, um, those were all human assets abducting innocent people made to look alien. And so that psychological warfare uh, began, was authorized in the in 1953, 54. 1954, we mastered gravity control. So we started deploying these assets to begin to condition the public that there's a scary threat from outer space. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Hollywood, Alien, you know, Ridley Scott's the, the movies. Uh, if you want to see a script for what's coming fairly soon, Look at the movie Independence Day. Okay. It's right out of central casting for this covert group. Uh, so what their, their whole purpose is to create sort of a global militarized totalitarian super state of the world fighting another world. It's like War of the Worlds. Okay. And that's been a 70 year defense plan. And I know people who've seen that plan. Carol Rosen saw the plan, who is Werner von Braun's spokesperson, who's on our team 
Uh, she's almost 80 now, but brilliant mind. And, you know, when she realized in the 70s that this was what was afoot, she her whole life was devoted to trying to get some of these projects under control. But you're, you know, we're little Davids up against an enormous Goliath. Um, and nevertheless, you know, the truth, if people want the truth, they might, well, Gloria Steinem said, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Um, but it's time for people to, you know, actually realize that this is something they have to take seriously. So there are, now if you add those capabilities to <clears throat> holographic capability, scalar weapon capability, space time systems where you can alter and sort of alter the flow of space time in an area, which gets into some really at the CIA, they call this WSFM, weird science and frickin' magic. At my uncle's company, I met an engineer that dealt with this stuff a couple of years ago, and he said, we just call it PFM, pure fucking magic, excuse my language. But that, he says, literally, that's what we call it. So you're, you're dealing with technologies that are, and this is the problem, I call it the big technology gap between what conventional Pentagon, special forces, joint staff, Senate Intel, Armed Services, House Intel, the President, National Security people, what they know and what this group has. So what they know, it's like this is, you know, just to make this real for people. When I was briefing uh, years ago, the admiral in charge of uh, J2 Joint uh, Intelligence for Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral uh, Wilson, and that memo leaked out where he was debriefed by Dr. Davis and everyone went, oh, my God. And, and it, it states, you know, I was there for a stand up briefing. And what they don't know is that at the end of it, I asked the admiral to help us get to the, and this is 97. This is 26 years ago. And he said, well, I don't know how I'm going to help with something when the best technology I can deploy, we can deploy is a B2 stealth. And this other group have objects that can do circles around the B2s. And he acknowledged that to me. I said, well, that doesn't mean you can't. He says, well, I can't unless it's authorized. I said, well, where do you need the authorization? Well, he felt he needed authorization from the SecDef, who had already been waived off, and the president, which was Clinton at the time, who had also, I have a very interesting story since I saw you, but we knew that Clinton had been approached by George H.W. Bush and told, butt out, this is none of your business, dealing with the UFO issue. Because this was one of the very first things Clinton wanted to know about, because I knew people who lived at the White House with him. Um, you know, he he was very keen on getting to the bottom of it. But the efforts he launched were torpedoed, um, and he eventually backed off of it. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know that whole story. It's, a, it's an ugly story of corruption and power being abused. But uh, but he did initially want to really find out what was going on, and it was a sincere effort. And there was an entire uh, special operation stood up around getting getting that. But I have a very famous Hollywood uh, agent and a superstar who was in a limo with um, I, they don't want to use their names, uh, with, with Clinton after he left office. They asked about the UFO issue and the president said, Oh yes. He says, but they, I was told by George H.W. Bush that this was none of my business and butt out. And it was made very clear. You're just the, you're, you're only the president. You get the drift. So, you know, now 
obviously, if we're going to have a constitution, the rule of law and a democratic republic, that kind of thing cannot stand. But because of the power and the money behind this group, it has stood. And, you know, years ago, in 93, I was at the Wrigley Mansion. And I'll tell you, Sean, it was a very interesting meeting. It was like late at night, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And it was a conference room full of suits. And they approached me. And this is um, the fall of 93, just before I briefed CIA Director uh, Woolsey. And they said, look, you don't need to be talking. They knew all about this meeting that was going to happen. And I, you don't need to be talking to the president and, and the CIA director about this. They don't know anything and they're not going to know anything. If you want to know, you talk to us. We're the WFO. We're the work for other contractors. We're the people who are working on these technologies and doing the technology transfer. And then they were trying to convince me to side with what they were doing. And I said, no. I said, this is a corrupt enterprise. And then he offered that he says, you're a doctor, you can take out as many credit cards as you want. We'll zero them out each month because we run the supercomputers that back up the entire banking system. And we can get an infinite amount of money through certain techniques. And so we'll just zero them out. I said, then you're going to own me, aren't you? Because isn't that credit card fraud and banking fraud? He says, no, we're just trying to help. You see how these... This is an absolutely true story. He put me under sodium pentothal lie detector. But at the end of it, he said, look, we have given at least, this is, now remember, this is 30 years ago. We have given at least 10,000 people $10 million a piece or more to secure their cooperation with this project. Wow. And that was 30 years ago. Now, money is no object if you're printing the stuff up and you're running drugs and you're trafficking and you're siphoning off from the legitimate black budget, which there is a legitimate black budget that's overseen by the president and the key people in, in the Congress. We're totally legitimate. But a lot of money from that is siphoned off and is through overbilling to the government into these illegal projects. It's absolutely embezzlement. So we can prove this, by the way. And I have people who've seen it happen. Okay. But I think that when you look at that and you go, okay, well, this is where the center of power is. The center of power is not in Congress and it's not in the White House and it's not in the legal constitutional government or the main part of the Pentagon or agency. It's in this group and it's amassed so much power and wealth and technology that it is, and I'll be blunt, a threat to all life on earth. It's a threat. It's way greater threat than China or Iran or Russia. Ever. And I think people have to take this, what I just said, very seriously, because all these other skirmish. I just got to say, this involves Captain Ashtar and Admiral Sananda Kumara, and I'm not kidding. Even if there were a couple of nukes detonated, there's nothing compared to the risk this group poses, given the technologies they possess and the intention to use it in a malevolent way where they could stampede the whole world on their trajectory, that would be, you know, an Armageddon scenario. So unfortunately, these people are serious about it. They're whacked out, in my opinion. One of the uh, knock I recently met with, he says, yeah, well, even in this world, and he's been in this uh, super black, dark world, uh, and very high up, relatively high up, mid-level anyway, 
And he said the way for the folks who are these really super rogue operators, the recruiter for being sociopaths or psychopaths. Now, he says, I was recruited because I was willing to kill on behalf of the country or what's right, but but not being a sociopath to do it for the good. If you're going to use lethal force or any, any technology, these folks running these projects are a subset of people who are screened, who are, in fact, sociopaths and psychopaths. And I'm using this clinically as a doctor There's four and a half percent of the U.S. population are sociopaths and psychopaths. So, I mean, and the ones that are high functioning are identified and moved over into these rogue operations. Interesting. Yeah. Smart. Extremely smart. Yeah. Um, Let's take a quick break. Sure. And then we're going to get into the disclosure project. I don't know if I've ever been this excited to represent a brand. I'm talking about first form. I just align so well with what they've got. First Form is a supplement company. They have just about every supplement you can possibly imagine. All grade A stuff. Let's go through some of the stuff that, uh, some of my favorites. All right. Here we go. One, Endura Performance. This is a non-stimulant pre-workout mix. Guess what? Made in the USA. Protein sticks and the protein bar. Look, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm super busy. I don't have time to go to lunch. In fact, I don't even know what a lunch break is. This is my lunch for the most part. Then we got Opta Reds 50. Guess what? Also made in the USA. So is the protein bar and the beef sticks actually, but Opta Reds 50. Guess what guys? Beets super healthy for you. Guess what? They taste like shit. This doesn't. Two scoops, throw it in there. You get all the benefits of having beets with OptiReds 50. Then we've got protein. Everybody needs protein. If you're not taking protein, you should be, especially if you work out. My favorite, chocolate banana. Guys, let me tell you something else about First Form. The owner, CEO, Andy Frazella, guy has made a phenomenal company, True American Dream Story started from absolutely nothing, sleeping on a mattress in the back room of a very small shop. Now, he's built an empire. Check it out. Go to firstform.com slash SRS. He's also put a culture into his company that this entire country could use right now. Gave me a ton of inspiration. I used to listen to his podcast, Real as Fuck. When I was building my first studio in the attic of my house three and a half years ago, right when the show started, can you believe that? Now I'm repping the brand. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, you might want to. Like I said, real as fuck. Check it out. I'm actually on there. I do a pretty decent job, but uh, let me know what you think. Anyways, once again, Go to firstform.com slash SRS. And when you get there, if you order $75 or more worth of product, guess what? You're getting free shipping. But you're only getting that if you go to firstform.com slash SRS. That's one S-T-P-H-O-R-M slash SRS. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a real American company that aligns with all the values that America stands for. Check them out. 
I want to tell you all about this new meat delivery service I found called Moink. What I really, really like about Moink is they are from a small rural farm town of Missouri, LaBelle, Missouri, right by where I grew up. And I love supporting small town business free of GMOs, antibiotics, and all bacon you will ever taste. But it's only for a limited time. It's spelled Moink. M-O-I-N-K box.com slash S-R-S. That's moinkbox.com slash S-R-S. All right, Dr. Greer, we're back from the break. I forgot to give you a gift. Every time, the last time I forgot to do this, too. It's okay. We just get to go, we get to go oh, and yeah. I get fascinated. <laughs> well, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, a gift bag for winning the contest for the... Whatever it is I've done. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So those in there, they got the Vigilance Elite Gummy Bears. Oh, good. Legal in all 50 states, believe it or not. And uh got your hat, too. But Thank you. Let's move on. So, Oh, good. You're going to disguise me up now. <laughs> so I got a question from a friend of mine. I tried to connect you guys. I don't know if you guys connected or not, but um, my friend Chris Beck <laughs> and um he just said an idea to run by you. Does this line, does this theory line up with UFO sightings? And then the question is, is it easier to see UFOs in grays in early hours, one hour before sunrise to an hour after sunrise? The ultraviolet of the sun is it, the ultraviolet of sun is highest in these hours to see repes. Is hour before an hour after sunset because infrared is highest in these hours? Well, actually, it really depends on what modality they're operating in. So what that, what that means is uh, an interstellar vehicle. Now, it's distinguished between the ones that we have versus the ones that are interstellar. They can phase in and out of this, say, 3D instantaneously. So you could have one right over your building right here. No sensor would pick it up because it's actually shifted the frequency of it out of linear space time. Uh, sort of, so this is what I call trans-dimensional physics. And then in an instant, nanosecond, it could be 3D or it could be something in between. So it's a little bit if you've ever had a rheostat for a dimmer switch or something, you can make it brighter, dimmer, turn it all the way off. So those technologies allow for an object to be fully in 3D or shifted dimensionally, literally, out into another dimension and back. Now, these are not interdimensional. They're more transdimensional because their origins are another star system. There are also interdimensional objects, and those are things from another dimension that is not from the, the material cosmos, but they can be confused with some of the extraterrestrial uh, phenomena. It's a very complex thing. So in terms of seeing these objects, I think people, you know, when it's not super bright, uh, in this, with the sun, you're going to see more uh, an object that's going to be silhouetted than in bright, bright sunlight. Okay. Um, and the other issue I think is that the ones that we have can also operate in a way where they are substantially have an electromagnetic field around them that can kind of cloak them, but under certain lighting conditions and radiation, let's call it infrared, ultraviolet, it depends on the condition, you can get a glimpse of them as they're moving. 
so I think that this gets into understanding the underlying technology and physics of how these objects work. And that's why when we're doing our, our expeditions where we're going out, making contact and looking, we have a whole set of protocols and I train people on what to look for, what the phenomenon might be. You know, if you're having cameras, whether it's settings, I don't do camera work, full disclosure, I'm an idiot with cameras, but um, so that you have it set properly and what, and also know what to look for. Uh, but I think that the um, technology determines more than the time of day, but the time of day might facilitate. That's why I think when, when it's still light, but it's not bright light, and the, that spectrum, you, you'll see an object more easily. Okay. But I think it has to do with, I don't think it has to do with the actual innate occurrence. I think it has to do with what we can see. What we can see with these things. Okay. Or ours. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When you're talking trans-dimensional, what, how do I even ask this? When we're talking other dimensions, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Well, it, the universe, let's call it the cosmos, you know, it's, it's described by astrophysicists as sort of this 3D thing. Now, it, if you look at uh, quantum entanglement and the concepts of the universe being a holographic conscious entity, which it is, then you start talking about not just material, but you're also talking about uh, other dimensions that are at refined levels of frequencies and vibration. So the speed of light, the speed of electrons, atoms, what have you, all of that would pertain to what we call the 3D, three-dimensional. If you were to cross over that in, in frequencies, and this is, again, where you start getting into some very strange WSFM, like I mentioned, phenomenon, then you're talking about other embedded dimensions but it's not like it's some distant place. It's folded within. So, you know, a, a hologram, if you look at a hologram of Marilyn Monroe with her dress blowing up, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. If you were to just zoom in on one little piece of that dress on the edge of the, her, her, her skirt, you, and zoom in on it, the entire image would be in there and zoom in again. It'd be, it's holographic. So you have to kind of get your mind around the cosmos is this, conscious quantum hologram and so there are many 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 dimensions not just this plane of three dimension uh that is all enfolded within it so a lot of the confusion happens where everything like a, something weird like a poltergeist event will be conflated with uh something extraterrestrial well it isn't you know it's, it was someone who like in the er i had this happen once some guy that was killed couldn't save him, you know, it was murder and he was angry. And at three in the morning, he started taking all the stuff out of the cabinets, but he wasn't there. It was just his spirit, weird stuff. So that kind of phenomenon isn't extraterrestrial. It's interdimensional. You see what I'm saying? I do. Okay. So I'm trying to do some very kind of cr crude analogies, but the confusion comes in is that if you're an interstellar capable civilization, which means you're going from point A in the cosmos to here, B, it's like if, you, if this were a piece of paper, you're not going a straight line across the paper. You're folding the paper being space time. Okay. And so these two points are here. 
I'm right. enlightened now. And so, but in the process of doing that, it, this sort of bending and, and altering space time, you then bump up against and cross these other dimensions. And this is sort of the intersection between what some people call metaphysics and physics or the conscious worlds and the, the worlds of light, if you will, the mystics would call astral and extraterrestrial technologies. And it's a very interesting intersection. I, I find that the most interesting part of this whole subject, but it quickly, you, you have to be, you go into crazy town way too quickly with a lot of people out there who don't know enough to talk about it intelligently, in my opinion. But it's also dangerous. And here's why it's dangerous. Those capabilities can be technologically stimulated to occur. It's like the Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> After a certain cell of this covert group got hold of that thing, they started setting up phenomenon there. It was absolutely man-made, high-end electronics, but interdimensional. It's like to show Stranger Things. I've never seen it, but it, that's based on some weird stuff that went on at Montauk on Eastern Long Island, the Montauk projects. And we know what those are. I know guys who've been in laboratories where they have a, a toroid or one of these devices and suddenly they're pulling in spooky looking creatures that look like they came out of the ninth ring of hell and they, they literally become 3D and are running around the lab. Weird stuff. All right, so the high end of the WSFM is, is this sort of thing. But that can be used in a deceptive indication and warning. It, it can be used in a way that everyone on planet Earth would think that it's alien, and it isn't. I see what you mean. Okay, so this is the real, the real danger in all of this, not being disclosed and known, particularly by policymakers and the government, Pentagon, all these folks, is that they're not going to be able, they're going to be so easily gaslit and deceived by people presenting all kinds of phenomena, plural, as extraterrestrial when it isn't. Because they have mastered the ability of this, what's called stagecraft. That's literally what it's called in some circles. Yeah. Uh, and this gets back to this whole question of Project Bluebeam, where they could stage but what their capabilities are way beyond what most people think they are. And I began working with some of these geniuses back in the early 90s that I met who in late 1950s and 60s had figured this out. So the electronics uh, and the very high-end electromagnetic field systems that can do this were unpacked pretty well by between 1955 and 1965, in that a decade. So with these, with the different dimensions, is so there's another dimension in this room right now, and we just can't. within this room. It folded. It's the enfoldment. It's quantum entanglement. So you know, but Einstein called the spooky effect. You know, where the same particle be in two places at once. Mm -hmm. But but visualize that uh, at every point in space and time. At this level of quantum entanglement, you have access to any other point in space and time, but also these other dimensions up to and including the, the most rarefied, what some people would call the, the conscious being, the unbounded consciousness. It's all folded within this in what I call the real cosmology, uh, understanding the cosmology, which is way beyond astrophysics, current astrophysics. Uh, but, but I think that's the part of this where when you start 
experimenting with and, and reverse engineering an extraterrestrial vehicle, their communication systems are not based on the speed of light like our cell phones, right, or video. They're based on this understanding of the cosmos because they've lived for millennia in that understanding. And so this is why, you know, we talk about the fact that they have technologies that interface with directed thought. I call it a technology-assisted consciousness and consciousness that assists the technology so they can interface bioelectric field and thought and they navigate the spacecraft. Shit. Really, really cool stuff. I mean, you know, Elon Musk is trying to do some stuff with Neuralink, but he's still using wires and at the speed of light. But the idea would be the same, that your your thought could actuate to a technological interface that would then not only be used in communication, because what's that? The speed of thought versus the speed of light. Yeah. But think about why that's so important. If you're from the Andromeda galaxy, which is two and a half million light years from here, at the speed of light, your cell phone, it would take two and a half million years for a signal to get there and another two and a half million years for them to answer and you hear it. It's five million years. So when I... When I, when I talk about this, I say there are certain technological thresholds you have to have crossed if you're an extraterrestrial interstellar civilization. Those technologies have, the good news is we, we understand them and they could be used to great purpose on earth, energy generation, healing, all kinds of things, medical. But right now, they're in the hands of the worst group of sociopaths that have ever lived, and they dwarf, by far, Stalin or Hitler in terms of their intention and their capabilities way beyond. It's not the buffoonery of the Third Reich. It's just the high-tech, very dangerous end. Now, this is this to me, is as a doctor, I tell people this is like a knife or, so, you know, I can use a knife to put butter on my bread or I can use it to slit your throat. Now, so technology is neutral. It's the, it's the consciousness and the intention of those who wield it, who have it. Mm-hmm. In this situation right now, it's the worst of all worlds because you have the most amazing, wonderful technologies in the hands of the worst group ever that, that have quite a bit of malice and intention. So this is what I think has to be fixed, and that's, that's why the Disclosure Project is trying to move this along. First, yes, now we've established UFOs are real. Well, that was known in the 50s, 60s, 40s. But now what's behind all that? Unpacking all the detail. And the reason the scientific end of this is so important, even for operations, is that this group of illegal covert human projects, they have surveillance, communication systems, transport systems and sciences that are Ben Rich the week before he died told James Goodall, you heard him at our conference last when the last men to talk to him. He says, anything that you've seen in Star Trek and can imagine we've done at the Lockheed Skunk Works. And he said, not at that, not at area 51, but at the desert base, the underground facility. Let's get into the disclosure project. (laughs) For 100 plus years, advanced technology has been seized, isolated, and hidden away. This is to suppress the advancement of technology and human progress. 
The Disclosure Project archives include government documents from the United States, Canada, Australia, Russia, and the UK, 145 top-secret facilities and base maps, 755 now, witness accounts from military, corporate, and government sources, 121 UFO crash retrievals. Yep, it's all in our archive. What are some of the 145 top-secret facilities that you know about? Well, you know, everyone talks about Area 51. That's an old one. Um, it's still operational, uh, and particularly, you know, S3, S4, Pahoot uh, Mesa, um, out in Groom Lake. Are these in the U.S.? Yeah, or? this is this is Nellis. Okay. You know, that one. Um, and that's operational, has been since the 50s. Uh, a, a more state-of-the-art one is actually in the Dugway Proving Grounds, which is in Utah. Is this the one that um, you disclosed at the at the conference? Yes, I'm going to put a picture up of it right yeah. now. And so uh, that facility, there's something called the Avery Sector, A V E R Y, where there are these assets. There's an extraterrestrial vehicle that was being studied there when one of our witnesses, I think he was there in 2009, uh, when that object had been downed. They're they're downed by these electromagnetic pulse weapons because the ET craft are completely electromagnetic. So, um, you know, a kinetic weapon would not be so effective, um, missile or a laser, but an electromagnetic pulse or scalar weapon stuns them and they'll come down. Sometimes they crash. Sometimes they're intact. If they're intact, then you have the whole thing to study. And that's where this man was in a facility where they had an entire intact one. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a vast underground facility there. So they're downing these aircraft with basically a directed EMP weapon. Yes, but a more sophisticated than the legal constitutional government would know about because you're going to add to normal EMP, uh, uh, let's call it a, uh, a supercharged part of it that's scalar, what I mentioned before, where it's a point that goes out longitudinally without the waveform. Okay. So that's why, you know, light propagates at 186,000 miles every second. These are not limited that way because it's a point that goes out straight line. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So now you're bypassing, you're exceeding the speed of light. It's essentially teleportation. That's different. We'll get into that if you want to. That, But no, I'm talking about just a, a, a type of uh, energy weapon, mm-hmm. but it can also be used for communication. And uh, I think in the old days, in the early 20th century, mid 20th century, there were people who stumbled across. And Tesla wrote about scalar waves. So hold on, can so, be used for so others. This isn't a this isn't a point A to point B line. It's not linear. It's not a linear weapon. If I shoot a gun, the bullet goes. You can see it, right? You know, and if I shot a laser, you could see it, you know, f- travel from point A to point B. Are you saying that these weapons do not? Well, they go from point A to point B, but by passing a linear space time, meaning they're they're in the entangled quantum. So in, quantum entanglement basically is where every point in space and time is connected through what's called quantum entanglement. Mm -hmm. So when you have a quantum scalar weapon, then you're able to uh, 
target an object at multiples of the speed of light. Uh, and uh, those weapons are, they're very dangerous because one of the things we have to be careful of is while these civilizations that are extraterrestrial are, I mean, to me, they're the equivalent of Gandhi that they haven't struck back uh, at all. So, but, but I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, the more these weapons get perfected and you get into multiple generations of them, the more humans are a risk to other planets. Without the ones like you working tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. No matter your industry, Granger's here for you with professional grade supplies. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. If you watch this show at all, you know I am a very big proponent when it comes to psychedelic therapy. I had my own journey. It's helped me in more ways than I can even begin to describe in one sitting. And I found this new company called Mindbloom. Let me tell you about it. There's no quick fix for anxiety and depression. It's not finding a new therapist or starting an exercise routine. Not more and regular meditation or a better diet. Sometimes you need something to unlock your brain. A new way of thinking and seeing the world. Maybe that thing is guided ketamine therapy from Mindbloom. But there's a new tool to improve your mental health. At-home ketamine therapy. Mindbloom is a leader in at-home ketamine therapy, having helped thousands of people overcome their anxiety and depression. Unlike traditional talk therapy, ketamine can work quickly and doesn't have the unpleasant side effect of traditional antidepressants. In a study of over 1,200 clients, 89% have found improvement in anxiety and depression in just two sessions. Right now, Mindbloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com slash SRS and use the promo code SRS. Take the first step and break free from your anxiety and depression with Mindbloom. That's mindbloom.com slash SRS. Use the promo code SRS. I want to give a big thank you out right now to all the Vigilance Elite patrons out there that are watching the show right now. Just want to say thank you, guys. You are our top supporters, and you're what makes this show actually happen. If you're not on Vigilance Elite Patreon, I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in there. So we do a little bit of everything. There's plenty of behind-the-scenes content from the actual Sean Ryan show on top of that, basically what I do is I take a lot of the questions that I get from you guys or the patrons, and then I turn them into videos. So we get right now, there's a lot of concern about self-defense, home defense, crimes on the rise all throughout the country, actually all throughout the world. And so we talk about everything from how to prep your home, how to clear your home, how to get familiar with a firearm, both rifle and pistol for beginners and advanced. We talk about mindset. We talk about defensive driving. We have an end of the month live chat that I'm on at the end of every month where we can talk about whatever topics you guys have. It's actually done on Zoom. You might enjoy it. Check it out. 
And if Zoom's not your thing, or you don't like live chats, like I said, there's a library of well over 100 videos on where to start with prepping, all the firearm stuff, pretty much anything you can think of, it's on there. So anyways, go to www.patreon.com slash vigilance elite, or just go on the link in the description. It'll take you right there. And if you don't want to, and you just want to continue to watch the show, that's fine too. I appreciate it either way. Love you all. Let's get back to the show. Thank you. Well, with these weapons, I'm trying to understand this. Yeah. And I, I think I have at least a grasp of quantum entanglement. So what you're saying, so, so every, every point of space and time is connected. Correct. Through whatever atoms, which I'll just call them atoms. Yeah. But with no time delay. And so if I was to use one of these energy weapons, let's just say from me to you, mm-hmm. six feet apart. Mm-hmm. And I use this energy weapon at the exact same time to an object that's 75,000 miles away. It'd be the same time interval. It would be. Take the amount, same amount of time. It would be the exact same amount of time. Right. Okay. That's what I, that's okay. what I thought. So, so how does that differentiate from teleportation? Teleportation is actually the movement of an object from point to A to B. Okay. Okay. Not just the energy. So you, know, you take this bottle and you okay. do it that way. Okay. So it, it's in a, it's, it's in the same sort of, again, category of transdimensional physics and advanced physics and technologies. And the real action is in the electromagnetic and magnetic spin, all of that. And so the people who understand this that I've met with who've worked on these technologies and have had them in their labs, um, and I've been in some of these labs, is a fascinating um, technology. And if it was used for something good, I mean, we'd have a whole new planet here. I mean, it'd be phenomenal, beautiful. Wow. Well, that's what the Lost Century, the documentary that we just released, is all about a hundred years of these sort of technologies that have been sequestered and confiscated and how if they were disclosed, we would have a civilization uh, well within your baby's lifetime before he's in high school. We'd have a world with no pollution, no poverty and no energy issues in terms of energy shortage because you'd be pulling energy out of uh, the fabric of space time and the so-called zero point or quantum vacuum from this quantum level. And that's what Tesla stumbled across. I mean, they didn't, he didn't call it that because the, the physics of it weren't fully elaborated, but he, he, he saw the effect of it. We're going to get into that, that stuff. We're going to get into the documentary for, for now. Um, back to the underground facility. Mm-hmm. That's a big one at Dugway. It's that what this gentleman firsthand had not been in it. He has the name of a scientist, senior scientist. U.S. government that was at the Dugway facility, and he said that the complex that's underground goes out. It's about thirteen hundred square miles, not acres, miles. Thirteen hundred square miles. Yeah. What's in there? All this stuff, the technologies, the craft, the operations. Um, we know that I had a man who was out there who had special night vision. He was special. Uh, operations and embedded, but he was a scientist and he was out there and we hours 
there are these massive triangular objects, silent, launching from that area, but underground, and would come out over the range. No lights on them, totally, fully operational. Um, and, you know, those, those are, are one category of the man-made advanced technology platforms or alien reproduction vehicles, some people call them. There are quite a few out there at Dugway. These government documents from the U.S., Canada, Australia, Russia, and the U.K., what are some of those documents? Well, they run the whole gamut. For example, I have a document, wasn't declassified, but it was provided to me by a source from uh, Area 51, Nellis, and it's uh, it lists as of the early 90s. Uh, I got it in the 90s, uh, all the code numbers and code names that were on a security alert because there were a group of civilians who were trying to spy on the range where they had to shut everything down because there was a large group. Um, and it was a security alert, but it was an NRO document, National Reconnaissance Office document. And it had key names on it. It had a MAGI on it, the Majority Joint Intelligence Committee, or MAGIC. It had Cosmic Ops on it, Royal Ops. It had Blackjack Control on it. It had key actionable intelligence. And that's one of the documents I gave to some of the folks in the White House over the years or Pentagon because it's it's a legitimate document that actually gives specific code word and numbers uh that were out in that particular area. And it's still there. I mean there it's not like you pick up an asset like that and move it to where. Um so we know where they are. And that's why our hundred and forty five facilities uh I've just learned of a new one that we'll be putting on that map soon. Um it's supposed to be taken there. Where's this I can't say where, but the can we, right now. Can we put the map up? Yes. And you put the map up, you'll see many of them are places people know. They know Edwards Air Force Base, but where? Um, where do you go to uh, at the Nellis Range? It's a huge range, uh, Air Force Base. Uh, and then the Nevada test site, which is the where we tested uh, nuclear weapons going north. But out there, there's some very key assets. And there's a Delta Force Hilo base out there that's used for retrieving extraterrestrial vehicles and retrieving downed, uh, accidentally crashed uh, man-made ones that malfunction. So we have a man on our team who was on a retrieval operation initially for conventional aircraft jets for their classified components. And then he got read into uh, an operation retrieving the man-made ones, which blew his mind the Raytheon and Northrop ones. Then he got read into the ones that are, uh, you know, oh, he was on one operation where we stunned one of these extraterrestrial vehicles. It's one I showed at the event. Uh, and it didn't crash. It got stunned and landed out there on the range, the Nevada test range. And they were moved in in helos to uh, retrieve it. And um, that interesting account of that, uh, it began to come back to life. And uh, an opening came out of it, and it looked like a fruit roll-up came down, and a couple of extraterrestrials emerged. That he had, he literally was in three or four feet of them. We have the drawing of them, of what they look like. But what happened is that at that point, that craft was being checked by uh, helicopters in the air, as well as one of these ARVs, uh, man-made ones, the triangular. 
when they, it, this thing began to sort of glow at reddish and come to life, boom, our aircraft took off. Now the boots on the ground there and the choppers on the ground, after a few minutes, they were all, I know this sounds like Star Trek, they were all teleported back to the Hilo base instantly. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. They weren't harmed. None of them were harmed. But apparently this whole event convinced this particular operator to get out of that system because he knew what, what he sensed from these ETs was that they were completely benign, very much here to help us. And we were doing horrible things to them. And they also said, we know what you're doing. We're not going to allow you to do this much longer. It was sort of a warning that happened in 2000 and, um, but that was 2010, 11 time period. So what's your goal with the disclosure project? Well, our goal is first of all to get this information to the key policymakers and, uh, people in the government who have responsibility for our national security, but also in other countries as well and to the public so that they understand the difference, in my opinion, between the false information being purveyed, which is the dominant information that's out on the internet and Hollywood and shows, and the real information that needs to be understood by the public so that the public isn't deceived. So we have both an internal governmental uh, objective to guide the government in understanding this and getting them as much detailed, actionable intelligence as possible. Like the details, and this is how they've gotten this far. The reason the bill that was just came out of committee and the intelligence committee is because they now understand if you read that bill that is given sort of a safe harbor six months amnesty period for these corporations and people to come forward or they'll be prosecuted, that is in the bill that left committee. And I've been pushing for this for a long time. The first time I recommended it was in 1993 to Bill Clinton, and nobody wanted to do it. Now it's going to happen, but that sets a clock. And so the Disclosure Project's objective is to give the legal government of the United States that we have allegiance to, and the we the people, the public, the information so that these rogue and very criminal activities can be brought under proper supervision and control, access control. And that's not the case right now. And it's dangerous that it isn't. So it's a very big step that first in December, they signed this law allowing uh, whistleblowers to come forward through the Pentagon process, which, which is a top secret skiff situation. But now this bill is going to explicitly state that these corporations, anybody having exotic materials, clearly referring to extraterrestrial type materials, technologies, bodies, those have to be disclosed and turned over to the legal U.S. government or they will then be subject to prosecution criminally. Um, so that's a, a six-month window now. So that clock has started. That's a six-month window. Yep. And you're also going to make all of this, which a lot of it already is, open source information. For yeah, so we could get some. <laughs> you have to imagine myself and my wife and a few volunteers trying to scan, organize eight, ten terabytes of data and then create a database system that's searchable and then eventually get it on the Internet. Now, what we do have to redact 
the unredacted archive I'm giving to the top investigators in the Congress and the Pentagon group. Uh, the White House got a redacted version uh, because they're not really leaning into this much yet. Um, which they should be, mm-hmm. but I have someone in the White House military office that, that we're providing information to. But um, those, the, the, the redacted one, just to be clear, the only thing we're holding back are the personal names of these, you know, hundreds of whistleblowers who don't want their names known, mm-hmm. um, except under certain conditions. And also, they're, you know, like they're, if they have a DD 214, I'm not going to release. In a, in a non-secure manner. So the, the folks who have the unredacted, those go into a skiff, they go into a vault, they have it. Now, I will say on the record, anyone who says the U.S. government is not in possession of all the facts and the actual intelligence to get to the bottom of this is a liar or ignorant. They're either a liar or they're ignorant because that was handed off three weeks ago, all of it. So there's actually no excuse now. The only excuse they'd have now is that they're part of a cover-up, in which case they should be prosecuted. And I'm saying even the people in the Arrow office in the Pentagon, they either move on this and do it with integrity, or they should be prosecuted. Let's move into your new documentary, The Lost Century. Sure. It's all about advanced technology, how it's been for hundred, how it's been around for over a hundred years, but kept secret. Zero point energy, yep. a lot of people call free energy, is also mm-hmm. called the quantum vacuum. This would basically eliminate the need for fossil fuels, utilities, wind, every, solar, yeah. yeah, winds, every, every means to power that we have now would make it completely obsolete. It would be unlimited, clean, and right. free energy. And we've had it for a hundred years. How do we, so let's get into this. How, how did you discover this stuff? Well, it was an outgrowth of me looking into the, the UFO UAP issue because once you realize these objects are real, three dimensional, the very first question, actually, when I was, when I go up uh, to Capitol Hill or someplace, I'll put up the footage, the footage that the Pentagon said, this is a real 3D object. Infrared sensors, no heat, no jets, no rockets, and certainly no nuclear power plant on it because, I mean, those things are hot, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are, have been nuclear-powered aircraft and satellites. But I said, how is that moving at those speeds and then straight up against gravity? This is the alternative energy and propulsion systems. So I always tell people, forget all the mythology and everything. It's an alternative energy system. Now, it's a very advanced one because it also flies. Now, to be to be really clear, I am not advocating not the release of the things that fly yet. Why? It's a missile delivery system. So you don't really want to open source an electrogravitic anti-gravity system that allows terrorists in Mogadishu to get a dirty bomb over downtown D.C. and two or three seconds, mm-hmm. right? No. Now, but the things that would sit at your house, like your heat pump, all right, or in the hood of your car, that would run your car or your factory or your business or your home, those devices that are not things that fly, those are just pulling energy from the fabric of space-time around it. 
And physicists have estimated that the volume of space in a coffee mug has enough potential energy to boil off all the oceans of the world. Is that much latent energy? So tapping into it to run the entire United States, the whole world, be like taking a thimble of water out of the Great Lakes. So it is what, you know, Tesla called it the infinite energy field. And it began to be discovered, if you look at it, all the way back. But it, as soon as you step into the reality, the three-dimensional reality of these uh, UAPs and UFOs, you immediately begin talking to people. And this is what happened to me in the early 90s, to people who know the physics of the energy systems, because these things are not using oil, gas, coal, nuclear, what have you. So it's a, it's a natural extension of the problem. And I point out to people One of the central reasons for the secrecy that got out of control under Eisenhower's late last four years as president was because once they realized how this works, they realized the big industrialist and financial and global moneyed people, banking, this would be the end of that entire sector of the macroeconomic system. Well, that would have been great if it had been transitioned before I was born in 1955 because look at the world we have now. But it really could have started coming out in the early teens and 20s. If you look at the documentary, The Lost Century, the, the subcaption is, and how to reclaim it. We talk about how we need to come together as a people and develop these energy generation systems and open source them, meaning that it's no patent, no intellectual property held back at the first level of this, because the patent office will seize it. We prove that in the documentary. We have a national security order on a patent that a scientist I know submitted. We took his name off of it. So the question is, are there some people who can financially uh, put up the funds? And it needs to be a substantial amount, you know, 50 to 100 million to start to create a high energy physics lab that develops this and gets it out to the public. No intellectual property holdback or if there was that much funds available, we could go to some of these scientists who probably have these and say, look, we want to just acquire this. You'll be, here's $10 million. Now go and relax. Let us move this out to the public. You can't do it. Most of these engineers and scientists and inventors think they're going to do it the way they do a new software program. And they're going to try to monetize it through uh, intellectual property protections and patent. You cannot do that with this. Because the system is so completely weaponized and corrupt, and I'm talking from the patent office on, uh, that the only way to do it is to do an open source release of it massively through the Internet blockchain. So that's what we're doing. But the technology, if you go, if you look at this documentary, you'll see this trajectory. There's a, a great photograph with Nikola Tesla with this engineer farmer, self-taught guy, I believe it was 1908 or 1902, the caption. And this guy had like an earth battery. He had some uh, metallic stakes and wires in the ground. He was pulling resonant energy. It was running his farm. Wow. I mean, my even my father, you know, I wasn't alive. He was born in 1916. This was before my dad, who was hand-to-hand combat in World War II with the Japanese amphibious landing unit. Uh, but, you know, I'm going, what the heck? You know, we have our planet. Half the planet's population doesn't have indoor plumbing. Three billion people have no way to cook their food. They're cutting down the rainforest. Three billion. The biosphere, 
even if you don't think climate change is real, five million people die from breathing particulate matter, soot, all over the world from this noxious stuff we keep burning. So we need to take care of our creation, the earth, and our future. And it isn't going to happen with a windmill and a solar panel. Believe me, no way you're going to run 8 billion people off of those technologies. We're going to have to have innovative, high-tech solutions to the energy and environmental and poverty problems. I mean, look, you know, I just want to backtrack on that real quick. When you're talking about people dying from from inhaling these particles and these chemicals and shit, I mean, you know, this is, this unfortunately is a touchy subject, you know, the, the, the pollution and I, and climate change and all this shit. But what I can attest to that is a hundred percent fact is what you just said, because I've been to these parts of the world. Yeah. I've spent over a decade in these parts of the world and you see one, you see all these veterans coming home, dying of weird cancers from shit that they breathed in overseas. Yep. And, and I can tell you in the winter time, the winter time in Afghanistan, the soot is so thick in the air yeah. that if you go outside for, I mean, we're talking just yeah. five minutes yeah. and you go back inside and spit in, mm-hmm. spit in the sink or spit in whatever. Blow your nose. Yeah. You're, it, you're, you're, you're going to spit gray. Right. And, but those fine particles get into your lungs and then uh-huh. your circulatory and heart and cause a huge number of problems. Not just cancers, but I'm talking heart, lung disease. So why are we doing that when these technologies have existed? Now, this same corrupt organization, because it doesn't just deal with one issue, have been responsible for basically hoovering up, vacuuming up all these technologies for 100 years. Uh, I know people personally, personally, who have been murdered because they had one. And it's because they very, against my advice, AMA, against medical advice, against their own security interests. They wanted to keep it secret and they thought they were going to be so clever and they were going to outfox this big super state of thugs. I'm going, dude, you have no idea what you're up against here. And then they think they're going to do encryption and keep it secret. I'm going, oh, my God, you think this group needs to worry about electromagnetic encryption? when they can target a volume of space anywhere and extract anything being said. I mean, I, I mean, it's, you know, and it's, I understand it because if you're in the normal engineering world, you're not going to know believe this. It. It's hard to believe it. But I said, you know, if you don't believe it, just wait, you're going to be dead or it'll be confiscated. And I, you know, you're only, you're lucky if all they do is come in and kick your door in, hit you with a national security order and drag it off. Mm. You know, that's your best outcome. That's your best case scenario if you do it the conventional way. So I go, look, you know, it's like, what is that saying attributed to Einstein? The the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. The reason I can prove that the strategy most people use doesn't work is that we can prove these technologies have been around for over 100 years. And you and I are still tied into a coal-fired or gas-fired power grid, right? So if, if the strategies... If the, if the conventional business and technology strategies were going to work, they would have worked before, you know, you and I were born. So we need to think we need to have different thinking about this strategically. So what we're saying is all of these technologies, if they're used for peaceful perf- purposes, would really give us a whole new civilization. Beautiful. Uh, now, the downside is, given what humans are, 
We like to take any new technological breakthrough and weaponize it. But the truth is they've already done that. We've already weaponized these things. How do you think that these, the anti-gravity technology that's using gravity as a power source, how is that happening? Can, do you have a brief explanation on? I, I really think it's gravity control and gravity wave control. Uh, as for a power source, I think the power source was better described as this quantum vacuum energy or zero point energy. But if you, so there's, it's like, two separate things, but are related. So you can have a zero point energy system or a free energy system. It doesn't move and it's not affecting gravity, but at a certain resonant frequency and power and has to do with uh, vortices, toroidal energy patterns, you can then cause what's what I call mass cancellation, where an object literally takes on weightlessness. Now, if you go back in the documentary, we touch on this all the way back to beef, the T. Townsend Brown and what was later called the Beefill Brown effect. In the late 1920s, he took a very high voltage system at a very certain uh, with wires around a crystalline material and it levitated, just floated. Now, that was almost 100 years ago, late 20s. Uh, that was then the Kowski Frost experiment in Germany around the same time, confirmed it. Later, the whole Beefield-Brown effect, studying very high-voltage VHV systems, began to be increasingly studied and classified in the 30s and 40s. By the time World War II ended, Adolf Hitler had a disc-shaped electrogravitic, but it wasn't stable, which is why he could never use it in the war. But it was brought back to America by Paul Mellon and... Uh, Patton, General Patton, and uh, Alan Dulles. Mm. Um, but th- th- so that device actually became a very important object to study at the end of World War II. And of course, it also, that technology got advanced greatly by studying the extraterrestrial materials that we also were beginning to acquire by using electromagnetic uh, weapons to down the ET craft. So you had two rivers of technology being developed from the 20s, 30s, 40s that intersected with the extraterrestrial technologies and they hybridized them. Shit. So that's what happened between 1945 and 55, that decade. How how many different ways do you think is, is, how many different ways are there to harness this kind of energy? Oh, I think there are dozens. How did, how did Tesla do it? Tesla, I think was actually capturing resonant magnetic field energy of the earth. That's almost boundless. So there are a lot of, quote, free energy approaches. I think the ones that use these very high voltage systems that create a sort of a vector, a tap, as it were, into this uh, quantum vacuum energy and zero point energy field, uh, those began to be stumbled across, but sort of episodically as a phenomenon back in the late 1800s, because that was the heyday when they were first discovering electromagnetism. And I think Maxwell and Ferret, some of these guys stumbled across this. So they didn't know what it was. You're getting more energy out than you had to put in. So I think you can have a rotational coil-based device. Uh, Floyd Sweet, who we feature in, in the movie, had a solid-state device that was about this big that could run a 300-horsepower electric engine for your car. No other batteries, the little teeny 
Uh, yeah, that was, you had video of that. And, yeah, and we have video uh, of it. It was tested by a lieutenant colonel, uh, Tom Bearden, who's a very dear friend of mine, just passed away. Um, he handed off all of what he knew about this to us. We have a um, file that was a, a CIA operative named Sajaki that I knew, but he had a, a guy I know named uh, John Bedini who um, was allowed to copy a bunch of confiscated patents, uh, and we have that disk. So we need to send up a, a research lab to do this and get to the bottom of it, I think, Sean, very quickly, because we need to do it. Look, if this technology came out in the next year or two by a group that could just put it out, open source it, thousands of companies would then ad- adopt it, and we'd be able to really transform the trajectory of, of, of the planet. Now, there are going to be certain losers in that process, like any new technology, oil, gas, coal, centralized public utilities, they'll all have to be retired. But keep in mind, it's going to take 15 years to do this. You know, your car and my car running, if if you have a, a conventional vehicle, 100 million vehicles are made a year. There are one and a half billion motor vehicles on the road worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's 15 years if you waved a magic wand and converted every manufacturing entity to a zero-point electric system. That's not going to happen. So, you know, it's going to take a couple of decades to make this transition anyway. It should have happened 100 years ago. Why do you think so many UFOs spottings are, are happening around these nuclear sites? Well, we know the answer to that. And, of course, he didn't get to go into it, but Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, who is the uh, U-2 pilot who was there, um, he dealt specifically with this in, in information dealing with the, the uh, extraterrestrial concern over nuclear facilities. And it, it's multiple reasons. One, they're very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life of biological life on Earth. Obviously, mutual assured destruction would do that. Uh, and believe it or not, these civilizations are very positively concerned with the human future, but they're also secondarily, maybe equally concerned about containing the warlike nature of humans from being exported out into space. Now, the nuclear issue, when you detonate a nuclear device or there's an accident, everyone knows what an EMP is. We've talked about electromagnetic pulse. There's also a type of scalar pulse that goes out that literally rips through space-time that disrupts interstellar communication and travel. This is why, you know, I was talking to Gordon Crichton, who is an MI6 guy and a military intelligence guy in the United Kingdom who's passed away, but he's one of our witnesses. He used to publish Flying Saucer Review that uh, uh, Prince Charles and Prince Philip subscribed to. Interesting. But what he said was basically when we did that, the first atomic bomb explosion, it actually was like kicking a hornet's nest because now Teller, Edward Teller and Oppenheimer, they didn't know that when one of those things would go off that it would create this kind of pulse, not electromagnetic pulse, but this other wave that actually goes through the entangled cosmos in a way that is highly disruptive to uh, other civilizations, communications and travel. So this began to be a huge red flag went up over the earth 
warning. This is a group of, you know, primitive emerging civilization that is a, th- a threat to themselves and a threat to others out there. They don't even know how threat, what a big threat this is. So the whole nuclear issue, uh, is what caused the modern era of UFO ET related events to take place because I think they've obviously been watching the earth and, and been involved in, in seeing its development for millennia. There's good evidence for that. I mean, they're cave, they're cave drawings from 5,000 years ago that have been carbon dated to that age that show a classic disc and with look like ET beings outside of it from France and India and all over. So I don't think it's, it's not as if they didn't know we were here. It's that when we hit that point and what they really were trying to get Truman and Eisenhower to do, the ETs were to wind that down and go on a different trajectory, which is what we're recommending now, 60 years later. And that is to pivot to getting rid of this conflict-oriented endless war scenario with these kind of weapons and move towards a peaceful solution to our conflicts, but then begin to adopt these technologies so that human civilization can advance without cannibalizing the earth and killing off the oceans. So I think this is something that we took a pass on. It was a a tragic error. The big error happened on here. I'm just be honest with you. Pretty much the year I was born, ironically, 1955 to 57, this whole enterprise went sideways. And when Eisenhower subsequently lost control over these deep black operations, that's when he gave the beware the military industrial complex. I mean, he was very pro-military. He was a general, World War II. And, and then, of course, that's why also the first director, one of the early directors, CIA, uh, 1947, when the CIA was founded, uh, Admiral Roscoe Hillenkeeter stated in a letter to the New York Times after Eisenhower gave that speech. And he said, the secrecy around UFOs is a threat to the national security. He didn't say the UFOs were. He said the secrecy around it is a threat to the national security. So when people ask me, are the UFOs a threat to the national security? I said the man-made ones absolutely are. The extraterrestrial ones aren't. But the secrecy around it in its aggregate is a dire threat to world and national security, no question. In the documentary, you talk about some of the uh, UFO technology. The metal is so pure it cannot be replicated. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, so we think, you know, if you're driving a car or flying on a Boeing 737 or whatever, we dig that stuff up, you know, aluminum and metal. We smelt it, refine it, roll it, put it together, rivets, welding, etc. An extraterrestrial vehicle and all its components are not made that way. They are made by creating a sort of an ultrasonic, very high-tech wave that pulls, let's call it the substrate, the elementals that are subatomic together on, if you can visualize this, like almost like a blueprint in energy, and it materializes it. So it's seamless. The, even the, the parts that are in it, anything that's energy or electronic related is on a nanomolecular level entwined in it. So this is why it's very hard to study this stuff. I mean, it's not like taking apart a Soviet MIG or something. 
I, I know the men who worked on these projects, and I mean, you're dealing with really extraordinary, elegant, beautiful uh, material sciences and matter. And that's why the materials are so pure because they're not dug up and refined. They're actually assembled from this baseline uh, energy matter interface in, in space time. And the, give it, make it real for you. There was a captain on a Navy contract vessel back in 62 or three. And before he died, he contacted me. Great guy. Um, and he had been, you know, they were testing the Atlas uh, rockets for intercontinental ballistic, but these didn't have nukes on them. They were testing the, the rocket and guidance systems back way back. And, they had had a lot of uh, UFO sightings because the ETs were watching how we were developing and kind of this breakout speed with thermonuclear weapons and intercontinental ballistic Cold War. And one night they had an object on radar. It was triangulated. They had on ship radar. So was, the captain has this guy say, hey, look, well, we have this boogie. And then it got confirmed from their the command center uh, and they said, oh, when they, because they were able to do that, unfortunately, they triangulated it and it was hit with some kind of weapon. This was 63 and it dropped, boom, like a rock right into the South Atlantic Ocean. So he was vectored over to the estimated point of impact and was there to retrieve it. And I have his whole story and he never wanted to come forward because even when he had to have surgery once, they had an intelligence guy in there when he was under anesthesia. Be sure he didn't talk about this. But I have his whole information. So what happened is that when he got to the site, there was about a six by six pod and they pulled it up on the ship. Uh, and it wasn't the whole craft. The whole craft had gone down, but apparently there was some sort of one molded thing. And there were four, uh, I'm going to use his language, little men that look like the color of a Sicilian, kind of brown, but 39 inches tall, uh, no hair, and also no external ears, no no penna, flaps, very fine featured. But he, the reason he contacted me, and this is why this is so funny, you know, I've debriefed a thousand, over a thousand men like this. He said, I can't figure out how they got in and out of their uniforms. So they had a one-piece uniform. Now, no zipper and no buttons and no visible way they could get them out of this thing. Hmm. And he says, how do they put them on? I said, well, they don't it, They don't need a zipper or a button because they are kind of materialized around them and then dematerialized off using this technology, this very advanced trans-dimensional physics. And he went, oh, my God, I would have never dreamed. I said, no, I mean, it, it's how they're doing it. So this is why people who encounter an actual ET craft or the ET, the Ebens, extraterrestrial biological entities, and they see even their clothing, <laughs> none of it tracks because it's so far advanced. Well, you know, the, there was another, um, maybe, I can't remember if it was one or two of the whistleblowers that spoke about this. They spoke about, or maybe it was you talking about it, but um, when they got into the craft, the inside of the craft seemed almost infinite. Yep. Yep. That was, that was one of my, I was representing a whistleblower who is not ready to be unmasked yet. He still doesn't want to be known publicly, but yes, I, because you have a dimensional space 
shift as well. So an object that looks 30 feet across, you go in and it was so big. You could, if you'd thrown a football, you couldn't hit the other side of it. Uh, so, you know, again, all of this gets into an understanding of physics, uh, that unfortunately, you know, we're not teaching our kids the real physics, Mm -hmm. the science of anything. I mean, we're all locked a hundred years. This is the other part of the lost century I talk about is that it has to do with medical technologies. I mean, as a doctor, I've seen some things that, my God, if we had that, the lives that could be saved, spinal cord regeneration, regeneration of lost limbs. Um, You've seen that stuff. Yeah. At an underground lab on the Mexican-Texas border. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. How are you getting access to this? The people who like what I'm trying to do that are in the system take me. And I went to one place, a very funny story. And they had, you know, they had the Marines there, you know, there was all these checkpoints and, and the guy said, finally we got to the last one. And this was a facility, I won't say where it was, but I mean, basically World War III for all submarines to be run out of there. And he, the, my mili- my escort, my military advisor, finally we got to this last point where you go into the inner, you know, it's this huge place deep. And the guy goes, and, and what is Dr. Greer uh, here for? And he says, you don't have a need to know. So he played this, the same need to know thing mm-hmm. that went in. So I'd be on full disclosure. I've never worked for the government or a contractor. I have no clearances. I don't want a clearance. Uh, but there are people who know that what we're doing, we're fighting the good fight and the people in the system, a lot of them are very good people. This is what a lot of people need to understand. They got trapped in a system where you get read into more and more of these compartments. Next thing you know, you're in something. And the guys, one th- as I say this, I want to make a call for more whistleblowers watching to come out. There are guys out there watching your show, Delta Force, Navy SEAL, uh, people in the aerospace industry, various military commands that have dealt with or seen this. And they need to come forward because now there's a safe pathway for them to do it. And if you're corporate, now there's a six month clock on you. And we, we, let me be very clear. We know who you are and where your assets are. And after those six months, you're subject to criminal prosecution and you'll be lucky if that's all you're subject to. So this is something, this is getting very serious right now. That's why I'm on your show. There's a, there's a six month window. Yep. When does that expire? From the date this bill is finally signed. I mean, it's out of committee. It's going to be voted and then it'll be, it's an amendment to the intelligence bill. Okay. So it's not actually, we're not wrapped oh, up with that. No, yet. it's, it is, it's done. It's pretty much, it's, it's done. But it's not in effect yet. Uh, I'll have is to it? ask, I'll have to ask my guy who's shepherding it through. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it is actually. Let's talk about the secret air show in 1988. <laughs> Norton. Yeah. Air Force Base. It's a decommissioned Air Force Base, California, um, where there was uh, the original uh, ARV that we learned about. Uh, apparently, it had mercury component parts from 1959-60 time period. And it was sort of a circular object, came up to it like a cupola. You see the drawings we have. And we have a man who was at that air show who 
described it in full. It had scorch marks and other things on it, and they had been told at this secret air show that it, in fact, had been uh, out in the solar system, out in the space and back. This is late 1950s, early 1960s. Now, ironically, my uncle who worked on the lunar module, put the first man on the moon, that was 1969. So they're working one track at Grumman, which became north of Grumman, and but then in these deep black projects, they have these things that are zipping out there, and that is 100% true. Uh, my understanding, it did not have interstellar capability. It did not have teleportation capability. It didn't have any of that really exotic. But it was a energy, a free, free energy combined with anti-gravity, where if they could get that up there and go out in the space and other places. So uh, that air show um, was basically showing some old antique ones. Right, this is 1988. This this bird was from the late 50s, early 60s, and they had three of them. One was uh, about 25 feet, I believe, 150, and one 100 feet across. Now, you know, Mr. Herrera, by the time he was in, you know, 2009, whenever it was in Indonesia, the, that one was 300 feet across, man-made. Think of it. Think of the length of a football field, round, floating. How are you, just how are you able to tell which one of these are man-made versus ET? At a great distance, you wouldn't know. Uh, if you're up close enough, the man-made ones are going to have components, protrusions, electromagnetic. Often, they're going to be seams, welding marks uh, underneath. There could be pipes and other things. It's very clearly a man-made machine. The extraterrestrial ones, seamless. But they're they're they're. They're extruded in this process of how they create them. Uh, even the light they give off is very different because it's coming through such pure material science, extremely pure materials. Uh, and then if you so don't we're, have... We're if, still in the infancy stages compared... I'm sorry. We're still in the infancy stages of this compared to... Uh, I'm afraid in 2023, we're certainly not in infancy. We We have... We have technologies and material science that are far beyond. Look at what uh, Stephen Digna talked about, that Raytheon device. Out of a million people who would have seen or touched that thing, one million of them would have said it was extraterrestrial. No one would have thought we had that kind of technology. AI, uh, organic quality to it. Uh, that, If you look at his testimony carefully, uh, but that's how they've been getting away with doing the abductions, the quote alien abduction hoax. The way they been able to do it is have technologies and also creatures that are look like they're gray or reptilian or whatever. They're I know men who've worked on them, actually fabricated them. Those are man made, uh, and they're used for their psychological warfare purpose. This is. One thing, I, I would love to get Dr. Jacques Vallée to release this document he has from 1985. It's a CIA official document, and it describes the CIA conducting abductions, alien abductions in Brazil and Argentina, quote, for their psychological warfare value. Now, this is now, what, almost 40 years ago, 38 years ago. So this, those sort of projects, aside from being a crime in any jurisdiction anywhere on the planet, uh, and a crime against humanity is creating this false flag psychology, the preparation, 
because people are brainwashed thinking the aliens are mutilating and the aliens are abducting us. They have no need to do that. Those, that's this disinformation campaign using incredibly high tech technologies that we've studied from the extraterrestrials. So this is one of the real problems is that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And this was my concern when, when, uh, David Grush started talking about an event where, you know, the aliens were murdering people. I'm going, and that went all through Capitol Hill. I'm going, I know that incident. That was us. So people, and I don't think he, he understands because he's a young man. The, the problem of having a little bit of information on this and thinking you know a lot is that you're going to step into a booby trap and the booby trap is being played by the very unconstitutional criminals that people like him were trying to uncover. You were working with Grush, correct? We had met uh, in March of, of 2022 in Culpeper, Virginia. I was asked to meet with him, but, uh, and uh, he had a security guy there with him. And uh, I told him, look, I'll cooperate and get you anything you need. And so over about a 14-month period until he told me he was leaving the U.S. government in April uh, of this year, um, we would, you know, periodically, occasionally we spoke through an encrypted system. Usually it was encrypted texts. But I have all these. This know. is, this is. correct me if I'm wrong, this is the guy that he was just in the news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. And, uh, came out that there, there was a downed craft. We retrieved it. Right. With, with bodies, correct? Yes. And those were a lot of this information I was providing to his bosses. And then he was on a, he was in a field operation to go out and get to places. Now he never got in to see it firsthand, but he talked to people, of course, that, that knew about it. I mean, this um, actually hit the mainstream media. Oh yeah. Correct. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, you know, he was not the, he's not the principal person I've been dealing with. Um, the principal person would be the equivalent of a two or three star general if he was still in the military. But, but I think that, you know, we, I try, my goal in all of this is that if someone is trying to do this on behalf of the legal government of the United States, I will give them any information I have. Uh, but we have a lot. I mean, our, repository of intelligence on this by far is the largest in the world, certainly exceeds the legal government of the United States. I will say that for a fact. Now, the, the, my concern is, is that when you go from that to then falling into the clutches of folks in the UFO community who then start giving you these tall tales of all these horrible things the aliens have been doing, I'm going, yes, but you haven't been read in to that part of the project. So this is like an onion, a stinking onion. You peel 500 layers of this onion back and there's 500 more. And this is where a little bit of just superficial knowledge is a very dangerous thing, extremely dangerous. And my concern about that is that this is exactly the game that's going to be run on Congress and the White House. Well, I mean, you're already seeing it. I mean, like I said, this, look, I don't, I don't trust the mainstream media. I, Anyways. Well, they're, they're asset of the, uh, of this group. But. Absolutely. A lot of people do. And a lot of people don't put any legitimacy on anything unless Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, mm-hmm. ABC, NBC. Right. Unless they touch it, nobody. Right. right. I, I'm not going to say nobody because it, it, there's a growing, the population that doesn't believe in the mainstream media is just continuously getting larger. It's probably half the population. Yeah. But don't you, why do you think 
I mean, that would be the biggest story in the world. Mm-hmm. We've re- we've recovered an ET craft with bodies, mm-hmm. and every yeah. on every news network, they're all covering it, mm-hmm. and then just like that, it's it's gone. No photos, mm-hmm. no nothing. Mm-hmm. What happened? Why well, do you think it just disappeared? Well, we know why. I mean, in 2001, when we did the first National Press Club event, we had a guy who was on a team that for several years in the 60s retrieved the bodies and the craft. And he spoke and he had all of his information there. His name is Sergeant Clifford Stone. He's in our archive. Go look at it. So the people we just had at the National Press Club, a U2 decorated, a U2 pilot, who encountered these objects back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, worked at the Lockheed uh, operations and skunk work interface with Ben Rich directly, personally. He didn't get to go into that. But these guys are all available to, to give testimony. These are firsthand. David Rush was secondhand. He never was principally involved. Stephen Digna, there with and saw, was with two Raytheon guys with these man-made Raytheon devices. DC Long was in an underground facility out on the range 19 with, with some Delta guys took his dad in who was a contractor and they accidentally saw this system levitating a hundred ton concrete block up in the air along with some giant boulders. Absolutely true. And we had people who were, you know, at uh, other operations that we brought. Now, those are all 100, every one of our 750 disclosure project folks are firsthand witnesses, meaning that they weren't people trying to find out like David Grush was. They're people who actually were in there. Interesting that the media won't interview them. It is. So if they really want to know the truth, why would you want to talk to a field operator who didn't have firsthand information and skip over the people who actually touched the things, saw them. You see what I'm saying? So the the public has to ask the question very quickly. Um, How do we get the truth out? I think we're asking everyone to write their member of Congress and their two senators and the White House as an activist responsibility as a citizen of the United States and refer to the National Press Club event and the Disclosure Project Archive, because we've sent all this in and say, now we need to see action taken. Now, whether the media, the corporate media, that I honestly believe is controlled by this same corrupt enterprise. I mean, Doc, they're definitely controlled. I mean, there's multiple there's multiple videos of them all reporting the exact same shit. I mean, right, right. It's 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 ridiculous that anybody even watches it anymore. Well, I mean, it's staged. And the problem with that, they do have, and this is the other big announcement, if there are any attorneys listening, we now have over 150 attorneys and legal professionals on our legal team. And not only will they protect and defend any whistleblowers uh, and the project, but they also are we're moving quickly towards issuing a civilian RICO racketeer influence corrupt organization lawsuit who are going to be in the target, all these corporations and individuals. You can't use a civilian RICO against a government agency, but you can, you can target the individuals and the corporations that we are going to be doing in concert with this bill saying now you need to come out and out of the cold. 
or you'll be criminally. We can't criminally prosecute, but there is a U.S. attorney who's on the team that when we find actionable intelligence and get it introduced into court in a civilian RICO, he would then take it and see if he can pursue it under a criminal statute. I got another question, and the question is: Great people have come forward in the last few months. Yeah. You've you've had I don't even know how many people, how many different whistleblowers have contacted you guys, and and you know, it, if you're not looking at this with a skeptical eye for anybody, mm-hmm. you know, that's right. listening, you should be. Yeah. You how should. are you deciphering mm-hmm. who the legitimate whistleblowers are from the quacks? First of all, we asked for them to give evidence of they were, who they were, where they were. We want to see a DD-214. We want to see records. And then we check them out. And there's someone who's in our team who has um, the ability to check them out through the system. Okay. Now, even with that, you know, you could be tricked. Uh the best I can do, and I remember, we're not the U.S. government with trillions of dollars or the Pentagon with $700 billion. We're a financial organization, best, best we can do. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is good because I've debriefed legitimate people for 30 years on this, literally over a 1,000 people. Not all of them are in the archive because some of them never wanted their names given to me, but they were legit. So... What I say is that if, if the story doesn't track and it, it, it and the other is if what they're sh- sharing comports with the evidence from another source, but they don't know each other, there's no collusion. So then you say, okay, this gentleman in 1980 saw this, this guy in 2009 saw this, and it was essentially the same kind of operation craft, what have you. They don't know each other. But they're and they're very reluctant. They say, you're not going to believe this This is what they all say. I said, trust me, I'll probably believe it. But then when you get a point of corroboration. So what I try to do is find multiple points of corroboration. Like we had like a dozen people who knew about the ET concerns about the nuclear issue. So there's a whole area of multiple points of corroboration. Um, And it's particularly useful when it's a similar event or company or facility base where they were there at different times and don't know each other. So there's then you don't have the, the someone being able to match up their stories in some tall tale. So I have my own approach to this. Okay. But obviously we don't have at this point. Now the difference is that if we when we launch this RICO, civilian RICO action, we'll have subpoena power and also discovery. So we can go to these spaces. Now we'll have to find a federal judge who'll certify it. We'll see. <laughs> I'm glad we went through that because I mean it is you know it's mm-hmm. it's tough to take somebody's word for things like this and oh, so I, I, I don't think it's you know to, I do the best I can now mm-hmm. we almost were tricked by a guy back in 1997 who was coming to the briefings I set up for Congress back then offsite at the Westin Hotel in Georgetown and Edgar Mitchell was there a bunch of fun people were there uh, and it turned out he was telling a tall tale. And my military advisor at that time was at a bar and he started talking about stuff that this guy knew absolutely was false. So I had him escorted off the premises. So, you know, you basically get one bite at the apple with us at telling something that ends up to be nonsense. Um, so that's, that's kind of our policy. 
But we, you know, because we don't have any kind of significant, our budget for all of this has been volunteers and a few donations and people who are de- devoted to it. Um, so we can do only what we can do with the assets we have. Well, you got a lot of assets. I mean, we talked about your yeah. crowdfunding capabilities yeah. earlier and those yeah. are quite impressive. Right. So yeah, we do the best we can, you yeah. know, uh, but I, I always tell people I'm, I'm confident of the ones that we're putting forward and of the ones we have in the archive, uh, which have not come forward. And, and listen, anyone listening, you can come forward and only give information to me that you think is useful. If you want to go to the arrow process and be protected under the new law and give your testimony, we can do that. If you want to come out publicly, we can do that. It's really up to the person to determine uh, if, if they were in special forces or a Lockheed scientist or whatever, how they want to do it. We just want as many people to come forward because there's, there's strength in numbers. But here's the other thing, Sean, we really need. We need to continue to grow the current state-of-the-art knowledge of where facilities are, operations, code numbers, code names, all that. Because that's how the investigators and, if necessary, people who will by force, if necessary, get these projects under control. Uh, that's what they need to have. Well, all the ways to contact you for the whistleblowers and anybody wanting to get involved, volunteer are um, linked below. Great. And and back to, sorry, I'm kind of all over this place here. We're going down a lot of rabbit holes. But That's when fine. it comes to, back to the zero point energy and why the government will want to suppress it. I mean, we've talked about, and they're also in your documentaries as well. That, mm-hmm. I mean, you're taking, I mean, Let's talk about how ExxonMobil, you know, plays under this. Well, all of the big financial, you know, you know, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, the big oil, petrodollar, all that is they understand that they want to keep the status quo uh, or tinker around the edges with what I call the pseudo environmental initiatives, like a Tesla car that you plug in. Well, you have, you know hundreds of pounds of lithium ion batteries that are toxic and how they're made and disposed of charging off a gas and coal fired grid. You know, people don't think they think it's free energy. No, you're plugging into a grid that's smokestacks and maybe nuclear. If you're lucky, very little of it is wind and solar. What? 12% something. Uh, so the problem is it has such a huge impact macroeconomically, but I would correct one thing. It's not the, the U.S. government doing anything. Like the U.S. government, I would say virtually no one in the Congress and the Pentagon or White House know about those technologies. So they're not suppressing them. But are there people under cover of the authority of government doing it? Yes. And that is the criminal aspect in the government. That is the rogue element in the government, whether it's the patent office or the Department of Justice or anyone. So they're deliberately, I would say the majority of the U.S. government, where you're left, right, center, would like to see a solution to the energy and environmental and poverty problems around the world. Um, but, of course, there are a lot of pigs feeding at the trough of the lobbyist money from the impacted industries, because we're now we're talking hundreds of trillions of dollars in assets 
that are tied up in oil, gas, coal, nuclear, public utilities. I mean, you'd look at the Fortune 500 list of companies mm-hmm. globally, uh, not to mention nation states, you know. But, you know, I always point out we've had a 150-year run of that old smokestack technology. These others should have begun to come out 100 years ago and transitioned over. Now we're hitting up a red line, not only geophysically, but geopolitically, where you have half the world in poverty. And let's face it, if if everyone in the world where you've been and I've been lived like you and I do, the price of a gallon of of gasoline would be $150 a gallon Mm -hmm. if they were using the kind of energy that you and I use, and it was all 8 billion souls on Earth. So the only way to solve the human future issue and geopolitical problems is to allow these technologies to begin to be phased in that at least, you know, create energy, even if we hold back the things that fly. I think these electrogravitics need to be held back. I mean, what I'm trying to do is is bring to the light how many corporations would be pissed off if we did hit zero point energy. You know, the gas industry, the power industry, oh, sure. the car industry. It's huge. Everything, everyone. Well, the car energy would just have to pivot to the type of motor and an electric motor with a, with a zero point generator and a little teeny three volt battery will start it up. Um, you don't need these lithium ion ginormous battery banks. Uh, those can be retrofitted, but yes, your, your public utilities eventually will retire because every home business will have its own energy source. Um, your big fossil fuel, uh, oil, gas, coal, nuclear power plants, they will all be mothballed. Now, the only thing you'd really need oil for is, uh, you know, chemicals, petro, petrochemicals, plastics, things like that. So that is something though, it not, it's not going to happen instantaneously. As I said earlier, this is like a global Marshall plan to rebuild the planet and regain this hundred years of lost social evolution for our civilization. Uh, but we've squandered a hundred years and I don't think we have a hundred years left to fix it. I don't think we have 20. So I think that well within your lifetime and probably mine, if I live old enough, certainly my grandchildren, uh, we're going to need to have this established and done or we're going to be in, in a true existential crisis. So you have multiple crises coming in at once. You know, the secrecy around UFOs, which is part and parcel keeping secret these technologies, right? And who is that benefiting? A handful of elites, super elites. Now, your average guy working at a utility plant or in an oil field, those are going to need to be supported and retrained to these new high-tech industries dealing with making this whole new system. And I think, you know, we need to be very compassionate about the fact that there will be people displaced. Well, at the same time, though, everything that we know will be a lot more affordable because it will not take the energy that it takes to produce all these things right now, it'll be that energy will be free. That's the biggest component. You think about the energy it goes into digging and raw materials up, manufacturing it, shipping it to a place where it's assembled, shipping it again, and then delivering it to your store or your home. And the, the everything from the delivery vans and jets 
to the manufacturing process is running on the current energy system. Mm -hmm. So, yes, when the energy costs go to zero after you have a device that's operative, then you're looking at uh, the ability to have extraordinary abundance. And this is a boat, this is a tide that will lift all the boats in the third world and developing world also, by the way. Um, and it's sort of like how they let frog from landlines like we used to have right to sell, uh, and, and by, they just bypass the landlines. The rest of the world will be able to go from having nothing uh, in the way of energy generation. Three billion people have no power energy at all to having these systems. And suddenly you're going to see. Uh, so much happen in the world that is going to be a human advancement. And aside from the air and everything becoming pristine and clean, uh, there are going to be such great opportunities for, you know, the dispossessed people of the world, um, which I think if you don't pay attention to that, this is how you end up in disgruntled segments of the population in the world that later become terrorists or adversaries. So I think looking at this in a, in a in the largest possible way, you know, it's it's a win-win for everyone if we take care of the workers that would be displaced. As for the mega giant corporate entities, they just need to pivot to these new technologies and r- realize that that era is over. Let's talk about some of the ways that they are suppressing these methods of free energy. Black shelving. Yep, easy. I know guys who've had this happen where they pick it up, you know, they'll get a buyout. Oh, here's $50 million. You know, this a, a Lieutenant Colonel Bearden had a man who had one of these devices back years ago and the guy didn't have a pot to pee in and he was very, you know, sort of this inventor bootstrapping it. Thing was real. It was a real free energy device. And next thing you know is he was, he, he's driving around in a Lamborghini and wearing Armani suits. Well, you know, he got basically they paid, but he said, yeah, I can't talk about that. It was bought. It was put on the black shelf of a corporation. There it sits. So with enough money, you can pretty much buy out. What's your number? In other words, because if you're protecting a $900 trillion asset base, what is $50 million? Nothing. Nothing, right? So, and I know many people have had this happen. So that black shelving goes on all the time. Uh uh, the other, of course, and then you get into more nefarious activities. National security orders. Yep, NSOs. We have one in the film. It shows the patent office slapping a national security on a, a patent application of an inventor I know, whose lab I have been in. Patent seizures, financial entanglements, yep. legal entanglements, credible threats, scientific fraud. What is? What do you mean by scientific fraud? Well, this is where they will deliberately take a device and uh, cause it to be uh, altered so it doesn't work, but they trick people to get money out of them. So in other words, I've actually been a victim of a couple of these. Very clever. But it's basically where you try to siphon off the resources. There's a big venture capital guy I know. He was almost taken last year for $150 million by a group that was going to put it into a fraudulent effort. But so by intercepting that man's interest, they would then, of course, sideline him. So not his, his financial interests were not going to something productive that was deliberately being put into a fraudulent sting operation. I've seen a number of these. Media Corporation. 
Well, the media, the, part of the problem is that even if you have one of these devices, is the media going to report on it honestly? Well, it's just like the UFO issue, which is another reason why we need influencers like yourself, but also some of these celebrities that have supported what we're doing. Because my view is that if we had one of these things right here on the table and it worked and we tested it, reproduced it, had plans for it, the first 30 that we would make would go to some key people in D.C. and some big time celebrities that have their house running on it. And you'd have two billion people find out about it in, in, a, in a matter of days because what you have to do is figure that the corrupt influences in the scientific and media community that have kept the UFO issue secret are going to kick in on this. So you have to develop a strategy to work around that. Uh, I liken to we need to be sort of water flowing. And if there's a huge boulder in front of us, we flow around it or find a way around uh, because there are going to be these obstacles. And there have been. And that's one of the big problems. If the media had done its job on the, all these issues, not withstanding their lip service to the environment and climate change. If they had done their investigatory job as the fourth estate and a free press, I wouldn't have had to leave my medical career. So the biggest liability here is with the media. Wet works. Well, that's just a term used at the agency for assassinations and targeted killings. Um, it's just a slang, but wet comes from blood, obviously. But, uh, yeah, number of people, one in particular I work with very closely, uh, was killed. And I think others have been over the years, um, the, the, you know, because they, they didn't do anything rational. Here's how they, I'll be honest with you. If you have this kind of information, you're sort of holding a hand grenade in your hand that the mm-hmm. pen's been pulled. If, if, if it's up, if it's not, if it's a legitimate system, because there are all these corrupt interests that will do everything in their power to keep it from going from your lab out to the public. So I think this is where you have to then have a, a strategic plan to disclose that open source and then get it out through alternative media and influencers and celebrities. I mean, everyone from Leo DiCaprio to, Ariana Grande would be thrilled to have a device like this to save the environment, right? So you you use the strengths we have. The strengths we have is that 99% of the population would benefit from this. Uh, most of the people who are highly influential artists and celebrities would love to see it. Um, and even the corrupt politicians, once the public demand it, they'll have to do it. They'll have to say, yeah, thank you for your donation, ExxonMobil, but we're still going to have to support this. So a lot of this comes down to the public step, we the people stepping in on this. Uh, I think it's a huge mistake to think that the government of the United States or a big corporation is going to do this. Yeah. The history shows they will not. Yeah. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Um, there's, I just, we're running out of time here. I know you got a flight to catch, but um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask you, one of them being MAGIC, mm-hmm. the organization that runs covert projects. Mm-hmm. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Well, the majority uh, joint intelligence committee. It's a name that's been used uh, back in the old days. There was a, allegedly a group called Majestic 12, 
Uh, that was a group in the Truman era and early Eisenhower era. But it's basically a committee. It's transnational. It's people from different countries that are on the upper end policy group of this whole problem. And there are a number of people who've been involved over the years. Certainly Admiral Bobby Rainman, uh, former Vice President Dick Cheney, uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, a number of people. And I've met with some of the others. Uh, and they're, they pretty much determine policy. Uh, on the, these, these sort of big global issues. Uh, and part of, part of their portfolio would be the UFO issue. Part of it would be all this new energy issue because they're hand and glove, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then there are other, uh, problematic agendas. How uh, many people do you think are involved in this? I think at the upper level, my understanding is about two or three hundred, uh, folks. Globally? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh yeah. It's totally global. You know, I tell people it's not international the way we think of the State Department and it's transnational. So they basically maneuver and also in other countries, this organization moves with alacrity across all boundaries with these sort of assets, these sort of man-made UFOs and can do all kinds of operations with or with they don't need the permission of the host legal government. So this has become a global power. You when, when Senator Inouye said there exists a secret government with its own air force, its own navy, its own funding mechanism that's above the law and free from the law itself, right? He was chairman of, of the committees back then. Um, and then he confirmed to my attorney when my attorney, Derek Garcia, was a young intern up on Capitol Hill that, in fact, he had seen the 2001 Disclosure Project event said, yep, Senator Henry said, all that's true, and there is a secret government running all this. So I tell people, I'll take my word for it. Listen to this high-ranking senator. There have been a number of people who tried to blow the whistle on this and point people in the right way, and no one followed up on it. And I think it's now we're reaching a point now where I think we're out of time uh, to let this stretch on for another even uh, two or three years. My understanding is that if within six to 12 months, the results of this new bill is not forthcoming. In other words, if, if these corporations and individuals don't capitulate and provide what they have to the legal U.S. government, then force will be necessary. Which brings us to the strike team. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about the strike team? I'll just say carefully that People who are utterly fed up in the legal government, who have the means to do something beyond a hearing, they're, you know, special operators and what have, there, there is absolutely a clock has been set. Let's talk about. And the reason for that is they now realize that the organizations doing this are treasonous. And they are subverting the interests and the national security of the United States. And the rogue elements, the worst, are doing all kinds of crimes under cover of Pentagon or under cover of agency, under cover of the government. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a complete abuse of power. So, so is this strike team from the U.S. government? I don't want to comment beyond okay. that it would be. Uh, it'd be an authorized operation against these 
illegally run rogue elements. Okay. Okay. And obviously uh, with full rights to do so. So obviously, uh, and, and the real question becomes, those guys, anyone involved with that would need to have enough detailed information about what the adversary has, right? You're going to walk into an ambush otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things we have to do is get as much good detailed information on methods, assets, where they're located, where the bases are, where the entries are, what technologies that can be deployed as a countermeasure. But we're all hoping this never has to happen because if the American people listening would actually take action and and the members of Congress and the White House would begin to take this very seriously, all of that could be avoided. And so my hope is that there is a smooth, uh, non-kinetic solution. Let's just put it that way. <clears throat> Completely unrelated to that. Yep. The Hoppy prophecy. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The Hoppies. Well, you know, this is interesting because the time we live in, many people feel many, uh, ancient peoples and even scriptures related to the time of, you know, sort of the ending of one whole era and the opening of another. And I think that's the truth. I think we're at this point of transition between an old world and a new one. Now, some people say it's the end of the world. I said, no, it's the end of the old world and the opening of a new one. So in the Hopi prophecy, the, the, the Hopi prophecy rock, you know, there's one line that terminates, and that's our civilization terminating if we don't get this right. There's another one where it, then it takes off and it goes off into infinity. So it's like humanity, as I see it, is at this critical juncture where we need to choose whether we're going to go forward and keep going for hundreds of thousands of years and go out into space peacefully, all of it, or we're going to blow the whole system and not, and, and have a terminal situation. So the Hopis had this in their prophecy. Who are the Hopis? There's a Native American tribe in the uh, desert Southwest. Okay. Yeah. My people, my grandmother was Cherokee, but you know, I'm familiar with some of these different traditions. And I think that, my my dad was half Cherokee and half Scottish, an interesting mix. But uh, but I think this is why you look at it. Many people around the world get this sense that we're at this inflection point, not just politics and this and what have you, but our whole civilization. And I think these extraterrestrial civilizations know that. They know that we we could get into a lot of bad trouble and have things happen that will be extinction level events if we're not careful. On the other hand, they know that if we came together and were for once in our history, did the right thing peacefully, we could transition to a civilization that literally will be interstellar. Uh, maybe not in my lifetime, but in probably your children's. Wouldn't that be something? Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. I have no doubt. We certainly have the means to do it. The technological. Do you, do, do you think we're going to get there? Oh, I do. I wouldn't be doing this if I were a pessimist. I mean, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. I mean, a smooth transition would have been before I was born when the ETs warned Truman and Eisenhower to make the transition. But I think absolutely we can do it. I've, I had a beautiful, lucid dream 
back when I was a young man. And it was way in the future. Maybe I was around the age I am now. And I was out at what looked like White Sands. And it was, and I met my wife in a lucid dream. I have this sort of ability to dream in the future and then meet people. Like the aboriginals with dream time and all that. It's also a Cherokee tradition. But so I had this dream and it was this beautiful, clear day. The whole U.S. military was supporting this peaceful contact event between humans and an extraterrestrial vehicle that was descending. And there was a, a very ancient E.T. elder that came out of it. And it was televised globally and the whole world saw it. And, you know, it was nothing scary about it. It wasn't like some scary thing. It was a very beautiful thing. So I, when I had that vision and dream, I said, well, that's one possible future. You know, now there are other possible futures. And this gets into the almost a spiritual question is the exercise of free will by humans individually and collectively. Now I chose to leave my medical career to do this at great difficulty, but Everyone can make their own decision here. Are you going to write to your member of Congress? If you're someone involved in these covert projects, are you going to come forward or not? These are all moral decisions, as I see it, spiritual and moral, ethical. Um, everybody, you know, everyone thinks morality is, you know, the peccadilloes of men having affairs. I mean, no, no, no. That's what, you know, in the Middle Ages was considered the foibles and the silliness of humanity. We're talking real moral choices here. What are you going to do when you find out there's an issue like this? And are you going to step up to the plate to fix it? So it's a it's a moral question, an ethical question for the Congress, the president, all of us. And I think every citizen here and around the world, because remember, these same projects have assets parallel, not as big in the United Kingdom, Australia, Brazil, uh, other countries. No question. I was going to ask that if, if there were any Japan foreign you know, oh, yeah. companies that are involved in this. Oh, many. And, and this whole committee that deals with it is like a little UN on its own. It's it's definitely international. I know for a fact. Man. This is global. Stuff. Yeah, it's global. And scary, you know. And, and Well, they are scary, but they're not that many. So here's the thing, is what I tell people. The vast majority of everyone on Earth, the vast majority of everyone in legitimate governments of the earth would be on the side of what we're advocating if they know the facts, the evidence. So that's what we have to put in front of them and hope people make the right choice. That's all I can do. I'm nobody. I'm a private civilian retired from medicine. But I do think that if the message resonates and enough people act, it kind of creates this collective conscious wave of change. How would you like them to act? I think that the leaders, the, the public needs to just get involved with this and write to their leaders and point them to the assets that we've handed off, the Disclosure Project Intelligence Archive, uh, and ask for open hearings. Not, I think the classified hearing process needs to end. We need to go to open hearings. And I know that's why uh, Congressman Burchett and, and uh, Comer, the chair of the Government Oversight Committee, and I understand the Speaker of the House all think there should be open hearings on this. The risk there is that they all get gaslit, like I was talking about. But this is where the public needs to weigh in and say, don't be fooled by this other disinformation trajectory that's going to be put in front of you. Like last year, the Pentagon released 1,500 pages 
of material from Dr. Kit Green and others that are involved in these clandestine operations with alien mutilations and abductions and people being burned. And it, every one of those cases in there, I know for a fact, were done by humans masquerading as an alien encounter. So the risk of, of having people at the National Security Council and the Congress being deceived because they have no information is very great. And this is where, as Eisenhower said, only an informed citizenry can avoid uh, our loss of our democracy. That he, he said it. I'm paraphrasing. If you look look up that speech, an informed citizenry. So that's why guys like you are, I think, so key to this is helping to get the information out. Well, thank you. I, I am honored to be a part of it. And, um, you know, Doctor, once again, I just really appreciate your time and coming oh, here sure. and educating my audience and, and myself because I am new to this, this whole subject. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, I just keep diving deeper. Hey, it's a band of brothers and sisters trying to do something great for the country and the world. And I, I remember my, my mother's ancestors were the first POWs against the British in the American Revolution. And they were this little ragtag. They really were. I mean, George Wash, all of them. And look what they were going up against the, the British Empire. <laughs> but they won. Yeah. So I always tell people, you know, you have to have the human spirit is capable of achieving great things when we come together and do it. So that's what we need to do. Very true. And... um well, I'd like to end this. Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex, and I'm going to play a speech yep. at the end of this. Great. He warned us about this a long time ago, and here it is. 1961. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, Resources and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex.
the potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals. So that security and liberty may prosper together. Doctor, best of luck to you, and I can't wait to see you again. Great, thank you. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Mm. All right, we made it. Mm. And we're going to take a little break now. And when we come back, we're going to take a little look at the stars. With our brother Richard and Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle. And right before that, we'll have some music. So we'll see you soon, about 10 or so minutes. Namaste for now, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Greer. Over now. This garden universe vibrates complete. Some we get a sound so sweet. Vibrations reach on up to become light, and then through gamma out of sight. Between the eyes and ears they lie, the sounds of color and the light of the sun. To hear the sun, what a thing to believe, but it's all around if we could but perceive. To know ultraviolet, infrared and x-rays, beauty to find in so many ways. Two notes of the chord, that's our pursuit. But to reach the chord is our life's hope. And to name the chord is important to some. So they give it a word, and the word is...
Ross the talkie stick to you, Richard. Is this microphone working? Yes, sir. All right, then. I hardly know where to start my commentary tonight. I hear ya. <laughs> but I am looking at the uh, at the chart for tonight on the Eastern Time Zone. The sun has just set, and Pluto will be rising in the east before the call is finished. Mm. Oh. Yeah, Venus and Mercury are conjunct in the western sky. And high enough that you might be able to see them. Mercury is below Venus and Mars, just above the horizon by about eight degrees. You might not be able to see Mercury. Uh, depends on your, you know, topography. All right. So Sun opposite Pluto. Okay, the moon is at four degrees of cancer. All right, and we got, yeah, okay, the sun's at 24, the moon's at four cancer, and rolling down to Taurus, you got Uranus at 23, and Jupiter at 12. So those two guys operating together very strong in Taurus, right? And these these two operating together as we go through the next part of our solar year here, No, it indicates change, 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 and could very well be surprising because Uranus has that nature, so they say, you know, symbolically speaking, right? Uranus, the will of the Lord of the planet. So that's you know he's a that's a prime operator in conjunction with with Pluto over there at the at the beginning and end of uh, Aquarius and Capricorn. See, all right. So that Pluto position in the great indicates great changes in human organization. All of our organization is going re, going into reorganization, right? They call that evolution, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. So the North Node is first degree of Taurus. Capacha right. told us about this situation coming up with uh, the nodes that one Taurus and one Scorpio, and then Mercury did its thing at one Leo. We got we lived through that, but now that's that that. Those nodes are going to be squared, you know, by Sun Pluto, right? 
just because Pluto isn't at one Aquarius, it's over there in the neighborhood. All right, Chiron's at 20 Aries. And Chiron <laughs> moving very slow. 24 seconds of arc per day. Venus is getting slow, slow, slow. Venus is only moving a quarter of a degree a day. You know what that means? Mm. No. Venus is going retrograde. Right. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be stationary retrograde next week. Yes, it will. So, and you got that. So, Venus basically staying still for, for this week. All right. Uh, Capacha may come in on that. All right, then, last but not least, you got good old Neptune at 28 Pisces. And Saturn at seven Pisces, and uh, they're doing their dance in, in Pisces. So you've got those two in Pisces, with Jupiter and Uranus and Taurus, and Chiron sitting in between. So this quarter of the of the zodiac, Pisces, Aries. Taurus, where these are the energies, and we'll throw in Pluto too, this, these are the energies that are, that are governing evolution at this time. So, I just want to be clear on that. All right, I'm done with this part, so let's go listen to Kapacha. See what he's going to pick up on this week. Last week he was talking about Mercury square the notes. What's it going to be this week? He's got parrots on the screen here along with some monkeys. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) All right. Sky Puncher with the weekly Pele report for uh, July 12th, Wednesday of 2023. Uh, today the sun is uh, square Chiron as I am talking to you, the wounded healer. Sun over there in Cancer. The moon is coming around for, uh, you know, the after that third quarter square. Okay, uh, you know, she is coming around and coming around. We're going to have a new freaking moon. At 24 degrees, 56 minutes of Cancer. So new moon in Cancer is coming up on Monday. So she's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, coming into the balsamic ending, closing phase of the lunar cycle. I will be talking a little bit about that. Tomorrow she goes into Gemini, okay, and uh, squares. Then, of course, uh, Mars over there in Virgo, Saturn over there in Pisces, and then uh, moves on. 
uh, by Saturday, uh, she has gone into cancer, right? Where she's going to, uh, you know, come into a sextile with Jupiter over there before she comes into the new moon, right? And then by next Tuesday, she's going to, uh, you know, come into a square with Jupiter. So that's how fast the moon is moving. In addition to that, we have a couple of in-conjunct quincunx aspects that I want to talk to you about today. Mercury is in-conjunct Saturn on Friday. Venus is in-conjunct Neptune on Saturday. Both of these going on. We want to, we want to discuss the in-conjunct aspect and what that entails means for all of us. <laughs> Most importantly, really what I want to be uh, addressing and looking at here is the moon's nodes by next Tuesday go into Aries. They change signs after a year and a half. Okay, so this is going to be big, big change happening. And, of course, they're coming into a square with Pluto. And actually, even this new moon at 2456 Cancer is opposite Pluto at 29 Capricorn. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots going on. There's lots to be talking about. Uh, you know, after the sun squares Chiron today by Friday, uh, you know, it will be, uh, in sextile to Uranus. But those are most of the aspects that I want to condense that you know, help to create uh, the, the mantra for this week and that I want to talk about. So let me sit down and look at the camera. All right, everybody. Before I forget, I got to talk to this week's song. It just came to me and I don't want to forget it. It's David Bowie. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-changes. Meet the strange changes. Yeah. Time may change me. I can't change time. What's going on? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot going on. It's intense. It is intensifying, as you can see with this week's mantra. Okay, it's coming. It's coming. Pluto squaring the moon's nodes will be July 22nd, July 23rd, depending on where you are on planet Earth. And I just did a whole two-hour video taking this Pluto square the moon's nodes all the way through the 12 houses of your chart uh, for my, you know, uh, I have this the new paradigm school of astrology. You can join that school for 22 bucks a month. And I've got like 50 or 100 videos in the library. But this this one is uh, I, I think it was very illuminating. It certainly was illuminating to me, contemplating and thinking about, you know, how this is going to work differently in everybody's charts. And yet there are some themes that are common to all of us that are, you know, that are common to planet Earth. So, you know, this is Pluto square the moon's nodes. We call it a skip step, missing link, missing piece to the puzzle. Okay, a necessary detour or a necessary condition or situation that really needs to be addressed before you can move on to the North Node, your future destiny. It's a turning point. 
And this can be for the entire planet, the entire world, like everybody. <laughs> but also, you know, governmental, social, educational, religious institutions also facing the need to decide. Am I going forward or backward? Am I going to Aries or am I going to Libra? In this case... Okay, you know, there is a need to move towards that North Node. It's at 29 degrees Aries. Pluto at 29 degrees Capricorn. South Node at 29 degrees of Libra. If you've got any planets, 28, 29 degrees of the cardinal signs or 0, 1 degrees of fixed signs, Okay, you're really getting hammered. <laughs> and it's time for you to make a big change. So this is very interesting. Now, I want to put that as a backdrop. Okay, that, that's, that's in the background. And then if, like, but preparing for that change, we also have now the, the moon, Okay, is, you know, balsamic going, you know, ending, finishing, closing from now till, uh, you know, that new moon happening next week. And then we've got Venus slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. Okay, you know, she's going retrograde. I'm going to talk about that whole Venus retrograde cycle. She's retrograde for 40 days. Okay, starting on Saturday, the 22nd. And the same day as Pluto square the nodes, Venus stands still. Very powerful. Very powerful. And, you know, just after a new moon. And so what do we have this week? The inconjunct aspect. Okay, I spoke about it. The inconjunct aspect, Mercury to Saturn, Venus to Neptune. This is 150 degrees. This is Mercury moving away. Okay, Mercury moving away from Saturn. Venus moving away from Neptune. And this aspect, it's called the health aspect. It has a Virgo quality to it. If you put Neptune or Saturn on the ascendant, right, Venus or Mercury would be at the cusp of the sixth house, okay, which is going into Virgo, right? This is what we call an adjustment aspect. It is a threshold changing. Sometimes you could call it an ants in the pants or a pain in the ass aspect. <laughs> it's a graduation aspect. So what we what you do is you look back to you know when they were conjunct a seed was planted. In this case, Mercury conjunct Saturn. Okay, you know happened back there. It was actually in Aquarius, I believe, and it was time to form structure, have boundaries, learn when to say yes, when to say no. You know, make mature decisions. All right, and now. It's like Mercury is graduating. It's time for Mercury to say goodbye to Saturn. It's time for Saturn to let go of Mercury. And there's this kind of like, are you ready? It's a test. 
Okay, are you ready to graduate? And Mercury's like, let me out, let me go, let me... Uh, I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of being so serious. I'm tired of being, you know, held in the grip of Saturn, of duty and responsibility and all this... Uh, so Mercury's like... So, yeah, this is, you know, you may feel this tug of war, this pull going on. It's time to make decisions. It's time to make important decisions. And it may not be so clear where to go. Next, Venus in conjunct Neptune. It's time for Venus to graduate from the school of Neptune. It's time for, you know... This love, you know, Neptune's the higher octave of Venus, spiritual love and physical earthly love. Well, it's time for Venus to get real and maybe let go of some illusions or ideals or, you know, delusions around relationship, partnership, but also around money, also around values, and this is where I want to talk about Venus going retrograde a little bit, because she is going to be going retrograde for 40 days, starting on the 22nd. Like I said, I'll really get into the whole Venus cycle, the synodic cycle of Venus in next week's Pele Report, but I want to just really identify retrograde is rebel, review, redo, remember, rethink. Remodel. It's a time of, you know, inward reflection and reflecting on. And, you know, what do, you know, what does money and love, uh, you know, and have in common? Values. Values. What I value. My valuables. Right? Yeah, I use my money to buy things that I find valuable, and different people buy different Harris, things. Show. Different people find different things valuable. Different people have different values. Some have these spiritual values, material values. You know, uh, I value, you know, sex, money, love, rock and roll, free, freedom, nature, you know, whatever. Power, glory, influence intelligence. I mean, we all have a different set of values, and these are reflected in Venus in your natal birth chart. So look to Venus in your natal birth chart. And this is a time of rethinking those values and maybe changing those values, evolving those values. We have different values according to different soul needs. See, our soul evolves from lifetime to lifetime, and we want to, in each lifetime, we have an intention, and I want to evolve this. You know, I want to evolve my understanding of relationships. I want to evolve my understanding, okay, you know, of, you know, my root chakra. I want to, you know, evolve, you know, my understanding. I want to grow and discover you know, you know, different philosophies or different cultures or different. So we're all, we're all born with a different set of values. But society and culture want to impress a certain set of values. 
say it's monogamy, say it's marriage, say it's, you know, capitalism, materialism, uh, you know, all the isms, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know or ocracies, democracies, or socialism, or communism, or, uh, so, you know, different cultures, different societies want to have us conform to these other, right, you know, values, societal values. But as we individuate on our spiritual journey of evolution, we individualize, and we come into our own values, and they may be very different from what we've been told, taught, expected, rewarded for, blah, 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 so, you know, you got 40 days coming up here, and this Pluto squaring the nodes is what? It's breaking free, it's breaking out, the 29th degree of Capricorn, it's a critical degree, it's, you know, Pluto moving into Aquarius is rebelling and revolting against conforming to the established norms of imposed upon us by external authority. It's a time of revolution. And the revolution starts within. I'm, I need to change myself before I change the world. I need to change my internal reality. I need to, like, you know, and that's what the mantra is about today, getting our house in order getting our bodies together, getting our psyches pure, purged, purified, cleansed. Now, as far as the change that's coming, this is the, this is what is like really trippy. Uh, you know, I mean, it's different for different people. And you can, according to your set of values, these changes may be good. And if you have a different set of values, these changes could be bad. <laughs> Good or bad. Okay. You know, I have, uh, you know, uh, a sweet dear friend of mine is having a baby. She's preparing, cleaning the house, setting up candles, getting the, you know, the tub, you know, of water together, you know, purifying, smudging, cleansing, you know, you know, and of course, I'm sure, you know, the diet and the sleeping and everything. She's just like really, really preparing for baby. This is like a descent. I'm going to read the, uh, the, uh, the Sabian symbol for the new moon. Why don't I do that right now? So this is, you know, this is one pathway forward. And it has to do with what? A willful man is overshadowed by a descent of superior power. The response of spiritual forces to the integration of personality through positive, willful endeavors. We're dealing here with a man who uses his will and positive imagination in facing his life problems. To him comes a Pentecostal descent of power. He receives the mantle of power. The grace, Baraka in Sufi philosophy, or the provid providential assistance, 
which can make him a true leader in his culture. Yeah? This is, you think of the Pentecost, right, in the Christian, right? The tongues, you know, the flaming tongues, you know, that where the disciples of Jesus spoke in tongues. Yeah, there was this descent of power, of spiritual power. So, you know, there's, you know, you know, so for my dear friend, she has a soul incarnating, you know, through her becoming a mama, right? But this descent of power can also be a hurricane. It could also be a tornado. It could also wipe away or take away something that your unconscious soul no longer feels is valuable for its growth. And your ego may be devastated, hurt, wounded through loss, betrayal, abandonment of something that you thought you needed or was part of your path or was a major distraction. So this can also be a time, and and this is where the mantra was tricky, it's like, Yeah, this could be like a really great change for some people and really challenging for others. But what do they both have in common? Whether you're expecting a new baby or, you know, a, 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 you know, a rise in power and, a, you know, a raise, <laughs> a bonus, <laughs> or whether you're graduating and you're, you know, you're nail biting, whether you're ready, okay, Or this hurricane is coming, or somebody is leaving, you're divorcing, you're separating. I mean, wh whether this big change is pleasant and comfortable or unpleasant and uncomfortable, there are some things that still need to be done, right? Whether the king is coming or a sorcerer witch is coming to your house, you want to have it in order. You want to clean it. You want to prepare it. You want to have everything in its place, a place for everything and everything in its place. It's like, right? Because something's happening. My physical body, okay? You know, whether there's a storm coming Okay, or whether I'm preparing for the Olympics, you know, and I'm a victor, whether I'm a winner or I'm a, you know, going to get attacked. I want my body in tip top shape, right? So I'm going to rest. I'm going to get my sleep. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do my yoga, do my, you know, body workouts, you know, go, you know, hike through the woods, whatever, bicycle ride, climb. Get my body in shape and my innermost psyche. Yeah, my soul nature, my thoughts and my thinking. I have to be in the now. I have to be mindful. I have to be alert. I have to be awake. I have to be prepared. Okay, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be surprised. I want the king knocking at my door and I'm like, oh, but, but, but. Ah! Or I don't want, you know, the sorcerer magician sneaking up, you know, and catching me sleeping, unaware, 
unprepared, with a dirty aura. <laughs> you know? So it's like, this is a time period, and this is what these in-conjunct aspects have to do with. Number one, I, I, they, they do have to do with this cleansing, purging, purifying of Virgo. So with Mercury, Saturn, purifying your thoughts and your thinking, Venus, Neptune, purifying your intentions, you know, in relationship, in partnership, around money, around, you know, what you're using it for, why you need it, what, what, what you, you know, around what you're attracting. This is, I, this is a very good time. I mean, this new moon to do ceremony. Like, you know, like really call in. You know, the highest guidance, really call in, okay, you know, your guides, you know, to help you make these choices, you know, for the highest good, the greatest good of all. And this is the last point that I want to make, because <laughs> I could rant on forever, but this last point is, and I go into it very much in that two-hour video, Pluto at 29 degrees Capricorn with the resolution node being the south node in Libra, really has to do with us listening, receiving, accepting relationship to a greater whole. We are participants in a greater whole. And we have a duty. We have a responsibility. Especially as elders, if you are past your Chiron return, coming into your Saturn return, after your Saturn return, particularly. But one way or the other, this Pluto, you know, in Capricorn is telling us, before I go into Aquarius, before I liberate, before I can gain enlightenment, before I can really be free, I have an office, a duty, a responsibility to like really be there. And to hold space and to create, right, safety and security and stability for my family, for my group, for my community, for the world at large, depending upon, again, your particular soul intention for this lifetime, how big your circle is. But we are all participants in a greater whole. And part of our evolutionary journey is realizing this, accepting this, and acting within it. That's where Jupiter and Saturn come in. That's where honors, awards, recognition, and expansion, and growth, Jupiter, comes in, is how are we participating within that greater whole or not? Are we running away from our duty, from our responsibility, from, you know, you know, our you know, being, contributing, serving? This is Virgo, sixth house. Are we serving somebody besides ourselves? Are we, are, you know, are we really, you know, giving something to the greater whole? Or are we just immaturely you know, was taking, 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 taking. So, you know, this is a time to really look at and be aware of and be awake to 
this part of our destiny as human beings to be serving. Yeah. So let's just kind of check it out, baby. Ow! I feel in my bones a big change coming <laughs> for which I need to prepare. From my house to my body to my innermost psyche, I must remain clear, awake, and aware. I saw that branch break behind me. There's something in lurking in the woods. It could be a monster coming to get me. <laughs> I'd best be clear, awake, and aware. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Ow! So, yeah. I mean, this could have to do with a lot of different things, baby. I mean, I'll talk about, like I said, this shift from the North Node in Taurus to the North Node in Aries, the future destiny, the North Node, has been ruled by Venus for a year and a half. Venus rules Taurus. It's moving into Aries. So our future for the next year and a half is ruled by Mars. So we're doing a big switch here from yin to yang, okay, from Venus to Mars. And it's time to wake up. No more sitting bull, Taurus, moving into our warrior energy of Aries. Ow! Yeah, baby. And we don't want to fear it. We don't want to hide from it. We don't want to, you know, be intimidated by it. No, 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 no. We got to stand up. Stand up, oh, you rights. Oh, you know, that could be another one. Bob Marley, get up, stand up. Don't forget the fight. One more time. Write this on your mirror in the morning or something, you know. Write it on the palm of your hand. <laughs> I feel in my bones a big change is coming. For which I need to prepare. From my house to my body. To my innermost psyche, I need to remain clear, awake, and aware. <laughs> Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Thank you, sir. 
All right, I'm looking at the full moon chart. It's 10.30 a.m. Eastern on Monday. I thought it was a new moon. Hmm. New moon, yes. <laughs> you know, never forget about the opposites. Right? Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's, you got to move beyond letting opposites push you around. <laughs> anchor, anchor, anchor yourself in your heart. All right. Now, so the sensitive point is uh, 25 degrees of Cancer, opposite Pluto, and the other Mars is going to be in five Virgo in two days. All right. That brings it into opposition with Saturn. All right. Venus is not going to go into Virgo. All right. Mercury will be at 13 degrees of Leo on Monday. So, what I can't, I, what I can't ignore, is how these energies are affecting all us individuals who are born with uh, Pluto and Leo. Yeah. And that's the the baby boomers. Yeah. Yep. So if you've got if you've got Pluto in Leo, you're over sixty. Yeah. Yep. You've had your second Saturn return. Yeah. You've had your fifth Jupiter return. Yeah. Yep. So uh, by now you should be very skilled and nimble, as Kaipacha was uh, commentating on there. You don't want to be sleeping when uh, trouble shows up (laughs) or surprise. Right, like the wizard that shows up. There's all kinds of things that can show up, and it can be it can be what's called pleasurable or painful could go either way anyway all right uh when we get to next saturday all right mars is going to be in eight virgo and the moon is going to be in 28 virgo so that's what we got going going through the week here So next week, it'll be moon opposite Neptune. Next Saturday night. And Mars will be still exactly opposite Saturn. Mars opposite Saturn. That's one to meditate on. And where that aligns in your chart, 
wherever that Mars-Saturn axis is, is one to pay attention to, as well as the Pluto-Sun axis. Those are it. All right, I'm done. Okay. Okay. Here is Tanya. Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the astrology numerology forecast where we look at an upcoming event in the cosmos so that we're aware of the energetics behind it, the codes, the transits, the aspects. We put it all together and then we're prepared in the best way possible to navigate the energies and make the most of them. And in this case, we are going to look at the beautiful Cancer New Moon, July 17th. And I am so excited about this new moon because it happens at 24 degrees in Cancer. And I'll get into that in a moment. But first, let's look at the time It is exact on July 17th at 7.32 p.m. That's Universal Time in London. And that is 2.32 p.m. Eastern Time, New York. And 11.32 a.m. Pacific Time in Los Angeles. And this forecast is for all signs. You don't need to be a Cancer to benefit from it. You have Cancer in your birth chart. And that means that this new moon takes place in one of the houses. You have 12 houses in your birth chart. So we have all 12 signs represented in our chart. Now, cancer is all about nurturing and love, tenderness, kindness. And 24 degrees where the sun and moon will be reduces to six. Two plus four is six. And six is also the number of love, of kindness, of nurturing. And as it happens, the archetype for cancer is the mother. And the archetype for the number six is also the mother. In fact, if you look at the number six, it looks like a pregnant mother carrying a child and giving birth to motherhood, being nurturing, being kind, being responsible, everything that cancer represents. So that's why this particular new moon is doubling up on the nurturing, compassionate energy. And we're going to go much deeper into this into a moment because What it entails, especially with the sun and moon opposite Pluto, is we are going into the void, the void of the womb and the void of the unknown. And Pluto, like I said, 29 degrees in Capricorn opposite the sun and moon at 24 degrees in Cancer. Now, as you may realize, Pluto was in Aquarius for the first time in 248 years for three months from the end of March until June 11th. Now Pluto's retrograded back into Capricorn and will be there until early 2024. And this opposition to the Cancer New Moon really brings up passion. The passion to go where you haven't been to before. The passion to turn over the rock and see what's underneath and not be the shadow side of cancer, the crab, where cancer sometimes hides under the shell if it doesn't want to deal with the situation. So the shadow side of cancer is to dig your head in the sand. But this opposition of the sun and moon to Pluto is definitely going to 
not allow you to go that route for long because Pluto wants to dig up the truth and get to the nuts and bolts of the matter, especially the things that we haven't seen that are crucial to our awakening. So one of the themes of this new moon is to not run away from things that you don't want to deal with or that you might be afraid of. Now, the moon, the ruler of cancer, is the planet that shines the light at night in darkness. And, of course, the sun shines the light in the daylight. So cancer and the moon represent the womb, the void, the Mother, the rule of cancer, carries a child in the womb where it is dark, where there is life unfolds in that void. And the void represents that, where everything and nothing intermingle in the void. Everything and nothing exist together in the void. And the void is fertile ground for life. It is the place where we nurture seeds to grow. The void is the unknown, just like this opposition from Pluto. Pluto represents the unknown, and that's why Pluto can bring up situations that we fear because what we are afraid of is what we don't know. So the void is asking us, this Cancer New Moon is asking us to surrender to the unknown. It's about coming home to yourself because the only way to surrender to the unknown is to go here. And I say coming home to yourself because cancer in astrology is the ruler of the fourth house, which represents your family, your home. And so cancer literally is not only about the mother energy, but literally where you, your womb, where you live, right? It also represents real estate for that reason, uh, your genetic heritage, your background, your past. And so it is about those things that seeded us, that nurtured us, right? And so when we have a Cancer New Moon opposite Pluto at 24 degrees, we are literally looking at those seeds. A new moon is new beginnings. We're looking at new seeds growing within us. And that each new seed, each new idea, each new project, each new relationship is a mystery. Each new moment is a newborn moment. And so you nurture those seeds regardless of what they may become. You nurture a child regardless of what the child may become. You're being called to surrender to that mystery of the unknown, especially the mystery of the future. Because the greatest breakthroughs happen when you find a way to release control and trust that life is flowing naturally and flowing according to plan, the divine plan for your life. And so the flow of that, the surrender to the flow, it represents water as well. Because just like the womb is water, the void represents water. Water is where life begins. Water is the origin of life. And we are mostly made up of water and our planet is mostly made up of water. And when we are called to let go, when we feel, we often tear up. Whether it is from sadness, from joy, from inspiration, we get tears. 
And Pluto is such a deep feeling planet. Remember, it's opposite this new moon. So Pluto also brings that passion and that ability to allow yourself to let go. By the way, Pluto rules another water sign. Cancer is a water sign and Pluto rules Scorpio, which is the second of three water signs, the final being Pisces, of course. So we have this beautiful moment now where we can feel ourselves in the womb of life where everything and nothing exists as one. And sometimes that can be confusing, the idea of nothingness and everything being together. But the reason it can be confusing is we're so used to doing something that just feeling the void and surrendering to it, like the sign of cancer is asking, is paradoxical regarding what we are told we need to do in order to move ahead, which is to do, 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 and act, act, act. And of course, that is important. However, the taking time away from the actual movement of action is very important right now. So open your heart to feel, to receive, to be nurtured. Share your heart with others things that you felt vulnerable about, things that are tender, those can be shared now in a way that allows you to forgive, especially yourself, to be vulnerable, to be open, and to understand that everything that you may feel you need to hide from eventually will need to be addressed anyway. So you might as well address it when it comes up, especially in your relationships, because that's when things tend to be mirrored is by other people. And remember that you're coming home to yourself and the moon is coming home to its own sign. The lunations of which we have 13 in a year are based on Luna, the moon, and this is the moon's home sign cancer. So there is a real sense of homecoming right now, of, of being empathetic and intimate. And you also may have moods that are more changeable around this time. You know, cancer can easily be hurt. It is a very sensitive sign. So the crab also has those claws and can lash out. So just be aware that that tendency can be there as well. The main thing about cancer is to focus on the nurturing part, whatever that means to you, physically nurturing through massage, through preparing meals, through nourishment of any kind, caring of others, taking care and receiving nourishment as well. You know, the 24 degrees of the sun and moon, like I said, also governs nurturing, taking responsibility, mentoring, mothering, parenting. And so you are also needing to make sure that you're not over nourishing. So receiving energy as well, so that you're not depleted of energy. Now, the shadow side of cancer is to be clingy, insecure, possessive, too cautious or afraid of rejection. So you don't go for it uh, or lacking clear goals, being sort of dissipated or wishy-washy about where you're heading. 
Now, on the 17th of July, we have the immortality number activated. 17 is what I call the immortality number, and it means that you're leaving a legacy behind. So this new moon is very important regarding how you address those moments in your life that really are meaningful. So around this new moon, especially on July 17th, you want to really be very conscious of how you're using your energy and it will inform you for quite a while after this new moon because of the immortality aspect of it. The whole date, 7-17-2023, adds up to 22 and that's the architect of peace number. So there is a real sense of feeling peace through surrender, love, allowing yourself to be nurtured, allowing yourself to feel, and taking ownership. 17 is the leadership number as well, not just immortality, but literally strength, confidence, having a vision. So there's a really big code here. It's actually the four and eight code of destiny. 22 reduces to 4, 17 to 8, and it's very powerful in numerology. So this is really is a profoundly important new moon. And as it happens, it's in July, which begins the second half of our year, which will be a very active second half due to all the events that are upcoming. We have a Venus retrograde. We have a lot going on with Mars and many other transits that are upcoming And so this opposition of the sun and moon to Pluto is basically showing you expect change, expect transformation. And because of that, you are being empowered. If you surrender Pluto, the planet of power, life, death, rebirth, and transformation will emotionally empower you. So this is a very important juncture to allow yourself to not just surrender. And surrender doesn't mean being a victim. It truly means that you have the confidence to let go of wanting to control when things actually transpire in your life. You you are allowing the universe to bring you the moments. You just prepare the best you can in terms of your adjustment, your alignment, your perception, your alignment to frequency. Are you choosing joy over fear? Are you choosing love over aggression, right? Those are the things you can control moment to moment. Stay present with any changes in your life. Allow them to move through you and welcome the newfound wisdom and act on the wisdom with enthusiasm. You know, Pluto is a very powerful planet, very passionate. The sun and moon are also trying to Neptune, and Neptune is the ruler of Pisces. So here we bring all the water signs together. We have an opposition to Pluto, ruler of Scorpio, and then we have a trine to Neptune, ruler of Pisces, and the new moon is in Cancer, third water sign. So a lot of watery, emotional, deep-feeling, heart-centered energy here. And Neptune brings a sense of really your psychic abilities, your dreams, the intuitive understanding of spirituality and beauty, especially beautiful music and manifesting your dreams really becomes much more of a possibility also due to the numerology code. Remember that 17.8 and 22.4, these are manifestation numbers. And so this is 
really enhanced by the spiritual insights that you receive. Other transits are Mercury square Jupiter, which really wants you to focus on optimistic thoughts and communication. Uh, Mars is opposite Saturn. It's a very busy new moon, as you can see. Um, Mars, the ruler of Aries, opposite Saturn, which is in Pisces. Uh, there's a great activation of responsibilities. You can persevere through frustration. Uh, it's very important to stay in control of your emotions, right? To be proactive, to physically work out. Uh, you know, vigorous exercise really helps to make this opposition, to bring it into balance so that you feel the dynamic energy in a way that is positive. So you immerse yourself in activity that yields productive results. And finally, Neptune, ruler of Pisces, is sextile to Pluto. They will not be exact, but they're getting close now, and then they move apart again due to the retrogrades. But you're unafraid to go against the grain of accepted way of thinking and doing things. So this is really enhancing your pioneering spirit, and you are very inspired by the truth. The truth shall set you free. You're tapping into the collective in a big way and you sense the current pulse of humanity and how it is changing and evolving. So that's really coming to a head this decade and starting really now where we feel that sextile. And then, like I said, it moves apart, comes together over the next few years. These are the slow moving planets, Neptune and Pluto. So, yeah, this is a really important time of understanding that you're on the forefront of a major shift and you're seeking to pioneer the energy. You are unplugging from things that are not based on love. You're unplugging from the past so that you can focus on the present. You're forging a path that hasn't been generated on this planet as yet. And Pluto opposite this new moon really ensures that you understand this. And the more you become aware of who you truly are as a heart-centered, living, breathing, soul-centered, light body, a representative, a spark of the divine, the more you're able to live in that reality of the divine rather than the mind's made-up reality, right? So this is really an important moment, and I'd love to help you through it with a free masterclass called How to Master Your Stars. It's a way for you to tune into the secret of spiritual mastery, and it's so apropos with this Cancer New Moon to tune into that part of your life Go to spiritualmasteryclass.com and what you'll discover is the true meaning of your rising sign, the important difference between individuality and uniqueness, and this ties into Uranus as well. You also discover that your natal sun and natal moon's profound impact on living an abundant and happy life and how to instantly connect with the divine, with spirit, and many more secret tools. So enjoy that free masterclass at spiritualmasteryclass.com. Lots of love. Have a beautiful Cancer New Moon. And I'll see you in next week's Star Codes podcast.
talking stick back to you, Richard. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right. Bad echo. Bad echo. I happen to I be happen looking at the commodities, commodities chart. And silver, silver. rose this week, rose Ooh. to $24.95, and gold rose a little bit. It's at $1,955 per ounce. And what else here? What's important? Uh, natural gas, nah, still the same. That hasn't, that's much. Coal, you can get a ton of coal for 105 bucks. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> gasoline, wholesale gasoline is 264 per gallon. It's called the RBOB gasoline. Uh, that's what they, you know, measure the, bulk weight gasoline buy. So we're paying uh was three oh five Thursday when I went to town here here in Georgia. So aluminum twenty two hundred and sixty eight per ton. All right, that's over a dollar a pound now. Copper, $8,650 per ton. So that's like four bucks a pound. All right? You don't even want to know about nickel and tin. They're both over $20,000 per ton. Yeah, I heard an interesting show about Congo and cobalt. Um, oh, the, so that was, we played that. Song. We played that. Okay. Uh, from Amy. Right. Yep. Yeah, that. It's just crooks, crooks everywhere you look. Yep. All right. Well, namaste. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Richard. You have a wonderful week. It's hot and humid here in the forest. Uh, right here, too. It was 101 last time I looked right where we are. <laughs> okay, over and out. Over and out. Namaste. All right, Rama. Mm-hmm. Our phone number for our conference call. 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, 720-716-7301, and the PIN code is 353-863-POUND, and we'll see you there, and we'll be back here at the top of the very next hour with BBS Radio, so see you on the conference for now. Namaste. Grinding to a halt. It's very overwhelming, everybody. It's finally... For the first time in over the old years. story is going away all the way.
unanimously and again, the action yesterday after tense negotiations there's going to be a landing suddenly broke down and the these characters are going to board and the, the starships and they're going for a ride thousand actors will no now violence. join Hollywood's writers who have been on the picket lines no since violence. and that- and they get reintegrated into What's galactic that? society <laughs> And all of this stuff, the, the vaccinations and stuff. I guess the UN goes away and the WHO goes away and the EU goes away and yeah. Ah. <sighs> And this has been one giant, giant COVID fraud, this whole thing. And again, they use these sound, dissonant sound frequencies. And intentionally, um, went after people of color. And very, 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 as Henry Kissinger calls, poor, White, useless eaters. And there's a balance. They're going away now. (sighs) The West has become an empire led by evil itself. The West has not just become a sea of criminal institutions, as not stopped now. It will continue with its drive to complete its eugenics and transhumanism agenda way before 2030. We the people must stand up now against this tyrannical attempt by foremost three key Institutions to dominate, enslave, and tyrannize to death most of the commons of the world populations. First, the UN, created by the aim to help resolve conflicts among countries and preserve peace in the world, really. Second, so-called World Health Organization, which is everything except a defender of world health, because it is by over 80% funded by Big Pharma and by the genocidal hyper-criminal Bill Gates Foundation. And third, by arguably one of the most corrupt institutions in the world, the European Union, with its unelected head, the European Commission. It's all going away and only love so are you ready, Rama? Yeah. Okay, read it. What's the title? Uh, Cry Freedom, Cancer, New Moon, Energies Are Here. Here we go. 34 minutes, right? Yeah. Here we or go. 40. 40. Oh, 40. 40. 42. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank <laughs> you. 
And good morning, everyone. How are you doing? This is Amanda. I do hope that you're well. So I'm going to be recording a video today for the new moon in Cancer on the 17th of July. And we're going to be using the new Christ Consciousness deck and also the Archangel Metatron deck. It's funny, I just tried to do this video with somebody else's deck. Uh, and it was like, what am I doing? Why am I not using my own deck? So I'm going to just use my two decks as well as maybe one other in this video. Um, by the time you watch this, I should be in France. So this is a pre-recorded video and I hope that you're all well. There's also another pre-recorded video that I've done for my absence, which is on Mary Magdalene. That will be going up in a few days as well. OK, so look out for two pre-recorded videos. I then will be back in the chair, in the hotspot <laughs> around about the 25th of July. OK, get back on the 22nd. Then it's my birthday and then I'll be back. OK, right. Should we just dive into it? I have no idea what's going to come out. Um, I've been so busy. I haven't really been able to tune into this new moon in Cancer, but let's do so now. Let's light some incense to get us going. And let's see. Let's see how we're doing. It feels to me as though we've own, we had only just started cancer season. Uh, and it's just flown by very, very quickly. Or should I say no it's flowed by very quickly. All that water. Right. Let's start with three cards from the Christ Consciousness deck. And we're going to ask uh, the energy of Jesus to be here, please. Also the energy of Mary Magdalene. Also the energy of the disciples. And let's see, what are we looking at? What are we being asked to look at around about the new moon in Cancer, 17th of July? First thing I'm feeling is just a slowing down. It's like even my speech is just as soon as I'm dipping into this, I'm feeling a slowing down. And maybe this is good because things are accelerating so fast. So much is happening. It feels as though the Cancer New Moon is just this opportunity to just put down your baggage and rest for a little while. That might literally be an hour. It might be a day. It might be a week. But it feels as though it's important just to stop for a moment, to stop. I'm hearing to cease. I'm wondering if there's going to be a ceasefire. Now, I don't know what that ceasefire is. A ceasefire of hostilities. You would like to think it's the big one, of course, but I suspect it's probably more a ceasefire linked into the hostilities that we hold within ourselves and between ourselves and another. Uh, also a ceasefire with regards to energies that are competing and affecting our peace of mind. We have the lion on the bottom of the deck before I shuffle any more. You see, the lion is waiting, and that is the Leo energy that wants to roar in on the 22nd of July. Leo season starts, and we're going to be asked to stand firm, stand very firm and have some courage in Leo season, even more than we normally need to. 
And it feels as though before the battle, and I'm using that just in terms of a metaphor, a army needs to rest. Okay, we are the army. We are the peaceful army. We are the light worker army. An army needs to rest from time to time. This Cancer New Moon is a perfect opportunity to do that. And you might have to do it with chaos reigning all around. Uh, I am being shown an, a, a, a battlefield, but I, I suspect this is just uh, an analogy because I'm just being shown us resting. But there's like fire in the distance, the sound in the distance. It's still all kicking off. But knowing that it is a time where you are allowed to just stop for a moment. Okay. Right. Let's see what else is going on. So Cancer New Moon, we have the lion there getting ready for something. But that is to come. I'll pull some cards on the Leo season in a moment. But let's just have a look at Cancer New Moon. Let's have two cards, please. We have the card of prayer, contemplation and connection. It's exactly what I was just saying. And the depiction of this card is exactly what I was just saying we need to do. Because he's praying and there's a busy city there in the background. There's planes flying overhead. There's noise. There's all the rest of it. But he's taking time out to pray and contemplate. Um... And it's set against the moon. It's set against the moon. Cancer New Moon is a very powerful portal for prayer. For that which you need help with. Whether you need healing. Whether you need assistance. Whatever is going on in your life. Knowing that prayer is powerful around this Cancer New Moon. I don't know why, it just is. Uh, it's as though God's ears are wide open. Not that they aren't most of the time, but just more so than ever. You can also work with the energy of Archangel Sandalphon, who helps take prayers to the Godhead, Source, whatever it is that you wish to call. But please take time out to contemplate, to pray, to connect. You're not going to be able to do that if you're running around, busy 24-7, with this in your hand all the time. There's going to be more and more distraction coming from this, coming from social media, coming from the internet, Coming from the latest breaking story, breaking story after breaking story after breaking story, it keeps you hooked in on an adrenaline rush. I need to be in the know. I need to know what's happening now. It would serve humanity better and the awakening timeline better to use the Cancer New Moon for deep reflection Deep thought, deep journaling, and a moment of prayer. Okay. 
What else, please? What else? Cancer new moon. The card of freedom. Also would like to say that both times I've shuffled the deck, this has been on the bottom of the deck. So I'm also going to pull this card. This is the card of gratitude, um, appreciation and thanks. So before we get to the freedom card, prayer is also to do with saying a prayer of thanks. It's not just about what do I need. It's about what am I grateful for? How many times have you heard me say that gratitude is one of the fastest ways of raising our vibration? So having a moment of thanks and appreciation to the people in your life, including those who've maybe not necessarily always been there for you or been on your side, but have made you stronger, etc. But absolutely, trying to view this time as the most beautiful gift that whatever is occurring, there is something to be celebrated. Okay, there's something to be celebrated. Now, we've also got the card of freedom, just be you. And it's interesting putting it together with the card of prayer, because it feels to me as though it's saying freedom comes from an inner sense of knowing. Freedom comes from inner peace. Freedom comes from inner, um, an inner state of harmony and well-being. Let's just think about that for one moment, that whatever is occurring in our world, whatever is occurring in your world, that we can still hold an energy of freedom inside of ourselves, despite external circumstances that might be showing us that we are not free. Okay. So if you're up against regulations and control and you have to do this and you have to do that, I'm talking here about the erosion of things that we've always taken for granted. So, for example, something like freedom of speech, let's just take that as an example. So freedom of speech, we know it's being eroded across many, many different platforms at the moment and in our society. And that is a fact. But yet, if you think about your ability to be able to speak, channel, say anything, being thwarted by powers that were, but in another way, they never can. Because what I'm being shown is we're going to be opening up to greater powers of telepathy, of just knowing. I just know how you feel. I just know. I, I just know. Knowingness, wisdom, recognition of soul members, soul tribe. They can never take away a sense of freedom if you hold it as sovereign within yourself. And here we've got the lion. 
No one tells the lion what to do. So there's two messages here. Number one, you've just got to hold that energy of freedom within yourself. Hold it true, despite external circumstances. But also, in a weird way, restriction of freedoms with regards to freedom of speech is going to lead to an acceleration of other methods of communication which cannot be controlled, one of which is telepathy. <laughs> How interesting. How interesting. There are so many things in our world right now where you've got to look beneath the initial story and the initial reaction and start to see the potential that lies in everything. So as an example, in the UK, as of today, 12th of July, when I released or not released, when I record this, the name of the BBC presenter at the centre of the latest scandal has not been released. I expect by the time you're watching it, it will be widely known, even though we all know who it is, but you're not allowed to say because of libel laws and stuff. In one timeline, what was given to me today is it can, it could potentially lead to the tower moment for the BBC. That is relevant to you if you're in South Africa, if you're in America, Canada, Australia, wherever you are. Whatever country you're in, there are leading organisations, media organisations, which have dominated the, you know, the control of what you're allowed to say, what is reported, etc. How about if what's happening with regards to the BBC scandal and this particular man, and if it's gone further than that and it's other people involved in the BBC as well, what if the whole thing, the whole show just comes down? The whole organisation falls. That actually is about a big bastion of the media falling. Now, I don't know whether it will happen with this one person and this one event, but I do see a timeline where it can happen. And then multiply that in other places, whether it's CNN, whether it's whatever the big news stations are in your countries. What happens when the big media giants fall and you're not hearing them speak anymore? Then you've actually got to use other outlets. I know many of you are, but it just feels as though that's all relevant to this as well. Okay, back to the cards. So I've got four cards out from the Christ deck. Lionheart, freedom, contemplation and connection and gratitude. Let's now pull four cards from the Metatron deck and let's just weave the energy of the Metatron deck and the Christ deck together. So for Cancer, New Moon, please, Metatron. Cancer, New Moon, four energies that people are looking at. Wow, I mean, can't make this stuff up, as I'm always saying. The card of communication and Kundalini. As the Kundalini of Earth rises, the vibration of planet Earth arises. Uh, ways that old traditional ways that we have been communicated with. This is the news. It's going to change. I'm being shown in the old days, um, the old town criers with their bells, you know. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. And they would come into the town square 
and they would tell the people what had happened in the kingdom, you know. Um, sounds like, you know, like we, we, I, haven't, I don't remember that, but that's what used to happen in the Middle Ages and stuff. We, and now we've got these huge, great, big media structures. This is in the spotlight. This BBC story, it's not a, it's not actually, it's not a distraction. People that are saying, oh, it's a distraction from this. It's a distraction. It's not. This is where the news is at. The news is at the news. The news is about who reports the news, how the news is reported, what agenda is behind it. And absolutely, the people that are in the news reading the news what's the story there as well i hope by the time that i release this uh the person in question has been named because otherwise i've just given a big strong hint in terms of who that man is anyway um yeah so we have the chakra light body and we've got communication speak up and be heard (laughs) how many hello (laughs) hello it's all here in the cards it's all here in the cards I did a couple of little videos on Instagram and Facebook this week where I was talking about we have to speak up. We have to speak up for what we believe to be true. Uh, there are so many people now who are frightened to question agendas that are coming into our world that we just have to accept as Okay, and I will say it here, those of you that follow me on Facebook and Instagram already know that I went off on one about something, but I'm going to go off on about it again because uh, the latest thing here in the UK is that the it was reported that, I'm not going to use the word because you have to be careful on social media in terms of algorithms and stuff, but, you know, the part of the lady, a part of a woman's anatomy um it's called now a bonus hole, a bonus hole uh, by certain charities that are telling their employees that this is what we need to be calling it now, a bonus hole. You know, are you okay with that? I'm certainly not. And I'm going to speak up against it. I don't care who I offend. People are frightened of being the lion and speaking their truth. And when things have gone too far, calling it out. Okay, calling it out. So, this to me, Cancer New Moon, feels as though, yes, we're going to be asked to pause, but equally, it's as though there's going to be implosions around media, okay? Probably also other breaking stories within media in terms of media personalities and what they've been up to. But anyhow, um, also, this is, again, confirming what I brought through earlier, that our methods of communication are upgrading. The two decks are confirming each other. Uh, telepathy, as our chakra system upgrades, as our third eye upgrades, as our throat chakra upgrades, we're going to be able to discern easier. We're going to be able to speak our truth easier. We're going to be able to telepathically be able to understand each other better. So why would you then have to pick up a newspaper for somebody else to tell you? You know, that type of thing. Um, or, of course, there's always going to be a place for newspapers and news news channels because you're not necessarily standing in Libya or Egypt or Australia. You need reporters on the ground, but you're going to be able to discern what's real, what's false, what's being manipulated, where what's the agenda, all of that. Um, and, you know, more and more people are going to wake up to this. Again, I just want to bring into this video... 
you know, I remember the early days of the pandemic and some of the advertising in this country, I'm sure in other countries, was absolutely appalling propaganda. I remember going down onto my street and there's a bus shelter and there was that. Do you remember the, the great big bus shelter posters of it was somebody on their deathbed gasping for air and it was like, look her in the eyes and tell her that you won't have this, you know? And I I could see through all of it. I just thought it was complete and utter propaganda, which is what it was. But a lot of people couldn't. Um, but I think they're going to be able to see it next time. OK. And it's interesting because you can't see. But off screen, I've chosen some sprays for this video. And uh, now they're making sense. I couldn't understand why I've chosen these in particular. I've got the Meta Pirate spray which is the spray I bought at, we brought out at the start of the pandemic. This is one that just helps to uh, keep your aura as energetically clean as you can. It's got lots of antibacterial, antiviral essential oils in it. I always use it and I'll take it to France. I'll be spraying it in the van. I'll be spraying it in hotel rooms if we go into hotel rooms, that type of thing. When I'm traveling on the boat tomorrow, I will put it into my aura. It just helps you to ward off stuff. But that was calling me, as was the fear fighter spray. So it's like putting them together. It's like, hmm, OK, we're going to have another big wave of fear. You know, we're going to be fed fear. Let's all panic about the next thing to worry about, you know. And, uh, you know, we're, we're being asked to just learn from the past and to be more like the lion rather than the mouse, you know, that sort of ran ran you know I'm, I know I've said it many times but I'm, it's always seared into my brain just the look of that woman as I was walking down the road during the height of the pandemic the fear on her face as I approached her in the street in fresh air and she scurried across the road to get away from a human being in case I was carrying the lurgy I I I mean I have compassion for that level of fear to be perfectly honest I absolutely do but it also freaked me out because I was like, my God, they've done a good job on you. And I'm just looking what's on the bottom of the Christ deck as I'm saying all this. Look at this. Peter, denial. You know, um, not want a lot of people not wanting to face now what is coming out with regards to what actually occurred during the pandemic, how we were lied to, how we were manipulated, how there was an agenda there. And I can't go much further than that on YouTube or I'll get thrown off. But, you know, there's other big champions uh, out there who are doing it on our behalf. Look at Dr. John Campbell's work if you haven't done recently. It's all there. Russell Brand as well. Um, and I will say this, actually, because Metatron said this to me the other day. I know it's frustrating. I mean, you might say, well, I've got a big channel and I have. I've got a lot of followers now. It's great. But they've got a lot more. OK, Russell Brand's got millions. Um, Dr. John Campbell's got, I don't know how many he's got. I think he's got millions as well. Those, they're like the big beasts of the jungle. OK, they're <laughs> the big beasts of the jungle. They're harder to take down than others. Even people like me who've still got a sizable following. I'm easier to remove or eradicate. People with even less followers, easier to just move off the map. So that's why, you know, go to the big jungle beasts who are there 
that's their mission to report this stuff. Okay, I'm just reminding you that they're there. I know many of you know this, but to the people that are still denying it, I don't want to know. I don't want to face it. You know, even though there's people who, you know, I know everybody knows somebody who's now got a heart issue or had problems in that area. It's like I don't want to put two and two together. I don't want to look at these athletes that are just dropping down dead. I don't want to look at that. Well, we're going to have to at some point. Peter, denial and weakness. Um, the next card that comes out is the card of sisterhood, Mary Magdalene and Mother Mary. And I, you see, I think this is what heals it because right now I'm sort of in my Carly rage. I'm in my Lilith rage. Uh, I'm also in my Leo rising rage and there's nothing wrong with that. I've got Leo rising. No apologies. I can absolutely be like this from time to time. Uh, when it needs to be said. But equally, I know that we need to come together. We need to come, we all need to come together. We need to be able to put the past behind us, just sit with each other, whatever decisions were taken over the last couple of years to hear each other's stories, but to never let it happen again. This is the point, to learn from the past. And it's to do with communication, what I've got here in terms of the cards is all to do with communication, communication and freedom. <laughs> I mean, just look. I mean, the, the cards just tell the story. I also feel, though, that whatever agendas powers that were have out there to bring in other things that are frightening, worrisome, etc. I'm not going to go into what they are. You probably know what they are anyway. And please don't post it below. Otherwise, again, my channel can get flagged for that. But the point is that we're being reminded that if we focus on the highest timeline, the timeline we actually want, we don't have to go down into we don't have to go into what they're what is planned. This is a big part of who I am. It's how I live my life. I'm aware of what's out there. I know of what could happen. But I'm always striving to remain in the highest timeline for myself and for the collective. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do as well. And the way we do that is we stay strong. We keep concentrating on our own chakra body, our light body, filling ourselves with light at each portal, walking the talk, having gratitude, having a daily structure of prayer, meditation, connection. Also, this kind of communication feels as though it's also to do with communication of um, between us and the divine, between us and the divine, making sure that your telephone line to the divine, as well as the telephone line to your yourself, your higher self, is um, always on. OK, and again, that requires you to stop, to be still, to switch off the distraction, to switch off the phone from time to time, uh, to be able to have that experience, to go offline, basically. I mean, I am going to be going offline um, a little bit. I mean, I will still have my phone with me, but I'll try and turn it off as much as I can when I'm away because it's very good to do that. OK, let's have one more card from each deck, from the Jesus deck and from the Metatron deck. Let's firstly have the uh, another card from the Metatron deck, please. So this is for July the 17th, 2023. It's the new moon in Cancer. What is that helping us to uh, step into? Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, the decks work. 
the decks work. Look at it. I love it. It's the first time I've ever tried to use both of my decks together. Look how well they work together. The Christ deck, we've got the card of freedom. Imagine you're in that hot air balloon. No worries. Free. You can go wherever you want to. There are no borders. There's no restrictions. Nothing. You're in the element of the air. And we've got the air card from the Metatron deck. It says fly free. Freedom is going to be the big topic in uh, for this Cancer New Moon. Now, of course, the film Sound of Freedom has just been released, hasn't it? And I haven't seen it yet. I will try to see it. Um, and it's breaking, it's breaking records, isn't it, in terms of its takings. I'm also hearing that they're trying to manipulate it. Um, there are various cinemas where alarms have been going off and people have had to clear out of the cinema halfway through. It won't work, okay? The truth is out there. And, uh, again, to those people who are saying, oh, it's all just, you know, uh, it's not, it's not done with integrity or the people behind it, they're actually, you know, the bad guys. I've heard people criticizing Mel Gibson and probably the guy who directed it, even though I know Mel's not in it. But that is classic, classic self-sabotage by the spiritual community. A film comes out about a very important subject, child sex trafficking, and it's like, thank God people are going to going to see it. Sound of freedom. They're going to see it. Uh, set my children free. All of that. And then you have parts of the spiritual community that come in and they're like, oh, no, you know, no, that, 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 they're all black hats or whatever. It's come on. You know, <laughs> sorry, but come on. If you're thinking that way, just take your bloody tin hat off. It's it's ridiculous. Get behind the people that are trying to bring this stuff to light. That's what they're doing. Sound of freedom. Go and see it. Um, I know most of you have. It's just, it's okay to call out the manipulators in our midst. Well, I like the sound of that. Manipulators in our midst. We have many manipulators in our midst. And sometimes, you know, they are, um, they're, 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 they're sort of couched in, they, they hide behind spiritual teacher titles or I don't even know who they are because I'm not really into the communities that are bringing down this film I just know that some people are trying to bring them down so I can actually say this without even knowing who is doing it I don't even want to know who's doing it I just know that the film is, has got an important purpose um, it's raising this subject amongst a whole swathe of society that doesn't even know it exists that this even goes on get behind it Okay, so yeah, we've got the energy of air there, fly free. The bird is bringing the truth. Let's have one card. Oh no, let me read you at the end. So Metatron card is air fly free. Let's have one more card from the Christ consciousness deck. For the Cancer New Moon. Okay, (laughs) what is it? The open door, the open door. You know, new moons are always about new beginnings. Um, It's always an opportunity to take a deep breath, start a new path, a new regime, a new mindset. Uh, Go through the open door. It says Christ within you. And we have the rainbow, the mountain, the bird and the valley. 
so yes, this is an important doorway that is opening with Cancer New Moon. It's leading us into Leo season. And ultimately, of course, it's going to be leading us to Lion's Gate <clears throat> as well. So <coughs> the door is wide open. This is also like the trap door is wide open. This subject of child sex trafficking is open now. It's open. It's out in the open. Um, there's only going to be more and more reality. revelations, uh, more and more to come to light. Now, in the video that I recorded also this morning, a, um, a Mary Magdalene special, as it were, which will be going up in a few days. Um, in that, Mary was talking about the secret, you know, things that have been secret that are going to be coming to light. And we need to be there for each other. Again, this card of sisterhood, we need to be there for each other. It's OK to get angry. It's OK to have holy anger. But ultimately... We need to then channel that. We need to do something with it. We need to be there for people that really don't know this stuff is even about to hit 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 the newsstands. So, um, God, it's just a lot going on with this new moon. A lot. Can you see now why? I know you can't. Sorry, I know you can't see the cards that I'm looking at. As I say, I'm just trying to do this very quickly before I go off. But here, I've got all my cards. And the one that's right in the center is this one. It's like all the, everything I've been discussing, all these different energies, things that are going to be happening. It's like it's a wheel. But in the center of the wheel is the energy of prayer. Very important to pray, to pray for disclosure, uh, to come to light in a way that people can handle. That doesn't mean keep a lid on it. It means allow it to come to light in a way that it can be handled. And also, I want to say also, for it to be disclosed via people with integrity that you can trust, that have voices of uh, love, unity, um, that can take us back into our hearts rather than more into the energy of hatred and which is just going to lead us nowhere, really. So we need to be praying and asking for the right leaders to step forth during this time uh, to help us with what comes through. Now, I'm not saying everything's going to be happening next week. I just mean that we're on a timeline now where this is all going to be revealed. And I'm looking around the world stage um, and I'm just sort of just in my mind's eye, I'm just having a quick look at all the different leaders around the world and just trying to find the ones that might step forward to be able to help us with this. And at the moment, it's like there's an empty stage, but there's a spotlight on the empty stage. And it feels as though there's somebody who's going to be stepping in from the background. Um, I, I'm seeing the leaders in our world and they're like in a semicircle. And but the, the center of the stage is a spotlight, but it isn't one of the current leaders. It's somebody stepping from the shadows to be in the spotlight. Um, and at the moment, I don't believe we're meant to know who it is. I'm just trying to get a feel for whether they're male or whether they're female. They're definitely a unity candidate, for want of a better word. 
There's somebody that represents unity. There's somebody that speaks with the voice of peace, the voice of love. They're not a divisive figure. They're a figure of, they're a figure that everybody can get behind. Yeah, look at that. And whoever they are, they're going to help bring justice, but also with a, they have love in their heart. They have love in their heart. It's like a Princess Diana energy. No, it's not Princess Diana who's still alive, who's going to come back and stand in the spotlight. She's dead. Um, no. But it's somebody carrying the Diana frequency. Um, doesn't mean it's one of her sons. It just means somebody who's got Diana's type of energy. <clears throat> I mean, I, I have got a feeling. <clears throat> People who don't like the royals are going to hate me saying this, but I'm going to say it because some of you still think some of them are worth something. Some of them aren't, but... You see, Prince William is a Cancerian, and that's the sign of cancer, the chariot. Doesn't mean it is going to be him, but uh, we've got the King of Swords. <laughs> He's a king who's able, um, take it away from William now, whoever this is who's stepping onto the stage is has the status of a king who's able to speak the truth, but also speak from love. It could also be somebody who has the energy of Camelot within them. Um, yeah, look at this. Whoever they are has got the strength. They've got the lion heart. This is the lion heart energy. This is the, this is the Avalonian lion heart energy. This is Camelot. Um, I mean, there's a few contenders I can think of. It could be Camelot takes me to the uh, the Kennedy family as well. Of course, we've got RFK Jr. very much limbering up on the sidelines. He's not in the spotlight at the moment in terms of being on the centre stage. I know he's on the centre stage, but he's not even the nominee. Uh, it doesn't have to be any of those people because, you know, some people hate him. Some people love him. William, some people hate him, some people love him. I don't know. And let's not get bogged down in names. Let's not have the comments section filled up with hatred for William or RFK. It's just so pointless. Um, I don't know is what I'm saying. I don't know. But I'm just saying that the qualities, whoever this is, they have strength. They have a lion heart. They are willing to fight for truth. Uh, they've got a strong analytical mind, but they've also, it's heart and mind combined. Very powerful. Whoever this is, is powerful. And it feels as though the majority of people will like them. Um, could also be a woman as well. Queen of Wands could be a woman, but I don't know. <laughs> Not being shown. Okay. Final couple of cards then for New Moon in Cancer. Let's get back to uh, you. And let's see. This is the Queen of the Moon Oracle. I'm going to just add in a card from here. Let's have a look. Cancer New Moon. Um, we have release and we have purity. Purity links into children, innocence, the release. 
still the child trafficking. I, I, I really do. And again, there's a, there's a masculine energy who's coming out here to really try and fight for the good. I am going to give a shout out to somebody here. Um, let me just see if I can find him. Yeah, this guy. There's a, there's somebody, it's a YouTube channel. Um, let me, what's he called? He's called Stephen Hilton. Uh, he's got 403,000 followers on YouTube. I think he's, uh, he's trying to, he's a whistleblower or a, a way shower. He's exposing the corruption in Hollywood in particular. Um, check out his work. He's also a father. He's got children. He knows he's put his life on the line. Uh, that is the type of lion. That's the type of man that we need to be getting behind. He is completely out there. He's naming and shaming. He doesn't care. Um, you know, hopefully he will be. Can we, can we all just put some protection, please, around Stephen Hilton? Stephen Hilton um, on uh, just check him out on YouTube. It's all tied into this. He's trying to blow the lid off uh, all of this. It all needs to come up, guys. And ultimately, let's go back to the Metatron deck. It's to do with this. It's to do with bringing light to the darkness. So, okay, not quite the message I thought I was going to be bringing through today, but it is what's come through. We've also got Archangel Sandalphon. Let's go back to where we started with this video, the energy of prayer. Sandalphon takes our prayers to God, universe, etc. Let's just stay in prayer. Let's just hold the line. Let's just know that uh, we need to be there for each other. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. I need to get on with my day. Take great care of yourself. Lots of love. I'll be back here in the hot seat <laughs> around about the 25th of uh, July. But take look out for the Mary Magdalene video that I'm also releasing before I come back. And uh, I'll tell you all about France when I get back and um, whatever escapades I've got up to. Looking forward to it. And um, But I'm sure I'll miss you all as well. Take great care. Please like and share the video. I appreciate all of you very much. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Lady Di is alive and well and I'm still living. Mm. It's a very good reading, though. Mm -hmm. can sense that everything's going to break now. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, so let's do this one, Rama, Michaela. Yeah. Sheldon. Creative okay. Pattern of the Universe. Michaela Sheldon and Ethan Fox. Oops. Channeled. Revelations. Mm -hmm. Chapter 9, verse 7. Point eight. I don't know what that is. Seven. Okay. In this episode of Channel Revelations, Michaela Sheldon channels the Council of Nine, the Council of Light, and Archangel. Let me just pull it forward here. <laughs> there we go. And Archangel Metatron. The conversation begins with a discussion on the 13 dimensions which exist in our universe and now that differs from and how that differs from other universes. The discussion continues with an explanation 
what a universe is and why they are necessary to organize all that is. Ethan and the guides then talk about the differences between angels and archangels and which dimensions they occupy. Other topics include the Book of Enoch and and Enoch's interactions with the fallen angels, as well as his transformation into Archangel Metatron. Ethan and Metatron discuss the accuracy and the relevance of the Book of Enoch and the linear, linear timeline of the Great Flood, which is part of the storyline. They further delve into who Metatron is and what role he plays as the scribe for the gods described in these stories, the Nephilim, the significance of human blood, how the word red has been used in families, secret societies, and nations, and the use of the Red Cross in institutions and nations. What is Metatron's cube? What purpose does it serve? How can human beings use it to improve their lives? What is the significance of the number 13 in the universe? How does it relate to Metatron's cube and the flower of life? And the Sri Yantra about Michaela Sheldon. Michaela Sheldon is an intuitive channel, executive director of the Flower of Life Institute and marketing director of the Awake and Empowered Expo. During a struggle to overcome chronic pain, Michaela experienced a shift of awakening, discovering her intuitive gifts and launching a journey to better understand her connection to the spirit world. In the course of her healing process, she left behind her role as a marketing consultant and soccer mom to step fully into her soul's path as an intuitive channel. Michaela has the ability to channel a variety of multidimensional extraterrestrial and angelic beings to answer questions about our history, current challenges, and where we are headed in the universal ch- in the future, excuse me. She joins Ethan each month on Awake and Empowered TV to bring transformational experience. Universal channeled messages to the in, to the listening audience through her transformational experience. Michaela has come to understand. Hey, you ever seen a wealthy person or a wealthy family or a jet owner? Like, like I got a jet. I'm sorry. Energetic. You, know, you ever done that? Seen that? Wondering what would they do? What did they do to get it? And number two, what would they do to get it all over again? Or could they even get it all over again? Were they just lucky the first time? For probably forty years now, I've been wondering the same thing. I see a some family that owns a house in the Hamptons or the beach or in California. Some guy Listeners that's flying across the country in his own jet, or he's at the blackjack table will in Vegas, gain inspiration you know, spend a thousand bucks. Maintain and raise their vibration, as well as heal and open their energy field by directly connecting with the consciousness of multidimensional beings who are here to support our evolution. She has experienced astoundingly accurate results. She often receives visions of significant past life past past life experiences and describes how they are impacting a client's 
present journey. It's okay. Let's just say that uh, MichaelaSheldon.com Epitiaum book and inner circle community. So let's do it. Let's do it, Rama. Mm. Ready to play it? Mm. Yes. Okay. All right. This is two hours and four minutes. Let's get started. Okay. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Channel Revelations. I'm Ethan Fox, and I'm here with Michaela Sheldon. And today we'll be spending a couple of hours talking to the guides about some interesting topics and ancient civilizations. And as I always say on these shows, I don't discuss the topics or any of the questions with Michaela ahead of time, although she is a trans channel and will be speaking directly to the guides just so that there is no information interfering with her conscious mind. I don't share the topics with her beforehand. So uh, we can get started whenever you're ready. Let's bring in whoever is relevant to start. We are the Council of Nine. Okay. And um, I assume the Council of Light is always there in the background as well? For whatever purpose is necessary. Okay. And uh, and why the Council of Light at Nine today? What's the difference between the Council of Nine, other than obviously Ninth Dimension, I assume, versus... Well, in the Council of Light, their 13th dimension? Well, the 13th dimension is a developing area of the universe. It's not, we would say, fully accessible in terms of its Akashic wisdom, only because the universe is always expanding. And so what we notice right now is that that expansion is facilitating the, the creation of a 13th dimension, um, some of which... Uh, those on the council are participating within. However, we would say the council is more dominant a 12th dimensional resonance than 13th. Um, when we call in a council that is defined by a certain dimension, such as the council of nine, it is often an indication that we are drawing from the Akashic records, the equivalent of ninth dimensional access and wisdom uh, often because it is something relevant to the topics at hand and and often uh, easier understandable by those at a certain threshold of consciousness. And is the third, well, there, so there are 12 dimensions and then a 13th dimension is currently developing by the sounds of it. Now, is the 13th dimension a higher octave of the first 12? Uh, when you say a higher octave, uh, we assume you're speaking of a frequency or or range. And and yes, we could say that uh, it's not an easy thing for us to define in, in terms of a, a physical manifestation, because any time that there is expansion happening throughout the universe, that expansion is being drawn from all dimensions simultaneously, meaning the creative force, uh, co-creative force, in other words, of, of all of those in the universe are um, somehow merged together in order to facilitate a, a grander expression of that creation. 
And certainly that 13th dimension is evidence that the universe itself has prepared a, a new container, we'll say, uh, for those who are ready to experience a, a different, um, we'll say, vehicle of consciousness in terms of options that have been available throughout this universe previously. And is the 13th dimension currently the highest of all the dimensions that are available? In, in this universe, yes. Okay. So when we say universe, are we speaking of a vibratory or vibrational universe, or are we referring to the Milky Way or the, the galaxies that are in this range? Well, from a scientific viewpoint, certainly there are certain things that could be included in the definition of a universe the Milky Way, for example. But any time that, that we are defining a specific area of the universe, uh, we want you to keep in mind that it's, it's very difficult to put it into a box. In other words, yes, um, vibrationally speaking, what we're looking at is some semblance of commonality in terms of, of frequency, uh, creative energy, form of manifestation, uh, how the beings in that dimension are choosing to to resonate, for example, but also um, how they are able to put what was before uh, into some construct of something new. And and you here on planet Earth are doing this all of the time. So so you you are not creating from nothingness. We we've spoken of this in many past transmissions. The foundation of all creation is what came before it. And in a 13th dimensional energy or in a universe, for example, what we're truly defining is, is the confines of a creative symmetry. Uh, in other words, an expression of energy that is of likeness to itself, but has deviated from its original form, still containing some of the origins of what it is created from. <laughs> so so anytime that we are looking at a universe, we're actually looking at the microcosm of a race or or or, or let's say the macrocosm of a race or or a planet, for example. Um, if you look at humanity, you are all unique in your expression. Yet you have all um, come from the same origins and have taken that creative spark, in other words, and made it your own. You, you've added to it. You've deviated from it in some logical way. Yet if we were to look at all of you, uh, we would see very similar characteristics in terms of your physical DNA, for example, uh, and, and the history that you are working from. The, the spiral of time comes into this consideration, uh, which is another uh, topic that we are often addressing uh, the spiral of time operates within each universe distinctly differently, meaning it's, it's containing the energy that is uh, prominent and necessary to the beings that are working with it. Think of the, we don't even want to call it universe, we'll call it, think of God, think of uh, all that is as being so massive that a logical organizational system had to come into being. And that's ultimately what the definition of a universe is. It's it's God's way of organizing all of creation that is taking place in different frames of time or or dimensional realities uh, within itself. 
If uh, 13 is the, the highest dimension currently available in this universe, then um, I, help me understand. I've heard a lot of other channels and people in the spiritual space referencing higher dimensions beyond 13. What What is it that they're uh, connecting to then? It's hard for us to put one explanation to what others are perceiving. But, but think of dimension uh, as being a container that is drawing onto itself other expressions throughout the uh, the universe that causes it to expand. With this definition in mind, we might say that if someone is tapping into what they perceive a 26th dimensional reality, it's coming from outside of this universe, meaning something or someone in the 12th dimension is is needing to tap into the multiverse and in order to move into or or create even a 13th dimensional container is drawing from that multiverse or another universe other than the one it resides within. It isn't easy necessarily, we think, for those on planet Earth to actually fully tap into a a multiverse um, vibration because it does require a, a certain type of energetic structure that is able to expand beyond itself and retrieve beyond its own expression. Uh, so, so sometimes we notice that um, those that are tapping into this energy are doing so with the support and the assistance of 12th to 13th dimensional beings, um, assistance, we might call them that aren't necessarily um, apt to relate to a dimension in this universe beyond the 13th, but nonetheless is drawing from the Akashic records of another universe necessary to support this one. I see. So, so it is possible in theory to have dimensions beyond 13, just not in our universal experience at the moment. Well, it is possible in this one. It has just not occurred yet. I see. Yes. Okay, now I'd like to, you, you mentioned the Council of Nine as well, and um, I'm curious if this can even be defined. When we're referring to angels and archangels, are they, are they in a particular dimension? Are they 13th dimension, 12th dimension, 9th? Is there a particular place or are they all over the place? It truly depends upon the being that is named as such. And, and we'll take angels, for example, because... Uh, often human beings are putting angels in the same category. Um, they are somewhat those who have passed on from their their own family lineage, for example, or who have come to usher them through their own soul's divine plan. Angels, we believe, are often those who exist in a dimension above and beyond the one that the race they are supporting has entered meaning angels can exist in multiple dimensions, but for the most part are focused upon the same experiences that those they come to serve are also uh, involved in. This can lower the dimension of their highest possibility, and that's actually perfect for their assignment and scenario because in order for them to be tangibly accessible, Uh, to those they serve, or sometimes to even come to a planet like Earth and exist in a physical form where they walk as an angelic being. Uh, They are 
lowering a part of their vibration or, or, or accessing some level of density in order to do that. Archangels are a bit different and, and, and similar in terms of their assignment, but are more multidimensional in, in, a, in a simultaneous way or a coherent way. Um, for example, if you are tuning into an archangel like Michael, uh, Michael can be in many places at once, uh, speaking to many beings at once, uh, healing many beings at once, because Michael is not a singular entity. Michael is accessing all aspects of himself throughout space and time simultaneously, which means he may be moving through multiple dimensions at, at, at times when it's necessary uh, to fragment himself into many different scenarios. So we might say the difference is an, an, an angelic being can be somewhat more linear <laughs> in terms of the dimension they're choosing in order to support the souls that they are assigned to, uh, where archangels are assisting more on a collective level and moving through uh, a multidimensional expression in order to accomplish this. So someone like Metatron, for example, would be in multiple dimensions simultaneously. We couldn't really say that he's 12th dimensional or 13th in particular. Uh, we could say this and, and in order to actually um, fully express as an archangel into many dimensions. You would have ascended through the highest dimension possible in the universe in which you are stationed. So so um, uh, let's define humans and how this works with humans first and then we'll talk about archangels because there is a bit of a difference and and it's a complicated topic we think to take on in such a short period of time but imagine that right now uh humans on planet earth are moving into a fifth dimensional reality and fifth dimension is actually a gateway to accessing multi-dimensional energies it does not mean it's a guarantee that you're able to express yourself the same way as an archangel does. But in a linear, physical, and material plane, multi-dimension expresses as more options. So instead of you becoming the one that is scattering itself everywhere, what you begin to realize is that the material reality is scattering more of itself in availability to you. So so multi-dimension is somewhat defined differently and and manifest differently uh, depending upon the planet that you've chosen, the form that you've chosen, and the experience you're having. But an archangel has typically reached a point in its evolutionary passage as a soul where it has moved through all 12 dimensions in succession because in order to truly fragment itself in this way, it must have somehow become a part of every dimension in a, in a logical uh, form. And that isn't always physical necessarily, uh, but certainly that form is utilized in order to serve those that need it. So, so archangels are having more of a, uh, we'll say, conscious and sentient um experience and understanding of multidimensionality than what you would on planet earth at this point in your evolution 
So is it fair to say then that somebody like Metatron would be in, uh, if we were to speak with the Council of Nine, that he would be a member of that, but he would also be a member of the Council of Light and the Twelfth Dimension as well? It is true that this is correct at the same time. Know that anytime a council is forming, it is not one thing. So, so through the linear construct of mind, you are attempting to rectify what a council is and how it remains. And, and certainly in ancient civilizations like Atlantis, for example, physical councils were present and stagnant and consistent and led entire civilizations. But when councils form in order to provide guidance, such as in a channel transmission like the one you are receiving, there's fluidity. Because if we are accessing the ninth dimension, what we're going to do is we're going to call in every being and every Akashic um, avenue possible in order to provide information that is suitable to the one requesting. And we know that you're requesting for a great many others. So certainly Metatron uh, in that, um, we'll say, uh, multidimensional expression of him must exist in that collective because he has been there uh, for such a long period of time. But it doesn't always mean that the the essence, the soul essence, in other words, of Metatron uh, is taking the forefront. So so in a collective, there is intentional agreement and that agreement is a coherent and heart-based resonance. So it is somewhat a sharing environment where everyone is contributing something to the whole, and the whole is expressed through oneness. I'd like to speak with Metatron then as well, uh, in addition to the other council that's available today. Okay, am I speaking with Metatron then? Okay. In, uh, in the book of Enoch, um, the the book or the various books of Enoch reference that Enoch ascended to heaven or to, was taken away by God and that um, at that moment became Metatron. Is this true? This is a multidimensional interpretation of an astral projected experience in which there was an initiation that had taken place. So, so the becoming of any one thing in, in, in a linear sense is, is not really the goal of, of God expressing itself through any soul. You are here to become a, a blended and combined manifestation of, of all that you have ever been before. But, but sometimes there are very specific lineages that are meant to be activated to bring them closer to earth. So, in the story that you are telling, uh, this, in fact, was the case. Um, Enoch, as a soul in the lineage of, of Metatron and many others, uh, decided to extend itself beyond the earth and the physical manifestation that he had chosen to become reintegrated, in other words, or reborn in a spiritual sense to carry out the um, assignment, we might say, or the teachings of an archangel like Metatron. So so if I'm understanding correctly, Metatron or an aspect of the consciousness of what is Metatron experienced a human physical life as Enoch, or at least some sort of a life on Earth. Is that correct? We could say that this is true. 
And is is the Book of Enoch or the books of Enoch, are they relatively accurate to that life experience or was some of it um, made up? Well, when you say accurate, you're interpreting a, a symbolic expression of a soul's life and process of soul ascension that has not necessarily been told in a way that is meant to be understood through the mind. And this is often the problem that we see happening with the translation of of ancient codes and tablets and documents like this. Um, These stories are not truly meant to be taken literally. They contain within them uh, key code activations and, and vibrational translations of the processes that are still available to you today. So, so there is some um, involvement of um, fantasy, we might say, or lore that has taken these stories a bit out of context. Uh, at the same time, we actually see them as being accurate uh, in terms of what they were uh, designed to do. Okay, so the storyline maybe mythology, not necessarily accurate. So maybe you can help me to differentiate between when we're dealing with mythology and when we're dealing with some deeper meaning that may be multidimensional in nature. Uh, It said that Enoch was the uh, grandfather of Noah as well. Is that true? This is true. Okay. And, And so that would mean if we're placing it in a linear timeline based on what we know about biblical stories and such that that Enoch must have lived um, just around the time of the flood or the cataclysm that occurred at the end of Atlantis. This is correct. Okay. So did Enoch live on Earth uh, in the previous dimension when Atlantis was existing, or was he after that in our current linear timeline? Well, it is somewhat both, because we have to rectify that the timeline prior to the flood existed as a different dimension than the one after. And many of the souls who came from Atlantis actually went through a very um, intense transition in, in order to find themselves in a form in a different location geographically and, and physically. Uh, so we can place him in Atlantis and even predating Atlantis going into Sirius because that entire lineage is a very important one that we have noted in past transmissions. So Enoch was Syrian then? Yes. Did he have a humanoid form or was he more of a different kind of form? We, um, it's difficult for us to explain humanoid in terms of that timeline because everyone may have seemed to have a more human presentation while at the same time taking on varying degrees of their human hybrid lineage. Um, so if we go back to Atlantis, for example, we may be looking at beings who seem less human, but nonetheless took on many of the characteristics of of what you may know today as human. It was just their energy fields were operating quite differently. Um, And this is why you see them depicted as such energetic beings of light. For example, uh, they were working uh, more in concert with not only uh, their light, uh, their light bodies, but the uh, auric field of Earth and had 
knowledge as to how to work with uh, what we refer to as a divine technology that is supporting a human soul's ability to integrate its cosmic nature. So, so certainly we see more of a human-like presentation in Enoch, while at the same time, a more uh, metaphysical and cosmic ability to shapeshift and to time travel and to, as an oracle, be able to retrieve certain messages and and information from the universe at large. Could we define something similar when it comes to Metatron or when you reach the stage of an archangel, you are sort of beyond a lineage? Was he, for example, Syrian or... Is, or at this stage, would we not even be able to give that any sort of a definition? It, it's difficult to place a lineage on an archangel other than to say there would have been a timeline of deep study. So when we're looking at archangels and, and lineages and initiations, what we're often observing is uh, a group of souls that decided to study together in, in a universal school of some fashion, whether that be existent on the planet, in the inner earth, or off planet, and focused on one very specific area of knowledge. So uh, a soul, an archangel like Metatron, would have taken many forms throughout the universe as a part of that study and teaching. But we also see Metatron as one of the original sparks of creation. So so even though um, we might say that your lineage as a human being also contains that original spark of creation, uh, there are some so closely connected to the origins of this universe that they hold a great deal of light information and knowledge, even power to heal. So we place Metatron in that area or, or range, we'll say, um, of, of elder beings in this universe manifesting straight from God and understanding itself as a non-physical being wanting to create many experiences throughout the universe in order to teach what it is to create something like the self or to know the self as a creator. Now, there are some questions I have about the story of Enoch, which may or may not be actual physical occurrences, but uh, for example, Enoch is said to have been visited by um, the fallen angels, for example, which were uh, described in detail in, in the books. And uh, that these fallen angels came to Earth. Of course, a lot of the stories we've already discussed in previous conversations, but essentially they impregnated the, the human women of the Earth or the women of the Earth at the time and produced the Nephilim. And uh, so is that is that true? Was that an experience that Enoch actually had or and, was it? Just a- and many others in this time. So, so you must remember that this experience was not exclusive to Enoch. It was simply a period in time when those that were present on the earth would have been involved in such an experience. OK. Now, one thing that I'm having a little trouble understanding is the 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 God that's referred to in the book of Enoch or the books of Enoch appears to be a very angry, vengeful type of God, a God who, uh, for example, the God who wanted to punish people for their sins or uh, 
apparently the god who created the flood and orchestrated the flood in order to wipe out the Nephilim and in the process also a lot of humans as well. And uh, and so the story of Noah also folds into that. In previous conversations, we talked about how the one true God is the God that's within uh, and not an actual separate entity outside of us. But the the books of um, uh, Enoch seem to be describing a God that's outside of us. That's a judgmental God. So can you give shed some light on that? In, in our interpretation to, to give everyone who is listening um, an explanation of, of what this truly refers to uh, the simplest term would be ego. Uh, there is an, an aspect of self that is always viewing another uh, the environment that is influencing us is causing us to have an opinion of it. And, and in so doing, we are the ones who are self-destructing or creating an environment that is capable of self-destruction. So we think the interpretation of this passage or, or part of the uh, translation has more to do with the inner than you believe it actually does. Uh, this vengeful God could have never come about unless there was something to be vengeful of. And that could only exist beyond ourselves. Yet there was a period prior to the flood in which the um, infiltration of peaceful civilizations like Atlantis uh, brought teachings of judgment and comparison and, and using technologies in order to create more hierarchical types of structures where a slight few had access to energy and others did not. And I think this is a continuation, perhaps, of this experience and even a warning, perhaps, of, of how the ego can be this destructive on a physical planet. Okay, so the book's a little hard to understand that in that context then, because it's it seems like a good deal of the book is about Enoch's interactions with the fallen angels and this God that he is speaking with, and um, and in the end, Enoch apparently, according to the book, he was taken away by this God and transformed into Metatron. So, how does that? Can you explain what that means? Well, there is no vengeful God, but in the translation of the book of Enoch, if you are interpreting the ego self as that God, what you are actually observing is the self-destruction of a soul. But in the um, entry of Metatron, it is the possibility to imbue the self with a higher identity. Um, in other words, we would have to explain how you're structured and, and how you've been taken away from that divine structure, because ultimately you believe you are here with an identity and you've been taught uh, that God is prime creator and able to supply everything that you need. And so you are praying to that God in order to receive things. But ultimately, this was not the original blueprint or 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 prophecy of the cedars who came to create a new race. You have within you uh, the technology, uh, the possibility of accessing all parts of you simultaneously throughout the universe, no less powerfully than an archangel. 
But unfortunately, what happens is that you become suppressed into the ego. And as you do, you begin to filter that ego through the construct of separation. You are viewing the world through a limited perspective. And this limited perspective is creating a belief of that limitation in a very profound way. So we might say the, the fallen angels, the one who came, the ones who came to destroy the earth in this story, um, are, are no less prominent than the ones you believe are destroying the earth today. But in your judgment of it, in, in your perspective that you are powerless in this situation, you are not allowing the parts of you that understand how to rise above it to actually be fused. So each of you has the opportunity when you embrace the ego internally and turn it in the direction of the, the highest self to initiate with a part of you beyond the veil that is able to come in and teach and lead and support the earth in becoming the, the highest manifestation of consciousness. So the story is symbolic in nature and was always meant to be. It is just that it has been literally interpreted in order to assume tragedy and and that a God would be vengeful. When in fact, what the story of Enoch is proving to us is that how we see the world has everything to do with how the world becomes accessible through our own soul. Okay, so let me just sort of put string some ideas together and let me know if it makes any sense. So what you're saying is that the vengeful God in the story is the ego and that the transformation of Enoch into Metatron is the transcendence of the ego. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. But help me rectify the story of Noah. Now, in previous conversations, we've talked about how um, in Atlantis there was a portal that was opened and through this portal came various Anunnaki beings who ultimately triggered the uh, the destruction or the cataclysm that destroyed Atlantis and caused a dimensional shift about 13,000 years ago, which um, started the timeline we're living in now. Now, so if all of that is true, how does the story of no- now the story of Noah there appears to be a God who told Noah to to um, do certain things to um, survive the flood. And meanwhile, that God wiped out the rest of the human race or rest of life on Earth for the most part. And um, and we can see some evidence of this, of course. There are lots of sites around the world um, where we can see underground inhabitations and so on where people seem to have um, lived for quite a number of years, probably during an apocalyptic period. So there's some evidence of that as well. So, so if, um, what exactly happened to Noah's story then? If, because he's also, he seems to be dealing with a vengeful God who did this and decided to save him as he was the grandson of Enoch. Well, you must first remember that these biblical translations have somewhat been hijacked and, and they have been turned on you in order to lower your frequency. Uh, when we're looking at the story of Noah and, and a message from God, uh, first consider that God would never destroy anything that has ever been created, even if that creation in and of itself could destroy another. 
because it is the only opportunity for souls that exist in the present moment to uh, actually manifest the um, the opposite of it. Everything that we are creating has a foundation within the Akashic records, and, and that is for great purpose because this is an evolutionary universe. And in order to evolve, there must be something to evolve from. So for a vengeful God to attempt to do something to destroy the planet would put into motion a series of events, taking it out of the natural rhythm of everything that had ever happened before. But if we do consider that there was a cataclysm in Atlantis, we must also know that that cataclysm or the vibration of it is apt to come back around, especially if those on the planet past that period of time are somehow repeating the same patterns. And, and ultimately, this is what we see have having had taken place. Uh, again, no different to where humanity stands today. Uh, within the spiral of time, you have come to a crescendo point where so much of your history, uh, that which you have would prefer to have not had take place, is apt to be placed in your fingertips for you to become the alchemizers of it. So we might think of Noah as having been placed in the position to share a message, not about impending disaster, but how to actually overcome it. Now, the story of the ark and the animals that is so linearly translated is such an intergalactic timeline that many would not believe. But ultimately, keep in mind that at this period of time, the intergalactic races from beyond the Earth were in regular contact with those on the planet. Uh, ships were not an unusual sight. Um, there were many occasions for intergalactic souls to come and walk hand in hand with those that existed on the physical planet. And these were both malevolent and benevolent beings. But teaching of the universe's Akashic records and understanding how to manifest them in, in perfect precision to what a collective desired. Uh, there were teachers, light teachers and, and others who were guiding those like Noah. They were supporting their understanding of how to create technologies, for example. And some of them were asked to co-create and work together in order to maintain certain genetic prototypes and ensure that they could continue on and thrive in case uh, the worst had happened. So the ark itself is more a technology than a ship. Uh, the beings that were on it in, in masculine and feminine balance are a representation of the capture of the DNA of those races that needed to be um, uh, upheld and somehow um, restored and brought back in perfect symmetry. And now certainly there were some that went on ships at this time and were taken off planet and waited to um, ensure a more safe environment to return while others were directed beneath the earth. Noah was not the only pivotal leader or mentor in terms of this period of time. Uh, there were also many others, but, but the story itself captures the essence of co-creation between 
many cosmic beings throughout the globe and humans that existed on Earth at the time. So who was the, the voice of the God in the story of Noah? Was that another ego representation? Or in previous conversations, we discussed how the Anunnaki triggered or in some way caused the, the cataclysm to occur when they came through the portal in Atlantis. So is it maybe an Anunnaki voice that we're hearing in the Noah story or somebody else? Well, we can't necessarily say it is an Anunnaki voice exclusively, but, but certainly at this time, many were being led astray by those with malevolent intent uh, very similar to and of Anunnaki descent. Uh, yet the translation of Noah's story coming through a more biblical vehicle is something, again, that was very symbolic that has been taken out of context. The very idea of God being angry or vengeful is a, um, we'll say, suppressive mechanism uh, purposely placed in the story in order to keep humans in a certain lowered vibration. Because remember, the um, satanic rituals that we have described of, of, of the past that still carry out today, um, Satan is an assembly of many dark entities and beings uh, focused on the same intention, even coming to Earth, perhaps, for a specific co-creative endeavor. And we might say the gods of the time were looked at in this way, some of them being more malevolent and others being more benevolent. Well, if we were to consider the story of Noah took place pretty close to the story of Enoch, since it was his grandfather, then, uh, and that was in the pre-flood time anyway, we would have still had the fallen angels, I would imagine, uh, interacting somehow. And so would we say at least some of what we refer to as Satan or Satanism is the fallen angels that were there, right? They were part of that group. Yes, this is correct. And, and we also want to add that uh, where Atlantis was more of a technologically advanced society, um, heart-based certainly, and focused on spiritual evolution, we look at the period of Enoch and Noah not as being such focused on um, technological advancement, even though uh, ship technology, for example, was very rampant and present at this time, uh, more so focused upon the evolution of, of a soul, uh, the understanding of who a soul was in order to relate to God as a being or an entity, making that direct connection from an auricular standpoint. Um, these prayers that are spoken today, um, as we have mentioned, they diminish a soul when uh, power is being placed within the hands of another. So if the focus was to somehow um, elevate the power of a soul in connection to God, uh, what we're seeing the dichotomy of here is the good and evil, those that were here on the planet to take that story away or somehow skew it or create distortions in the way of a relationship to self, while others were actually supporting the Ascension timeline. Okay, I'm going to string a few ideas together. Let me know if I'm on the right track. So from previous conversations, as I just mentioned a moment ago, we know that um, 
due to some portal technology in Atlantis, the Anunnaki came through. And then we move over to Enoch, who was maybe shortly after that time period or right around the time of this cataclysm. And uh, at the same time as that, as Enoch's story, the fallen angels came to Earth. So what I'm wondering is, in the Atlanteans timeline story of the Anunnaki coming through the portal, causing all this destruction, it seems like the Enoch story overlaps a little bit with that, with the fallen angels coming to Earth and causing all this destruction. So were the Anunnaki the same as the fallen angels or in just two different storylines or, um, uh, or, or are they just the fallen angels happened to come through because the portal had already been opened in the time of Atlantis? Well, well, certainly we can say that the fallen angels include the Anunnaki, even the same bloodline and lineage that you would have found entering Atlantis to the portal that we have spoken of. But yes, once a portal is open anywhere in the universe, uh, it tends to remain somewhat active, even if for a period of time it closes, meaning there is passage by certain beings who have a direct energetic connection to it. And this is ultimately what happened. So the fallen angels in the time of Enoch, uh, while they were certainly more dominant in their um, uh, Anunnaki presentation, uh, included many others as well. Uh, we cannot exclude, for example, uh, greys uh, or reptilians because dismantled Anunnaki portals um, ultimately that, that still exist today uh, carry within them a, a certain technology that matches certain periods of time. So so remember the spiral of time we talked about. There's There's a repeat going on here of various events. And the only way that that can happen is when frequencies align. So if we have the right recipe vibrationally happening within any container within the universe, whether it be a timeline of, of Earth or a, a timeline elsewhere, um, we are going to see the timing and the accessibility of portals change right along with it. Because ultimately, many on planet Earth did not realize that this was possible. Um, no one was supporting those that were there currently in the period of Noah and Enoch to understand the technology at that intrinsic um, um, a perspective, in other words. So that's why we're comparing uh, and contrasting the two, saying that Atlantis was more of a highly technological and advanced civilization, uh, where in the period of Enoch and Noah, um, it was more of a grounded, um, perhaps, evolutionary process as opposed to focused on technology and this is why we see these these similar streams of energy and uh, entry of malevolent beings okay so just to make sure i understand so portal was open in atlantis some anunnaki came through the portal remained open and the fallen angels came through of which there were some anunnaki and reptilian and phrase and so on is that correct that's correct okay uh, and that portal still remains open today. It does, but it's slightly different in its orientation. So we've noticed the fluctuation in Earth portals taking place for a very long time. Um, right now, what we can say is that 
there is a great deal of instability uh, in the earth portals. There are times when human consciousness has raised to such a threshold where the technologies and the keys within those portals automatically close, meaning there isn't a matching vibration enough for Anunnaki, for example, or, or others to actually enter. You must also consider there have been a great many changes in your grid system. And portals are anchored to specific locations within a planet's grids. And because of that change, um, there are also periods of time where these portals become very unstable. And we do see the influx of the entry of many dark entities and beings. But um, because there are so many diligently working, uh, both on these portals as well as these grid points and locations, uh, that is also rapidly changing. It's, it's somewhat like uh, firemen putting out a fire. Uh, when there's a forest fire that is very massive in scope, uh, we're not sure exactly where to focus. But, but if we focus on one area for a long enough period of time, uh, we will begin to put out the fire. And, and that's what's happening on a, on a grander scale. Uh, there are a lot of forest fires going on in, in earthly portals and Anunnaki portals and the like. Um, grid workers are putting out the flame and sometimes the flame is catching from other portals and other um, experiences, frequency matches, in other words. Uh, and this will continue to go on, we think, for, for quite a while before things tend to level out. Now, is the portal that was opened by the CERN Large Hadron Collider, which we discussed last time, is that a different type of portal? It is. And, and, and we would have a difficult time describing this in a technological fashion because it doesn't work exactly like some of the portals that have been here since ancient times. Um, it's more a molecular type of consciousness and structure, believe it or not, that's focused in um, the energetic match of multiple souls to those throughout the universe. Uh, this portal is um, it, it is somewhat malevolently focused and intended, yet at the same time, we see its um, primary um, uh, provision uh, being research. So, so from a genetic standpoint, there's a lot of activity and observation going on through this portal. And, and that isn't just the entry of beings necessarily. Um, it's the skewing of your genetic template because any time that we have an electromagnetic interface with um, a molecular being or a being that is existing uh, within its own light, um, the earth itself can become an entire magnet to that energy, meaning we accelerate whatever the portal is attempting to do. So, so certainly it's a, it's a bigger discussion than this, but, but yes, um, we do have great concerns about what you are asking us uh, about here. <laughs> uh, and we have um, made some diligent observations of its potential. Okay, getting back to the story of Noah and Enoch. And now, as we established already, Enoch and Noah did have a physical incarnation. Noah was the grandson of Enoch. And Noah, through the technology you described earlier, uh, which was not literal to the story of the ark, uh, it, as it is in the Bible, um, and the God that is represented in that story of Noah, 
who advised him to do these things to, to save himself and the genetic code of other living beings. Uh, are we saying that that God wasn't an actual being or could it have been one of the fallen angels or Anunnaki or a, a conglomeration of them? Well, let's make it quite clear. We don't see Noah as being ill-advised. So the God he is referring to might even be considered um, the, the, the God Ra, for example, um, one that is speaking on behalf of many throughout the universe and teaching and supporting uh, a soul on earth to lead a great many others. So when we are talking about God in the Bible, there is sometimes um, a, a slight distinction that has to be made depending upon the story and the biblical figure or prophet, because all of these deviations that have taken place from the truth of the symbology are causing humans to believe that the interaction was solely with God itself, when, when sometimes, in fact, other gods were present, uh, supporting the uh, foundation of society and the collective of humans that were there at that period. So you're, are you saying that Ra was the God that he was talking to and that he was not ill-advised, meaning that the, the dark portion of the story where it made him appear to be a vengeful God was probably made up? What, what we want to take out of the story that is so prominent is fear, even though it does seem a very fearful event. Because while Noah was set out to carry out many tasks, and to um, engage others in the prophecy of what may occur, he was doing so from a state of crystalline presence, meaning in speaking to a God like Ra and many others, he was informed about the workings of the universe and taught how to anticipate the manifestation potentials that a collective could have been creating. So, So there are many subtle nuances here that we don't believe are completely captured in the biblical stories that are being told today, uh, nor uh, the, the, the very limited translations of them. Uh, certainly Noah as a guide and an intergalactic being himself, more presenting in a human form, had um, incredible capabilities from an, an energetic and and sensory standpoint. So to have a prophet or a biblical figure speaking to God or a God is an indication that they may have been revered by a certain number of human souls because of their abilities and, and purpose uh, in that period. And that is something that still continues on today. Um, many of you are uh, oracles and, and prophets yourselves interacting with representatives of God in different forms that are supporting the movement into a higher dimension. In the story of Enoch, the uh, Enoch talks about how the Nephilim were created and these fallen angels taught the Nephilim about various metaphysical principles and magical practices and things like that. But in previous conversations, we talked about how a lot of these teachings came from Atlantis prior to the flood. 
And when the dimensional shift occurred, a lot of those fragmented into secret societies and so on. Um, and, and supposedly also the fallen angels were referred to as the watchers and, and these individuals taught the Nephilim um, various practices, which ultimately the Nephilim ended up um, being um, not only eating other humans, but themselves, according to the story anyway. So is the practice that still exists today of using these very lower vibrational Kabbalistic teachings, such as uh, magical teachings and so on, did that originate from the fallen angels teaching this, or is it just that the teachings got corrupted because of the dimensional shift that happened at the at the Great Flood? Well, it's actually a bit of both, because when we're looking at the fallen angels, we, we must keep in mind that their origins exist beyond this earth. So to have brought certain practices like this to the earth and, and even to have um, defined them in, in such a malevolent fashion is showing us uh, a certain history, um, a, a lineage that has followed them throughout time. Uh, but also keep in mind the, the more suppressive intention of these beings was based in power. And that power was not physical alone. It was an energetic type of power that where they were attempting to assimilate from a great many human beings on earth. Now, from a symbolic standpoint, um, when we are uh, using the, the blood of another human or the body of another human for our sustenance, uh, there is no brotherhood. There is no unity. It is the greatest act of division that we could possibly inflict upon our own race. So, so this goes without saying that these teachings, or, or as you have put them, Kabbalistic practices, uh, continue on today because they are in reference of a Satanistic type of presence that still lives on and is attempting to bring humans into a chronic and constant state of division and, and separation. This ultimately weakens you. But it is not only the, the physical part of it that is so important. Um, the energy that exists within the blood, within the bones, within the cells, uh, within the body, its, it's prevalence goes well beyond Earth. So you are made of light, you are made of information. And any god or collective that is attempting to use that information for itself only uh, is slighting the rest of the collective. It's a hierarchical type of determination that is being made here that is carrying out a, a bloodline's certain dominance, in other words. So, so we could see this um, showing up in many different ways and in ritualistic practices as well as physical ones that still continue on today. Okay, so depending, uh, I'd like to delve into that a, a bit more. So you're talking about human blood having a certain kind of life force or multidimensional potential. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What is significant about human blood? Well, if we go back to the beginning of time, to the origins of humanity, the very first 
human beings that were ever manifested were not birthed from physical contact, contact or sexual activity. Uh, there were, there were ceremonies that were carried out, uh, tantric and otherwise, uh, connecting the breath of a great many souls in the highest intention of love. And through this, many immaculate conceptions took place. So, so the very first hybrid humans that stepped onto this earth as physical beings did so through the breath of a great many others. And this is your lineage. So, so everything that has come into form that now exists in a material fashion is carrying the light of consciousness. It's carrying the intention of those that combine their breath in the highest love and reverence for the expansion of the universe. So if you take that and you extrapolate it into each unique being, what we see is God expressing in a unique form, carrying all of that energy, information, and history from the very beginning of time. But you have been taught that this is a physical elixir only, the blood or the bone or, or the heart. Uh, these are simply organs and, and part of your internal structure that keep you alive. When in fact, if the light of consciousness exists in these things and there is life force energy that is moving them throughout the body. We know we are looking at one of the most precious and valuable resources in a human soul. And that's ultimately why many of these beings that have lost their way in their own star systems, whether it be genetically or through similar cataclysms to what you have faced on Earth, uh, would come and attempt to gain something from the physical body or from the physical soul. It's, it's a transference of energy and power that you may not understand or, or have diminished, but that they take great pride and value in. Even your DNA, for example, the, the codes within your DNA are multi-galactic. The Akashic records of all 12 and now to 13 dimensions exists within each DNA strand. You are not just programmed to the lineage of your family. You are programmed to your cosmic lineage and do all things that have ever been created on any planet, star system, or in any race. And to have that energy and information available at the prick of a finger or within a drop of saliva or blood tells you the importance um, or, or pricelessness, we'll say, um, of its possession. So, so this is an act of possession, in other words, uh, where many of you would interpret that word to only mean possession of energy. Um, certainly your energy precludes you. It, it exists in all parts of your physical body. Okay, I, I found that there's a prevalence of the idea of the color red, for example, throughout our history. Uh, and, for example, the Phoenicians, the word has red in its meaning. Or if we look at uh, the Rosicrucians, which is a rosy cross, or the Rothschilds, which is red shield, and we have the American Red Cross today. So there seems to be this prevalence of a red cross or the red theme uh, and of course the red cross deals with blood donations so uh so are you saying that 
by the consumption of human blood, that which is probably still practiced by a lot of secret societies and world leaders today, that they are gaining some sort of control or life force energy, which allows them to do the things they do. Yes, we we agree with that, especially the determination you are making about the importance of the word red. Uh, but the the bloodletting or consumption, it it truly is a a symbolic ritual that goes beyond the energy that is so potent within you, because the blood is showing us how humanity has become perhaps its own race other than many that it, it had seeded it. Um, for example, those that came at the very beginning of time from multiple races, uh, none of them have the same color blood that you do. Uh, many of them are operating more um, in their life and light force and because of this, uh, combining their energy as one and operating with different elixirs that manifest in a range and variety of colors. But the red blood is a human characteristic and trait that came about through the hybridization of your race. And so to, to use that as a tool of manipulation is to take away the very thing that makes you powerful and unique. And when we think of the um, families, for example, that you have brought to our attention, we are looking at lineages of races that date back to these Anunnaki and reptilian cosmic beings. And so what they're attempting to do in ingesting human blood is sometimes taking on more human characteristics that allow them to maintain an earthly presentation while also accessing energy from beyond the earth. Also, it is a mechanism of control because the more they understand about the way you resonate and the way that you think, the more they are able to put into place mechanisms that continue to suppress you. Many today are uh, extremely concerned about the presence of artificial intelligence, uh, picking up on the, the wave or the framework of the collective human mind and being able to interpret and control it. This is done through your own DNA. So, so those who are very adept at understanding these rituals and ceremonies know that there's a telepathic presence and quality to them. Um, as they ingest that blood, they're able to think more like a human soul would think and understand how to manipulate that thinking, in other words, to become something other than what it should be. In previous conversations, we've talked about the iconography of national flags. So for example, the use of Garuda in the U.S. flag or the U.S. seal or the use of um, Naga or um, the snake uh, type of being or the, um, uh, the lion being to indicate more Syrian lineage which we've seen in the uh, Indian seals as well as Tibet, for example. Um, but for Switzerland has a red cross. Now, what's the significance there? Is there any connection to this, what we're discussing right now about the blood? But from ancient times, if we go back to the origins of this cross, we are looking at a secret society, one that practiced very much the same rituals that we are speaking of today. 
And and so could we make um, a determination then that that Switzerland's founding was based or organized by a group of people who are part of the secret society? Yes, certainly that geographic region is one that we see very prominently um, populated by these beings. So what's the significance of the American Red Cross collecting blood? Is it purely for altruistic purposes to help people or is there is there some connection to these secret societies that may be using it for that purpose? There are dualistic purposes here, as with many things on planet Earth. It is attempted to be perceived that this is a helpful society. And in many respects, it is providing something of need to the um, hospitals and healing centers and humans that need it. But the draw of blood from a human body in and of itself is very ritualistic in nature. So even though some of the good is shown to humans, what much of the process does is influence many of these ceremonies that we have spoken of. And there are um, collection models, we'll call them, uh, somewhat like the technologies and the portals and the research that we have been talking about. Even we could say very similar in um, scope and purpose to CERN, where we are trying to detect certain molecular structures in dominance and um, change them in, in variance and vibration. When blood is being drawn and it is being given to another, we assume it's purity. We assume that it has not been tampered with. But there are some, not all, um, agencies that are involved in very malevolent intent and focus that are using this blood to both understand better the makeup of the human vibrational and physical structure in order to seed this information to philanthropists and um, we'll say groups of humans who are focused to the detriment of society and also change the blood slightly uh, in genetic orientation prior to it being used in medical procedures. So, so definitely there is some degree of malevolent intent here uh, behind the guise of a small amount of good that is being done. So in general, would it be fair to say that the giving of your blood or the drawing of your blood is harmful, and not just energetically, but otherwise? Well, we, we agree that on a physical basis, what you are doing when you are drawing blood is you are bloodletting, which is an of itself, uh, which is an of itself, uh, not a healing technique, even though it has been seen this way uh, in many ancient civilizations. What you release from the body that is not meant to be shared is always going to weaken the body's ability to hold its vibration. So, so if our blood contains life force and if that life force is elemental in accessing our cosmic origins or somehow accessing information from beyond the veil, uh, we want to retain all of it that we possibly can in order to keep not only our bodies strong, but, but more so our consciousness aligned. 
even at times we notice there is an intent of physical harm in, in drawing blood for what seems to be a good purpose. Because what many have not been told is that the body's ability to heal that wound, even though it takes place almost automatically, takes a great deal of life force, energy, and focus. So any weak link in the body that has already been determined ill or not, um, that needs the immune system's attention or needs somehow to be uh, healed, uh, is put on the back burner. While the entire blood system of the body is assumed to need restoration, that's ultimately what's going on. Anytime we draw a small bit of blood, there is a process, uh, a chain of events that we are activating, and the body's restoration uh, protocol kicks in. And the more that we do this, the less we are going to have um, uh, the body's support in the long run. Um, it's, it's somewhat like the fable that many would be familiar with of crying wolf. Uh, there are only so many times that you can cry wolf before someone becomes smart enough to realize you are doing it. Well, the body is very intelligent. And so it is always trying to compensate for anything that has been lost. But if we keep pulling things out of it that should not be displaced, the body is going to go on high alert and start to self-protect. And we see this as being a chronic and constant problem on planet Earth today, not only for this reason, uh, but for many others. Okay, I'd like to go back to the story of Enoch. Uh, is Metatron still speaking available? Yes. So I'm going to read just a little sentence from the book of one of the books of Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him away. And, uh, and supposedly in the story at this point, uh, Enoch became Metatron and Metatron was put into the role as a universal scribe, essentially to keep track of, um, uh, everything that was all the choices that were made in this universe, in what was referred to as the Akashic field or the Akashic records. Is this any of this true? It is true. Uh, it is a question of how deliberately it is being interpreted. And, and it's important that I share um, perhaps a parallel experience that, that many would be having today. Uh, you are all record keepers of your own rights, but you are only attending to the records that are important to your soul's personal evolution and that of the planet. Those that you are in contract with, for example, or those that you have a purposeful connection with. Uh, as Metatron, I am a record keeper of how the Earth experience uh, interfaces with the universe, but also how the spiral of time comes back to ensure constant evolution of the human creative process. Now, I do this in many different directions. I'm a multidimensional being. When Enoch took the hand of God and was assumed to have disappeared, it is no less a profound soul transition than what many of you are making in this timeline, just happening in a completely different way. So some of you are activating, for example, Kundalini and having very intensified experiences where you may go for days, months, or even years uh, integrating that energy and becoming someone completely new. 
your lives tend to be stripped away very quickly because the material manifestation of all that you knew before can no longer be held in the new vibration that you have accepted. You have not physically left the earth so much as you have now attuned to your soul in a way different than you have ever been on the earth before. And this is what happened to Enoch. Even though there was a period of time when his death was um, imminent, uh, he still came back and remained a scribe and a record keeper and one that would continue to communicate with God, known as Metatron because he was initiated in that aspect of his soul and brought it deliberately to the earth to walk with him in a physical body. Um, this story, even though it tells that he was no longer, um, it, it's, it's somewhat missing the mark in terms of who Enoch truly was, because in order to be remembered as someone this significant in a biblical sense or, or in a, a timeline uh, passage so important, uh, a part of him would have always had to remain. And this is true with all of you as well. Uh, even though you may go through a very accelerated spiritual um, passage and you may assume that you have become someone completely new, embodied by a new soul aspect, even naming yourself something other than you have been before, a part of you always remains. And that thread of energy will continue on even after your death. So Enoch going through a transition that put him in the position of a record keeper or, or universal scribe uh, doesn't also account for the fact that his soul continued on in that lifetime and even beyond the veil as an advisor of those in his lineage. And he still uh, connects with many today on planet earth, those who are channels and, and healers and otherwise uh, here to assist the great shift in consciousness. Now you, Metatron, are referred to as a scribe for the universe. And in our previous conversations, um, we, I spoke with Thoth, and Thoth was also described as a scribe or a scribe for a scribe for the Egyptian civilization. What's the what does it mean when we hear this description of scribe? It is an etheric determination of how a soul is moving between multiple dimensions, observing the creative energies that exist there and anticipating how they will manifest. So a scribe is not necessarily capturing in real time uh, all the events that are happening in each moment. This is why when you are going back to read the, the writings, for example, or what has been left behind of these beings, it isn't necessarily um, a linear perspective, nor an, an easy one to understand. Uh, some of it is presented in symbolic terms because it's a more um, wide range view and approach of how future, past and present were all blending together into one. A scribe is appointed to this position in order to observe a certain set of criteria, things that are happening in the universe of great importance. For example, as Metatron, I am always interested in how the universe is accessing the past and able to share it in the present moment and how those who receive it are able to use it through the filter of consciousness in order to create something new. 
this has been my position of authority. I have also been very focused on what some may call technology, which I perceive as more an etheric type of translation of energy, uh, somewhat like a metaphysical modality that can be used in order to shift consciousness. Now, uh, others, for example, have taken on this determination of scribe uh, for other purposes, uh, whether it be to understand the self or, or self-knowing in relationship to God, or even sometimes um, for the understanding of how planets and stars interact and communicate. Uh, there are many, many different positions that we would say exist uh, throughout the galactic universe with this responsibility. Think of what I'm doing, however, as a scribe, not being a linear presentation of history, but in real time, a quantum application um, of my observation being sent into the records for others to access. So, so even though uh, a, a scribe who has been determined as such uh, may leave behind a record of something, it doesn't necessarily mean that that record uh, only depicts the moment in time in which they were present. Uh, most of us are offering a living translation of what has occurred before and how it needs to be understood in the present moment. That is what a living translation is. It's, it's a quantum expression of something tempered, the consciousness of the souls that are yet to receive it, and this is why we would consider ourselves multidimensional uh, guides or, or sometimes even archangels. Because we are able to work with all of these dimensions, we're able to share the application of what we know in a way that most benefits the souls that are yet to receive it. So you're described as a uh, scribe for the universe. And is, does that mean that you're a scribe for just this universe or multiverse? I am focused on this universe, although I have visited many others and am very intimately aware of the connections between this universe and what is known as the multiverse. So does every universe have a different scribe? Certainly they do. And, and there is a reason for this, because every universe is completely different in how it operates, how it creates, and what the beings within it must understand. And so in this universe, as described for this universe, you are overseeing the Akashic records for, for this universe only. Overseeing is not a term that I would necessarily use for the position I have been appointed. Uh, there is no overseer, one or, or many of the Akashic records for it is taken ownership by all. So, so the Akashic records are an, uh, a manifestation. We will call it a living manifestation of, of all that is being created in real time that everyone has access to. I am more an observer of patterns of these records, how they are being changed and how those changes may affect future generations or even past timelines because the Akashic records are quantum. If, I, if there is one thing that is of greatest importance that is a part of my role, uh, it is understanding how to consolidate this, this massive account of all that has happened 
throughout space and time uh, into valuable packets of information and light that can be retrieved and utilized, uh, put into some uh, reference frame of time uh, for those who need it. So basically, when a channel accesses the Akashic records, so you're saying your role is to package that information so that others can retrieve it? I certainly do that, but not in all instances. So not every channel who is accessing the Akashic records is going through Metatron as a gatekeeper to receive something. It's it's a difficult process and, and massive in scope to understand uh, but what I always am doing is noticing the changes that are made to that information as it comes through a channel, because I know that if there's been a determination made of any energy or information in the Akashic records, it's apt to change something else. And this is where I am doing my record keeping or my best work. Uh, it is helping the whole of the universe to come into some form of symmetry. Um, let me draw a bridge here between uh, my role as an individual archangel in the universe and that of the Council of Light, because this council has worked with you on many occasions. And what they do is very similar to what I do, just in a different framework. Uh, the Council of Light is always observing what is being created throughout the universe and how those creations are being shared. There's a massive grid system that connects every planet and star in that grid system. Uh, it can be read through uh, the illumination of light, through sound, uh, through frequency. And those that exist at the t- level of the 12th dimension are very adept um, at, at reading this massive matrix. Uh, no less simply as you are able to pick up a book uh, and read the chapters. Their role is to determine where there can be influence or diversion of a a planet's natural evolutionary path from that of another. So, for example, the Earth as a whole, humanity as a whole, has a natural evolutionary path, very much like your individual soul's divine plan. And while there is a great a deal of room and space uh, for co-creation. Uh, if there is a race, a star system that takes that plan off track, the Council of Light is apt to put some filtration system in the grids, clear out any distortions, for example, or um, raise up the vibration of a more positive timeline energy that would neutralize the negative. What I do is quite similar, except my observation is of the spiral of time and how the Akashic records are folding into this spiral and where the energy may play out. So if a channel is interpreting the Akashic records for someone and they are filtering it through the ego and they offer a message that is limiting in scope or or worth or choice, What I see is a pattern evolving where that will influence something else in their life and every other life that they touch. So my role is to somehow neutralize that, to counteract it, to help humanity receive the most accurate and crystal clear translations of the Akashic records 
without any filter or distortion, such that they're able to use it in a positive way to uplift their soul's plan as opposed to reduce its prominency uh, on planet Earth. So is it fair to say then, based on our earlier conversation, that the because you are the scribe for this universe, that the Akashic records that you maintain are contained within 13 dimensions? That is is correct. That is a correct determination, yes. In the late, I believe, 1100s to early 1200s, someone by the name of Leonardo Pisano, who we also know as Fibonacci, um, came up with a Fibonacci sequence. And he also came up with what he termed Metatron's cube. Now, he attributed it to you. Is What's the connection there that this would have been named after you? Was this something that you channeled through him? Correct. Now, the Fibonacci scale uh, and the one who designed it on Earth was not only channeling it through me, but was also a representative of the Arcturian Collective. So this is somewhat a mathematical and scientific translation of the various symmetry and relationship between the earth and all of those that exist upon it, all living beings creating as one. But in the Metatron's cube, this is another, um, uh, we might say schematic or way to present this, uh, no less in its importance in terms of how humans can tap into that energy But yes, certainly there was a relationship between myself and this man helping to sort out all of the various equations and and sounds and waves that support a soul's understanding of universal energy. Now, it's believed that, that the, or said anyway, that the Metatron's cube was created from your soul and that you use it to manage and oversee the universe. is What what does that mean exactly? While I would like to take ownership of, of something so wonderful, uh, it could never be the manifestation of my soul alone. It is simply a representation of how my soul sees all of the energy of the universe coalescing into one. So we, all of us who are here, have access to this cube that is showing our uh, oneness and our interconnection as universal beings. But in its translation, what the cube is offering is a part of my oversight of all things that the Akashic records have shown me. Uh, It is quite a massive um, definition to relay, again, in such a concise um, understanding because what I've noticed in, in the time that I have been ascribed for this universe, which is quite a lengthy period of position, uh, is that everything is creating everything else. Uh, each moment that you are in tune with your own unique soul essence and sound, you are amplifying something else that is causing it to become renewed. And in that renewal, the sound of the entire planet becomes upgraded. And the cube is my gift in terms of my vision in a very compact uh, light code or or technology 
that can set you into a, um, um, uh, a container, we'll call it a space, uh, where you can be fully coherent with that universal frequency. So think of the metatrons cube as a part of yourself that has been uh, translated into a very compact symbol and design that is able to help you sustain a natural state of universal coherence and presence. Okay, I'd like to spend the rest of our conversation discussing the mechanics and function and use of the Metatron's Cube. Uh, Metatron's Cube has 13 circles in it, and those 13 circles are also contained in the Flower of Life image that we have on the wall here, and so the Metatron's Cube is essentially contained there. So is it fair to draw the connection that uh, the 13 circles in the Metatron's Cube are also a correlation to 13 dimensions. This is correct. And so Metatron's cube would really only apply in our universe. It would not apply in another universe that has more than 13 dimensions. It, it would not apply per se. However, keep in mind that just like souls on planet Earth are accessing the Akashic records of this universe, souls in other universes are tapping into the multiverse and using information from it to build their own symmetry and symbology that can be supportive just like the cube. We've discussed in previous conversations about how the flower of life is the 369 and that is an unbroken connection to the universe. And considering that the Metatron's cube is contained within the flower of life. And uh, so what is the connection there between the two uh, and where does one apply to certain things where the other one applies to other uses? Well, well, they exist in symmetry and, and show a relationship between all that you are creating and all that you are to everything else. So so the cube, perhaps being the the origins or the center point of that symmetry is representing the origins of the center point of the universe. Uh, all things somehow connected together through um, all dimensions that are present, because even though you exist here uh, in a, a dominantly third to fourth dimensional reality doesn't necessarily mean that everything that you are and everything that you're doing uh, does not influence every other dimension that exists in this universe. So, so you have to break your mind out of the understanding that you are here uh, on planet earth only meant to have a human experience that is enclosed within itself. Uh, what you are here doing is on behalf of all other universal beings expanding that universe. So so everything that you are and everything that you do and everything that you create in every moment is having an influence on everything else throughout the universe. So the flower of life expanding itself to infinity is is the creative motion or flow or, or life force of that universe. It is always in symmetry regardless of the creations that are taking place, which again is, is hard for a soul to believe because there are so many things determined to have happened or still happening uh, both on your planet and, and throughout the universe that don't seem to be symmetrical at all. They seem to be taking us out of that symmetry. Uh, but remember, this is a coherent 
vibratory tool. What it's aiming to do is put you in the framework of oneness such that not only are you available to everything that you need to create in that oneness and unity, but also um, that you are conscious of how you are creating it. So, so when we use these symbols, uh, especially uh, seeing them fused together like this um, in ancient civilizations, what we're attempting to do is, is create somewhat a flow. And, and that flow exists all around you right now. It is just that many are not tuned into it deliberately. Um, you've been trained out of the vibration of the quantum or the present moment, which is ultimately where the most valuable contribution of your soul truly exists. So if you are not conscious of the present moment and you have been trained out of it, you're creating still in the symmetry of all that is, but you may be lowering its entire vibration. So so just the very reminder that you are a part of this energy uh, activates a, a piece of your heart, a piece of your soul to its cosmic orientation, to, to remember that you are the universe ultimately in motion. You are not within it. You are of it. And, and, and a piece, an elemental piece of all that is taking place within it. Now, the Metatron's cube and the flower of life is supposedly uh, contains or contains all the shapes in the universe. So and even, for example, the human body, there are 13 joints in the human body. Uh, we see 13 appear in a lot of secret societies and world events. Uh, we have um, Jesus and his 12 disciples, Jesus becoming the 13th, um, which I assume is the higher octave as we, in the manner of speaking that we discussed earlier in our conversation. So is it fair to say that, or how would we, I'm going to articulate something and you can explain how it uh, should be actually articulated, but essentially the Metatron's cube and maybe the flower of life as well is showing sort of a universal pattern through which all things manifest into this universe and which is why we see, for example, flower petals also follow the same pattern as that's established in Metatron's cube or the flower of life, for example, or the human body and so on. The creative force of the universe moves in a pattern that manifests through all things. So everything in this universe is represented within this pattern. And what you are noticing when you see it in the body, for example, or in a flower, is that unbroken connection to the universe that you hold to every one of these things. It is just that when this connection is not cherished or, or somehow consciously attuned to there is a, a falling out of symmetry in your own personal life. And, and perhaps you could say, this is why many suffer today. It's not that their creative power has waned. It's, it's not that the earth has taken a turn that has lowered their sovereignty. It's that they have forgotten the power of the flow of universal energy that they exist within that is ultimately meant to manifest in and upon itself more good every single day. It's it's the symmetry and the beauty and the perfection that you are always attempting to look for, not the things that are ultimately wrong. And that's where you have been trained also, is to look beyond the symmetry, the beauty and the synchronicity, because that's where your intuition is, is uh, aligned. 
uh, souls that have existed on planet Earth in this timeline. Uh, we might say genetically and from a historic standpoint have been taken so far away from their metaphysical and prominent ability to tune in to what the universe is calling for from them, that they've lost their purpose. They have lost their way. So, so this natural predisposition of the universe to, to flow in an expanded pattern to infinity is representing your own infinite potential uh, to create what it is you desire within the framework and confines of what your soul has predetermined is necessary to become what you were always meant to be. Now, the 13 doesn't seem to only apply in physical things. For example, there are 13 full moons in an Earth year. So would we also apply that the same principles of Metatron's cube we would also see in patterns such as cycles as well? Well, planets are the origins of these cycles, because if we look at the beginning of the universe, we are looking at material um, uh, coming together and fusing within itself in this pattern of energetic flow. Uh, the life force that birthed each human from breath is through immaculate conception is, is the same process of the universe coming into formation simply through prana. And that material coalescing to become something that could be touched and felt and interacted with from a conscious standpoint. But the movement of the planets and the stars, uh, it's actually showing us the seasons and the, the movement of our own soul through space and time. And this is what the ancients knew. If we could make the connection between our soul's arrival on Earth and how the planets and stars were revolving around that pivotal choice, we could always understand where the benefit of our creation lies. So these um, uh, symbols, we'll call them teachings even, or um, uh, representations of the universe, uh, they're a reminder to us of how we are always being led and how that leading is being done in um, an orchestrated fashion, uh, not only perfect to our own soul's evolution, but perfect to the evolution of every other being within the universe. Now, the number 13 also shows up in a lot of uh, world events uh, and secret societies tend to use it. Um, some buildings, the 13th floor is a secret floor as well. What's the significance of its use in the occult? Well, it isn't always that it is a deliberate choice. However, it is sometimes because of the sheer power of the vibration of that number. So so if we see the 13 manifesting in a, a synchronistic fashion, in a flower of life image, we must know that if we use that number, we're somehow evoking the power of the energy of the universe. So it is deliberately fashioned into things where we want to amplify the power of something or place the intention towards it in a very powerful way. Yet it cannot be denied that the cycles of the universe and the patterns of the universe are going to show themselves in the most mysterious of ways. It isn't just uh, always in the positive, because if something 
um, uh, of detriment is being created somewhere and that exists in the spiral of time, what we're going to find is there's always some synchronicity to how it's going to show up again on the planet or in our lives. So, so if the number 13 is prominent in a certain manifestation or being used by a certain group of humans, we can guarantee that the power of the universe is showing us something. It's either being deliberately um, forced into some manifestation that we do not desire or it's showing us the manifestation of things in a synchronistic way that that we have the ability to actually alchemize and change, um, but the prominence of them um, is important to our soul. So if that all is the case, so are you saying that the 13 is being used or can be used in magical practices or whatever to push forth an outcome that that you wish to create even against the will of others. And that's maybe why it's being used. It it certainly can. But the question is, can we interrupt the will of others? And and that's an an interesting um, conversation to have because those that understand the power of 13 or using the symbology have put collective resources behind it because they understand, of course, that, to put this energy in motion with a specific visualization or intention can easily manifest it into being. But it does not mean that that manifestation is ever going to complicate the will of another. Level of consciousness always comes into play. So the only reason that a secret society or a group of malevolent beings would have succeeded in using the power of this number against those who did not know that they were being manipulated is because their consciousness was not high enough to understand the manipulation, in other words. And what you're striving for in this life is not to rely only on metaphysical tools, symbols, and properties. This is more um, a universal understanding and law that when you intersect with, even from just a knowledge base, uh, will open you up to flowing with more of your creative prowess. Um, uh, in other words, instead of using it to direct something in your life that you believe is important or, or must be done uh, to inflict, um, uh, to affect something else, simply bringing that flow of energy into your life, uh, it, it creates a coherent field. So the more we study um these designs or symbols, the more we understand them, the more we we intersect with them visually, the more we're naturally going to find ourselves in a coherent energy that raises our consciousness, brings in from the source field things that are necessary for us to keep evolving. For example, um, we will see synchronicity more clearly and immediate manifestations that come from that because that is our true nature. <laughs> we are here not to force things into being, but but to have a constant connection to the source field that brings us easily the things necessary for us to live the lives that we have always deemed important. So this perhaps is the greatest reminder of what this tool can offer. Why then um, has in the popular consciousness anyway we've been convinced that the 13th or friday the 13th as an example is an unlucky number 
Well, this is very much like the translations of the Bible that are attempting to dissuade you and um, um, lower the vibration of what you understand to be true. Um, the number 13 is not a negative number whatsoever, uh, nor is any number truly um, throughout history. Uh, everything has a purpose and some universal energy and history behind it. It is just that 13 is showing us a relationship to the universe, that it's a very valuable one, that if used by those with the right, um, we'll say focus and knowledge, um, could accelerate power in the wrong direction. And the more humans tap into the, the energy of the flower of life, the more, um, we'll say the less, they will be hampered by those who are using it in uh, negative ways. I'd like to sort of review some of the things that you said and then uh, go from there. So if we, so essentially using Metatron's cube, or the flower of life, we are helping to bring into being those things that were already part of our plan in this life or whatever we came here to accomplish. So if we are currently off track or challenged in a particular way using these um, these um, sacred geometric symbols will help us to bring us closer into alignment with our intentions through the universe. Is that correct? That's accurate, but we would like to add a caveat here because your divine plan it can manifest in multiple dimensions. So even though you're tuning into a flower of life image, for example, or the Metatron's cube, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the only consideration in manifesting and expressing your highest potential because there are components of belief. There are considerations of consciousness. There are um, aspects of vibration that, that all must be um, understood. Um, so, so we'll give you an example. If in desperation, you are attempting to change something in your life, like heal the physical body from a chronic disease, but you are doing so from such a state of lower vibration and density that the universe does not seem to grant your wish. It is typically because the, the images you are using or the way you are using them um, are, are attuned to your own experience. The one you are creating right now not the one that is the highest potential. So, so to really use these to the fullest extent to our to our highest benefit, we somewhat have to be um, unattached or or unconditional uh, in how the universe presents to us these various outcomes. Um, we do not know the reason our soul is going through a specific experience, nor do we know the timing. Uh, of the contracts that are involved in that experience, meaning other souls that are meant to have it with us. And these are all things that the secret societies understood. So, so in using these tools, what we're attempting to do is, is raise consciousness to the highest level while allowing the universal flow around us to bring us what matches it. And, and this is where they can be of the greatest benefit. 
So by using these symbols in a passive way is what you're saying without resistance, which could be as simple as having them on a wall in your environment. It's not really requiring or rather not requiring, but you don't have to meditate with it or in any other practical spiritual practice. Correct. We, 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 we agree, although we don't want to dissuade those who feel a natural ease or organic urge to work with them in a meditative way, uh, nor to use some type of specific intention. Our only suggestion is that you, you broaden the scope of what you are intending in the first place. Meaning if you are too narrow in your request or, or attempting to bring something in that truly isn't meant for you, um, you may receive it because this symbol, this universal symbol, it's very powerful. Uh, but it may not arrive truly in the form that you imagine is best for you and may cause you to divert from something else that was truly meant for the better. Okay, just to sort of encapsulate a few ideas together. So Metatron's cube is being used, or even the idea of the number 13, as we discussed earlier, is being used by secret societies and magical practices to manifest things that people are intending to manifest, but uh, may, they may not necessarily be in alignment with what their soul intended, and they may even be causing harm, but nonetheless, the tool is powerful enough to create that. But what you're saying is if we use it in a passive, uh, non-resistant way, it will allow the natural flow of our whatever soul's journey we came here to manifest to happen with more ease. Is that... Correct? That, that's a correct determination. So keeping that idea in mind, what you were saying earlier was, let's say 10 versions of you that are 10 different levels of consciousness, we're all having the same human experience. If those 10 versions were to use Metatron's cube or the flower of life, it would bring them more without an intention, without a expectation with non-resistance, would bring all 10 versions of you into alignment with your soul's journey that you came here to express. However, because you're at 10 different consciousnesses, it may express very differently for each of the 10 people. Does that make any sense? It, it does. And, and again, remember the considerations that we've brought to your attention. It, it is not just consciousness, but sometimes it is how a soul perceives the world uh, it is how they perceive their role in the world. Uh, there are subconscious beliefs that exist as waveform beneath the surface that are skewing the perceptions and intentions of a soul. So, so all of these things do play in to the use of these tools, while at the same time, it's important to note that they can actually be used to, to rid the self of these things. So, so the more open that you are to interfacing with this, we'll say technology uh, without any um, uh, narrow perception as to what it must do for you, uh, the more benefit you will actually receive or you will reap the rewards of interacting with it in the highest and best way possible. And this may be just to reiterate what you already said, but um, so if we use this tool this technology in a passive way, such as just having it on a wall in our environment, 
over time, what are the results or the potential benefits? Just a greater sense of well-being and a sort of synchronistic flow way of living life? Well, there are, there are many benefits. And um, consider if it was just placed in your space without any direct daily meditative interface, it would actually change the flow of the space. And, and we see this as being a, a, a problem in and of itself. Uh, many of you are living in environments and spaces where the universal connections have been broken, meaning you're truly not able to access the uh, sheer amount of, of cosmic energy necessary or even available to you to live your life in the most positive of ways. Even the body, for example, may suffer in these environments because the flow of energy has been somehow hampered or interrupted. This technology can clear space, align space, help the energy in the space to flow in a more connective way. In fact, it may even begin to feel as if you are living in a portal, but do not let this uh, hamper your decision to bring it in for many today are in fear of portals becoming negative or corrupted. And the flower of life pattern is not a, a portal vibration that is able to be um, tampered with, in other words. Even though some who know how to use it are using it to manifest things on the planet that are not the highest and best for humanity, they could never open a portal using that technology that would cause harm, even as much as they tried. Because... This pattern, um, again, uh, an unbroken connection to the universe in infinity is the purest connection that we can establish. So another uh, advantage of this that you may notice is uh, heightened consciousness, perception, and communication with things unearthly, uh, meaning even in your space, you may begin to communicate beyond the veil uh, time travel events and dream state may become very active. Meditative states become easier to access. Even at times, what we notice is uh, guides and beings assigned directly to a soul's um, uh, physical life uh, are more audible um, and easier felt and, and understood. But sometimes, a soul is going through a very difficult period where it's struggling with the body, relationships, finance, whatever it may be. And we know there is a need to want to use something like the Metatron's cube to override that period. It is not designed to clear the energy of the experience that you're having. It's designed to make the timeline more synchronistic. So, Imagine if you are um, in lack of, of resource and all of a sudden you notice in your peripheral things presenting themselves to you that are easy access to resource. These are things that you may have missed simply because the experience you were having was so dense that it brought your vibration down and your consciousness could not assume to see the beauty and the orchestration of the source field and the universe because you're always being taken care of. It does not mean that the amount of money that you want is going to come in in the exact necessary requirement because remember, 
there are things that are meant to still be a great mystery about our soul's plan. But, but in a heightened state of awareness, in a field that is perpetuating onto itself a, a pattern of symmetry, we are bound to see how the universe is here to support us in every moment. And does it matter what wall you put it on in your environment? Uh, a lot of sacred geometry is said to be better on certain walls or north, south, east, west, for example. In, in our determination, it, it truly changes quite a bit because of the pole shifts and the changes within Mother Earth. So it is apt to be decided by the soul who is using it and intuitively felt and changed as necessary, meaning the intuition that you have about where the symbol goes uh, should always be trusted. And if you feel that a change has been made in the environment or you're being called to move it to a different space, uh, you should trust that as well. The more that you are in close proximity to these technologies, we'll call them, the more you become one with their consciousness because they are truly consciousness. Uh, they are truly conscious. They are a, a living consciousness, in other words. And they will speak to you, uh, not in audible words that you may hear, but, but certainly in mysterious ways that are very detectable uh, internally or externally. And these are things we advise you should follow. I mentioned its use in attracting abundance or um good fortune, uh, the Sri Yantra is used for that. Is it? Is that sort of a similar vibration as Metatron's cube? It is more an amplified state of it, in other words. Um, we see this as a, a more cosmic symbol expressing itself in multiple dimensions. Even though the Metatron's cube is a universal symbol that is doing the same, this cosmic interpretation is of a more intense nature, not something necessarily found within the physical body, but nonetheless an imprint of the light that exists at the level of the DNA. So so it's calling up within you a more um, cosmic connection uh, than what we would say the Flower of Life or Metatron's Cube is doing, creating um, a quantum window or a bridge to Akashic information and energy necessary to support not only your environment and space, but also your body and your um, creative energy. Okay, let me sort of encapsulate some ideas from various conversations I've had on these shows. So are you saying uh, the Sri Yantra is kind of a modification or uh, of the... Uh, Metatron's cube or flower of life energy where uh, similar to how um, in Tantra, the breath is the foundational energy, but the different sexual positions are focusing that energy for different outcomes. Or for example, with Kundalini, the breath being the foundational energy, whereas the mudras can be used to focus that energy toward different outcomes. Is this a relationship at all? But we could we could agree with this, of course. Um, think of it more as a light code, one that has been created specifically to create um, uh, a bridge between the earth and the universe, whereby uh, that 
pranic energy of the universe is accessible and able to be put into efficient use in the area in which you have chosen uh, to place it. So Sri Yantras, as an example, were created as a modification, essentially, of this universal potential that's in the flower of life for human purposes, such as uh, wealth or abundance or something like that. Uh, I noticed the Sri Yantra pattern in three-dimensional form is also used in uh, ancient buildings like Angkor Wat, for example, is a three-dimensional Sri Yantra. So was that to bring that sort of good fortune into that environment, that physical environment? Well, let's discuss this in terms of the 369. The 369 pattern making an unbroken connection to the universe. This is something that exists within many portals and pyramids and temples. But the design that you are speaking of takes that 369 pattern turns it into a sound and amplifies it. So in other words, it's bringing universal energy into space in a more, um, we'll say in a higher vibrational way, in a, in a, in a uh, adopted frequency that goes beyond what it would normally arrive within. So if we were to create um, these three-dimensional versions of, let's say, the Sri Yantra or the Flower of Life or um, uh, Metatron's Cube, we would imbue that potential into that physical space. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and we see no barrier to this, in other words, other than the soul that is attempting to use it in a specific way, meaning any limitation that you put upon it uh, is going to um, show itself as a limitation. Thank you. That's all for today. And thank you, Michaela. Thank you all for joining us for another Channel Revelation show. You can also find us on various podcast platforms like Apple or Google or Spotify, for example. And we'll see you next week for a Wake and Empowered podcast. Thank you. So what do we want to say here? Drama. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, Metatron. <laughs> A whole lesson upon lessons. A whole lesson upon lessons. Yes. Are we ready for the big one? Oh, that's 12. 12, 10. Yes, I'm just asking you. We went at ready for the big one. Big one, what? The enactment of Nasara law. C'est possible. <laughs> okay, so anything else that we want to share here before we go? I... Oh, what about uh, um, Aurora Ray? Aurora Ray. Let's do Aurora Ray, everyone. Tell us what it's called. Um, it's about now. The magic of now. All right. Let's do that. Okay.
Oh. All right. Well, uh, let's see. We want to do Rainbird first. We don't want to forget about Rainbird. Okay, Professor Rainbird. I'm passing you this talking stick. It's coming. I got it. Okay, yes, (laughs) ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, lots of gratitude for today and everything, everything we did. So um, thank you for bringing it. And enjoyed that, uh, yeah, enjoyed the whole day. So lots of gratitude. So I'm going to pass this talking stick back over to you, Rama. You got something. Okay. Tell everybody again what this is we're going to play. This is the present moment revolution transforming your life today. The magic of now. Here we go. Magic of now. The present is all that exists. The past may have been there once upon a time, but now it is gone forever. The future won't come until you meet it face to face. We have no idea what will happen tomorrow because we never know when things will happen. We also have no idea what will happen next week next month or next year because things can change so drastically that nothing can possibly go as planned. To be fully alive means that you use your power in the present moment to do whatever needs doing in whichever way will work best. Because there's no past or future, there's nothing to have been done or not done. All we ever have are the things we do now. The whole point of life is to be fully alive right now by doing whatever needs doing without regretting what you didn't do or what might have been better if it had been different. The present moment is all that you have, so live it well. The present moment is a gift from God because it is when he works miracles through us. We have no control over what happens next or where we will end up. Only God has that power but he has given us free will so that we may choose for ourselves whether or not to use it wisely, to live an authentic life based on faith in him now. This doesn't mean that it is all about us and what we want to happen in our lives. It means that we need to be conscious of our reality and how we can change it by becoming aware of what is around us now. When you are conscious of reality, you are able to act upon it instead of reacting to it as if it were a force that was out there controlling everything that happens to you and affecting your life with its presence. It is important for us to be aware of our surroundings so that we can take control of our lives instead of letting external forces affect them for us. The power of the present moment is the most powerful force in the universe. It is the only place where things happen as they should be. The past cannot touch us, and the future will not affect us until we are there to experience them. The only thing that exists is our perception of time and space. But when we are present and aware, we realize that all things are happening simultaneously with no beginning or end. This understanding allows us to be in harmony with nature's laws and energy flows. The present moment allows us to become one with ourselves and all things around us. 
We can use this power to create positive change and transformation on all levels, including personal growth, relationships, work environment, health issues, and more. By living in harmony with nature's laws and energy flows, we can turn our lives around by using this great force of nature. It's not something to be achieved or attained at some future time. It's not a state of mind. It's more like an awareness. It doesn't require willpower. It requires only awareness. With just a few minutes of mindful awareness each day, you can begin to see how you create your own experience of life. You can see how your thoughts and feelings affect the events in your life, and you can see how little control you truly have over these events. You'll also be able to see the beauty of the present moment in its rawest form. I know this sounds hokey, but it's true. The present moment is a gift. We all wish we could be in a different place in our lives, but really, every moment spent wishing could have been better spent living out our dreams and enjoying the time we have with family and friends rather than lamenting what we don't have or what hasn't happened yet. So when you're next feeling down about yourself or your life, stop and take a look around you. Things might not be exactly where you want them to be, but they could certainly be worse. You're probably healthier and better off than the vast majority of people on Earth. And that should count for something. If we get more time to be present, it gives us the opportunity to look around and appreciate what's going on. Life is about moments. Let's not miss one. Let's live today. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Okay, we've got to do Caroline. So this might take us a little longer, get a little over, but this is really something she's sharing with us that we really got to do. So here we go. A message to light bringers. Oh my goodness. This week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elements, Fey Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and other divine beings known as the Collective. Greetings, dear ones. This week, our writer has some questions she would like to ask and which we are happy to answer. Uh, Caroline Oceana Ryan, welcome, friends. Today's channeling is a sort of Q&A, a Q&A time with the collective on the issue of child abuse, and specifically to do with the child sex trafficking, which is really big in the news at this time, at this minute partly because of this film, Sound of Freedom, and also because it, it is when fast becoming the biggest criminal enterprise in the world. So, what I'm going to do is ask the collective, first of all, why someone would write into their life chart that they were going to be trafficked as a child. Mm. This, to me, is just unthinkable. Mm -hmm. I myself 
am a survivor of several forms of sexual abuse, including having been abused as a child by my father sexually. Yet to be handed off to multiple abusers a day, every day, until finally your body just gives out after a few years, this is just unthinkable to me. As you look at it as a situation of, well, they, the trafficked one, were trying to, as people say, burn off some karma, this is still a very, very dark path. Mm. And it's just hard for me to understand. So I'm asking the collective that. And I'm asking as well, is it the child's life energies that the dark power structure is after? And the answer to that is no doubt yes. Yet how is that changing now? Now that the earth is taking on as much as taking on so much more light. How is it the change how is it changing now that so many people are beginning to ascend and asking to understand ascension and looking for ways to raise their vibration? Appreciate you everybody. <clears throat> It just seems to me to be the strangest sort of dichotomy. These two oppositions running parallel to one another. So I'm going to bring in the collective and I'm going to ask them to address both of these issues. So just go into your heart space and go into your breathing for a moment. And the collective, this beautiful group of light, Higher beings, I channel, will be who you hear next, the collective. Well, greetings, dear ones. We are very pleased to have this time to speak with you once again. And so, yes, our writer has put forth a few questions, and perhaps there are a number of you who have also asked these questions what in the world who would plan this for themselves and why and what does the old power structure crowd get out of it exactly so let's look at this first question who would put this into their life chart And this is for those who agree that this pre-planning our earth life is something that happens as you feel that all of life is happenstance, that no one would ever ask on any level for such an issue. We would say this is understandable because from a human viewpoint, from where you are now, on the on the planet, it makes less than no sense that anyone would put themselves through such torture or see any point in it. 
So what we are going to do now is to take on the persona, as it were, of someone who has accepted this. And a number of us within the collective have, in any event, been slaves. And a slave can be exploited on any level, as you are aware. Particularly women and children are exploited badly while they are enslaved. We don't use the term slave as a sort of cultural assignment, as, no, excuse me, assignation, as though that label is all that person is. Rather, as an enslaved person, they are put in a position to be told that that is all they know, that is all they are, from a very young age. And it is so, so that many of them do not survive for very long when taken in as children. First, we understand that slavery has existed for many thousands of years since the fall of the third dimension because this is one of the ways in which the hierarchy exists in the state that it is able to exist in. As some as as some people are made to feel hopeless, in fact, at least half of the human race, if not the majority, is meant to feel utterly without advocate, without real representation within the power structure, without choices, without money and property, without a voice, socially or culturally or otherwise. This serves their purposes perfectly. Now, why would anyone volunteer to experience this, particularly as it is millions of people currently on the planet who are experiencing this at a time as the earth is actually ascending. So again, let's bring in this presence of this dear one who was herself enslaved. Namaste, dear one. Hold on. Again, most of you as well are probably well well finished with the entire experience of living in a third dimensional world that has been so divided between dark and light and good and bad, as people term them. Over time, you begin to understand there is only experience. There is only that energy which leads you either away from enlightenment or toward it, closer and closer each day. For those who do not choose to live in the light, we would say, this is your decision, yet that the doors are closing, one might say, for the choice to be made to come into the light and to be there permanently. This is a beautiful thing, as one considers that the timing of earth lives 
now co- coincides perfectly with the decision to either move up in vibration or to remain at a low vibration and risk sinking even further down. This is a moment of great empowerment either way because one's decision determines one's path for an indefinite period of time. So as you look at those who are troubled and enslaved and not surviving the process, as most do not, we would say, understand that by and large, this was chosen by them. There are people who come in without a life chart, yet most of these are not of the light. Those who are of the light tend to request a particular set of circumstances so that they might learn more. So, in these times of ascension, people are moving forward very, very quickly. And they are asking to rinse their souls free of the trauma that they induced in others. They are asking to to rinse their souls free of the pain and the losses that cost not only themselves, rather many around them in a number of lives. And the old way, the old paradigm, was to come in and to suffer for what one had done in other lives. And of course, this is ending now. So you won't see this any much more beyond this generation. This tendency to suffer in order to achieve growth. This is no longer a requirement. And this is no longer sought by by those coming in now. Yes, some are still being trafficked at drastically young ages. This can occur. And again, this is the ending you are seeing of this sort of program. One might say of self-correction, of learning the hard way. Humanity has chosen to move up. As you are on the new earth timeline or joining it now, you will not suffer this, this way in any future earth life. And so, we return now to speak to, to the speaking moment to our friends in the collective. And we thank them for this opportunity. Namaste. Turn the page. The collective wonderful friends. We wish to say in answer to our writer's question as to why the old power structure has used trafficking for so long. The trauma is, of course, something that they draw off of energetically as well as actually physically. So, we don't go into great detail there. There is plenty of information available about their practices. Yet, we will say that, yes, this was a part of their schemes and a part of how they gathered the life energy of innocent children, which is potent energy, to say the least. 
Yet we, we will also say that these dark plans and dark actions are digging them a farther deeper hole than they could know because as the light pours in, there will be definitive moments in which humanity begins to realize, quote, we can no longer allow this to continue and no longer allow the overriding power structure, which not only sanctions, but very often generally runs the pedophile networks. So, much of this is up to you, dear ones. Will you raise your vibrations to where earth life becomes something entirely different from a place of enslaved children, exploited persons on all levels? Will you raise your vibration, your consciousness, to where the planet you live on will not tolerate any such behavior and moves out of duality as a way of establishing such growth, soul growth, excuse me, Of course, you can grow inwardly without violence, without trauma. The choice must be made. Make it now. We are a human race. No longer need to, we as a human race, no longer need to suffer in order to grow on a soul level, in order to fulfill our earth missions. And we no longer need to support the old power crowd by implicit or explicit support of the current political systems and and to turning a blind eye to their corruption and turning a blind eye to the fact that corporations control them and corporations are often run secretively and engage in the worst conceivable enterprises. One could hardly call them enterprises. They are simply criminal behaviors. So, we somewhat lay this at your feet, dear ones. As you do not agree that children or anyone should be exploited and traumatized and imprisoned and enslaved, we would say, How many people from your past have you forgiven today? How much of your own life, how much of your own life force and your own decisions have you forgiven? How much have you gone into your heart to decide to have and accept everyone, to move into the high heart and to refuse labels and judgment, claim your God-Goddess status, your co-creator status. To cease to feel like a victim because you see others victimized and find that traumatizing? You know that divine love is greater than any situation you can ever view. And you know that great love is pouring forth onto this planet now in ways that will revolutionize how all of you see yourselves and your lives. Okay. 
you got some song ready for the end, right, Alan? Yeah. All right. These children, those children are not alone. All of you growing up on a corrupt and 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 troubled planet, you were never alone. So make it your decision, make it your business and your province to be the one to reach beyond being astounded at the at the blatant evils you see before you and to accept even those darkest impulses which you yourself may have carried at some point and rise above into that which the high heart recognizes as the only truth. You have heard from the young people in the 60s that love is all there is. It is indeed. And so, we send you much love and many blessings, dear ones. We are with you always. Namaste. And I pass this talking stick back to you, Rama. What you got for us? Oh. Thank you, Rainbird, Professor. <laughs> Om Namah Shivaya, everyone. We are the ones we've been waiting for. It's only nine days till the day out of time, everyone. And then we set out a brand new year on the Mayan calendar. Let this be the one where peace all over is declared. Nasara now. Namaste, everyone. Aloha. Thirteen thank yous. Honey in the heart, no evil. Live long and prosper. Aloha, everyone. Namaste. Until we meet again. Aloha. Aloha.